warning, pop culture leftovers might not be suitable for people who can't handle insane amounts of profanity, so you might want to fuck off. Pop culture leftovers might take its time getting around to its advertised content as well. If this is a huge problem for you, then you too can fuck off. Pop culture leftovers typically has a long run time as well. If you can't handle a four to six hour podcast, then you probably won't like us, and you too can join the aforementioned cock thistles and fuck off altogether in unison. Others who may not be able to handle pop culture leftovers include children under the age of 14, if you regularly listen to NPR, are a pregnant woman that has spent most of your first, second, and third trimester looking at stupid shit on both Etsy and Pinterest, if you tuck in your t-shirts, if you use a Bluetooth headset in public, if you go to motivational speaking seminars, if you have life goals, if you have self-respect, if you have a heart condition, if you're a huge pussy, if you're a huge pussy with a heart condition, or if your name is Melvin, TFS706, or TJ Lamb. Everyone else, please enjoy. Episode Welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. And, and we're, we're the, the leftovers. leftovers. Yeah, Jake, you did it this time. I like it. Yeah, I was trying. I put put some effort into it. Yeah, you did. I don't know, man. Sometimes it just feels like you're just going through the motions, man. <laughs> I don't know. I think I I don't... It doesn't ever... It's not like a boring thing. I just try to have fun with it. It's never so much the motions as me just being a jackass. Okay. All right. All right, yeah, a like, little little bit of behind the scenes there for you, everyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, here we are, uh, episode two thirty five, Jake. Oh my gosh! Yeah, getting closer to three hundred. Yeah, getting closer to <laughs> sixty five away. Um, yeah, but this week we are not alone. We are joined by the uh, queen of the leftover army. Welcome back, Rebecca Daly. Oh, thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Absolutely. Glad to have you back. And second time on the show, Stephanie Chapman. Welcome back. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, Stephanie, the pretzel Chapman. That's your new nickname. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't remember last time Stephanie was on the show, munching away on some pretzels. And uh, during the, uh, in, uh, you know, off air, we found out that she's a, she's a big fan of the rolled gold. There's a Snyder's, yeah. Snyder's. It was Snyder's. Both. Both. Yeah, Snyder Nuggets rolled gold uh, for the regular pretzel-shaped thin, thinner pretzels. Snyder Nugs rolled gold reg. That's, <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> Had a whole conversation about it. It's scientifically proven, and that's that's just the way it has to be. Science has nothing to do with it. <laughs> ah, it's, I'm glad to have you back, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> the pretzels too. Yeah, pretzels can uh, take a time out for while we're recording. You know, use the use the mute button 
and uh, I, I will exercise my mute button. No, it's it's fine. It make it makes for fun conversation when people are just making asinine background noises on our show, like like, like they got <laughs> something better going on. And uh, yeah, that uh, happens. classic PCL trope there. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, let's see here. Yeah, let's uh, jump into our iTunes review section. It's one star iTunes reviews, everybody. Yeah, we lost some iTunes reviews. Uh, Apple went through and did a sweep of some iTunes reviews, found some with questionable content in them, and I believe that's why they deleted them. So um, we uh, we went uh, we went from five seventeen down to five hundred, and now we're back up to five oh seven. But we did lose. I noticed, like, I couldn't tell like which ones we lost. I knew one we lost was the leftovers forever one. Cause, uh, oh, that's sad. Yeah, do, so if you're listening, you know, you can uh, get back in there and uh, check and see if your iTunes review is still up for us. If you need help on how to do that, uh, here, I will I will be I will be your Apple technical support. Just hit set. <laughs> hold on. Hit settings. Go to iTunes and uh, iTunes and App Store. Click on your Apple ID name at the top and then click on view Apple ID and then click on ratings and reviews and you can see if your review for us is still up. Um, if you want to change it to one star, five star, go nuts. Just be silly with it and have fun. All right, kids. Okay. All right, what do we got? What do we got for the iTunes reviews? Let me pull them up here. Um, Rod Griffey, R-D-G-R-I-F-F-I, Rid, Rid Griffey. Is, uh, sending us an iTunes view. It's a, uh, five star, uh, new, but now dedicated listener. I've never searched for a podcast that discusses movies and such that I'm super interested in. I wanted to find a podcast that had hosts who are talking about MCU's most recent film, Infinity War. Jake, I've noticed that we've picked up, uh, some Infinity War listeners. You know, some of them have <laughs> stayed with us. Yeah, this this is going to be the trial. I think this episode. This one, what, what, how, it, oh, because we're how, how so? How so? How's this going to well, be the trial? Because well, Stephanie's it, on. No, I'm trying to blame Stephanie. I guess Infinity War. They've already got through some good pop, bad pop. I was thinking that they hadn't heard too many of our our regular episodes yet, but they've heard a few by now. Stephanie, I don't think Jake is confident in your uh, mic skills. Is what I hear. Is what I'm hearing. Should I be offended, Jake? I wow, wow. I mean, you should always be offended, but I'm not. I can't tell you why, Jake. We had the meeting last week. I vouched for her. You said I don't know about pretzel time stuff, and then I said I'm. I want to give her another chance, and you said, "All right, one more, one more." That's it, Brian. You misheard me. I said one and done. Oh, oh shit! Oh, oh goodness! <laughs> <laughs> Get to the advertised content. One star. Fuck you. Anyway, it goes on to say, "I stumbled. I stumbled out, uh, upon PCL's Infinity War review. It didn't take long before I realized how much I enjoyed their discussion, knowledge, and viewpoints. With the combined personalities and their knowledge of Marvel and other nerd things, I love. They make for a truly awesome podcast. They end." their five-year anniversary episode thanking all of their listeners and spoke of how they developed relationships with their listeners. 
Uh, I've tweeted other shows before with no response. I brought up Doctor Strange on their Twitter and instantly got a response from them. Brian said, fuck you. And that, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Well, that's accurate. <laughs> Pretty much. Very true. Uh, no, this Just makes me feel <laughs> this. This makes me feel involved, and in that they listen to what their listeners have to say. Keep up the good work. You have a new dedicated listener. Tupperware parties have found a new meaning. LOL, and that comes from Drew Griffith. Drew Griffith, also known as Rod Griffey. So thank you, Drew. And yeah, I do remember him tweeting me, and he was nice. He was one of the nice ones. So, <laughs> but he still got to fuck you. No, he didn't get a fuck you. I actually, I responded to him nice. You know, when you get, when you get, when you get fucking three to five people a day between Twitter and Facebook and emails and, and, uh, Facebook messages and, uh, what is it? Uh, what else? Uh, eh, I don't know. Whatever. Talking about this Doctor Strange timestone bullshit. You can only respond to so many. I just get <laughs> sick of it. Like, how many fucking people are going to tell me their goddamn theory on this thing? Like, okay, yeah, Doctor Str- whatever. He didn't use the timestone because, I don't know, whatever. I was just kind of done with it. And so, like, half of them, I, I, I eh, 75% of them I probably ignored. So, you just get to the point where you're just done talking about it, you know? Like, whatever. Yeah, you, you can only say the same thing so many times. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right, buddy. You're right and I'm wrong. Okay. So, uh, next one comes from, uh, Blockbuster Girl 47. Uh, it's titled, I Have to Change My Review. Um, probably gave us a one star in the past because now we got a four out of five. And um, she says, uh, I like this podcast now. I came back hesitantly for the Thanos reveal, and I loved it. The show has great personalities. I like the British one and the girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, basically, it's like... Uh, the two people that aren't the host. Yeah, exactly. No. Yeah, it's like Welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers starring Dan West and Rebecca Dale. No, you guys no, I want you guys to start your own podcast called The British One and the Girl. <laughs> Guess which one is which? Jeez. Uh she goes on to say, uh and they have wonderful insights. Sometimes they fight and it makes me uncomfortable, but that's okay. You just got a weekly listener. Brian's funny too. So yeah, I gotta, I gotta get that little pity compliment right there tacked in at the end. All right, guys, thanks for chiming in with. Uh, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. She said she says they have wonderful insights, but apparently just whenever they feel up to having wonderful insight, not not during the iTunes review section. I guess it's you know <laughs> susceptible. Anyway. Um, yeah. So thank you, Blockbuster Girl 47. <laughs> um, Blockbuster Girl, huh? Is that in reference to the video store, you think? Uh, probably just maybe movies in general. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. Uh, insightful. Um, ouch, ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on, now, now my, now, damn it, now my mouse isn't working. It's gonna make all this noises. Here we go. Hold on. No, I think I was having better chemistry with you when I was on mute. <laughs> God, and we were worried about Stephanie. I'm kidding. <laughs> Ouch! 
It's a joke. It's a joke. It's 100% a joke. Um, next one comes from Ed Sanity. Uh, it's titled Lovely Foul Mouth Podcast. And uh, uh, can't get enough of PCL. It's pure American-made pop culture full of honest reviews and will keep you giggling like a schoolgirl for four hours straight. Um <laughs> Maybe one day they will make my life complete and do a Dragon Ball Super review. Hint, hint, dude. I, dude, I don't watch Dragon Ball. Sorry, dude. A Dragon Ball Super review? Yeah, that's not happening anytime soon. I'll probably watch it at some point, but yeah. I'm in no rush. Hint, hint. It ain't gonna happen, dude. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks for the five stars. Um, Cardini. Oh my God, it's titled. It's five stars. I love this show, and love is in all caps, so you don't mistake in the love for, like, it's real love when it's all in caps. Uh, I love this show. First episode I listened to was the Infinity War review, which I appreciated so much for its length, thoroughness, and intelligent analysis. The humor is right up my alley, too. Keep cussing and fighting over end credit scenes. By the way... I love end credit scenes. <laughs> mm. <Uh-oh. laughs> Jake does not like this review. <laughs> it's an okay review. So I, like I wouldn't it. have stuck around seven minutes to read it. But I'm bummed. Yeah, insightful. Uh, Twenty-eight minutes in is the title of the next one. Um, comes from. Oh. <laughs> Leo, uh, <laughs> this is pretty brilliant. Uh, it's by Leo underscore and then the word underscore. Oh, remember? Okay, that's a way around the underscore being dumb. Very clever. Okay, okay. Let me give you a little bit of PCL history, people. Uh, I was complaining about one of our previous episodes where we were 28 minutes in, we hadn't even gotten the good pop, bad pop yet, and I was complaining about people complaining. And so that's the title here. And then we also complained, Jake complained about the underscores in a previous episode. So Leo just goes double down on the underscores, gives us an actual underscore, followed by the actual word underscore. Pretty brilliant here. Um, 28 minutes in and you'll find yourself lost in the banter between the hosts and guests. I guess they get a lot of flack for not getting around to advertise content, but that's the thing I love most about this show. The conversations are natural, genuine, and it makes it easy to connect with the speakers and the topics. If you enjoy the journey, like to laugh, and aren't uptight about your podcast, then this is the one for you. I give it five stars and one big Ric Flair. So that comes from Leo underscore underscore. And uh, I'm guessing that's Leo Bateman. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I bet I you're right. So yeah, Leo Bateman. <laughs> the the woo is probably the uh, Yeah, that's the, big the giveaway. Yeah. That's the big giveaway. Yeah, we met Leo at C2E2. So thank you, Leo, for the iTunes review. Took you long enough. Um, next one. <laughs> next one, it's... Uh, we read we read a, a review from this person a few weeks ago, and they actually gave us a one star, and they came back and have now given us a five star, and um, it's the person that said, here, I'll just read it. It's from JMH85, JMH, PCL is a podcast overflowing with in-depth analysis, constant jokes, and slightly stupid banter. 
Uh, it's a true must listen every week. P.S. The host liked Wrinkle in Time and hated Atomic Blonde. Uh, the co-host is proud to not have ever seen Top Gun. Take that as you will. Atomic Leftovers for Life. And that comes from JMH85. JMH, I don't know if this is a genuine review and if it's how this person feels but uh, I called this person a pusshole multiple times throughout the episode, and they've now, I guess when you call somebody a pusshole a bunch of times, um, you get a five-star review out of it. I don't know if they're trying to show me up here and say, well, f- no, fuck you. Now I understand that you don't like Atomic Blonde and you only liked Wrinkle in Time, so five stars to fuck you or... If I don't know, I don't know what the purpose is of this review, but I think I think it's kind of I don't know, not honest. Yeah, that's a weird like loop to jump through to give someone five stars, right? Yeah. I think you're onto something. Though. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Maybe he just I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. Whatever. I, I you know, yeah, I called you a pusshole. You know, I guess I'm supposed to take that back now or feel bad. Probably, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, next one comes from Tiki Maine, T-I-K-K-I-M-A-Y-N-E, Tiki Maine, Convo with the Bros, five star. This podcast overtook all over podcasts I listen to that's pop culture related because of the conversational nature that the hosts have. Also, because they cuss a lot, and I find that very relatable. Excellent content. Keep up the good work. That comes from Tiki Maine. Man, I love that review. That's a good one. <laughs> I like it too. They cuss a lot. I hate it when people get like. There's an explicit tag, and even at the beginning of the podcast, I'm like warning people we're going to curse a lot, and then people complain about the cursing, Jake. It's like, what do you expect? What's the li- <sighs> like? What do you? You know what you're getting into. Come on. Yeah, we do a very good job of leading you into the f bombs. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's like it's like. I don't know. Somebody tells you they got an STD, and then like a couple months later, you're like, <laughs> "Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Look at that! What are these warts doing all over my dick?" <laughs> we told you. We warned you. You knew what you- this was. <laughs> <laughs> the STD of podcast, apparently. This next one comes from Fake Plastic Groot, and. uh it's titled Five Star Show, One Star Just to Get Attention. And they gave us a one star. Nice. Man, Fake Plastic Groot has to be one of my favorite review names ever, though. Okay. Uh, past that, um, one star to just get attention. So we, this person does think it's a five star podcast, but they give us a one star just to get our. We do a whole fucking section called iTunes Reviews. You have our attention. <laughs> yeah, we'll read them all. Yeah, no matter how many stars, it's it'll have our attention. <laughs> God, it's it's just I don't know. You're hurting the show. It's ridiculous. Just give us an honest fucking score. Fucking silly bullshit. Uh, greetings, dicks. This is Z, a regular listener hailing from Beijing. I love the long format, our rating, and the informative PC coverage of the show. I think the best superhero theme so far is "Beautiful Lie" from. Uh. D-O-G. What, are, uh, what the fuck is that? What? What, what does that even mean? The best superhero oh, I think, theme? Yeah, this is so weird. I think this person is... I think the best superhero theme is so far as Beautiful Life from Dawn of Justice. You put D-O-G. Like, people fucking abbreviate that fucking movie or think of it. <laughs> um, which I believe it's an absolutely underrated, emotional, refreshing masterpiece. 
and get your own podcast. I don't, what is it? How am I reading this? Uh, and just like Blade Runner and Jesus is receiving hate before reverence. Speaking of the misfortune of being underrated, my favorite comic storyline is Spider-Man One More Day. Uh, it was a bummer they didn't use The Handler by Muse in any of Jessica Jones trailers. Jake, I love you, man, but the brainless hate on DC is getting old, so you can chortle my balls. Frank's primitive laughter in the last 30 minutes of episode 194 was glorious and what drew me to the show. I'm thinking of adopting a dog. Um, yeah. Wow, that I, review is so bizarre. It's like a like a French <laughs> film or something. Wait, wait. I'm thinking of adopting a dog is the last line of this review. Yeah, it's intended to be... Hi, I'm I'm eccentric and strange, and my sense of humor appeals to no one. I think is Ugh. like, I think that's the what what fake plastic group was kind of going for here. Hey, it worked! It worked! I hate this review. Um, you nailed it! Wow, terrible! Yeah, after that, after that amazing name, it like careened downhill real fast. Yeah, that's why when you gave it the compliment, I was like, all right, let's uh, back off that a little bit, Jake, because the name is still great. Oh, God. Yeah, fuck that name. Fuck this review. And you got our attention, asshole. There you go. Um, I don't know. I, just, I, don't, know. I, just, I don't think it's cute or funny at all. It's not. I don't know. No, the review is terrible. Terrible. It's like, I, I could barely even understand it. Yeah, no, so. it's, yeah this is a, it's a terrible review, and it sounds like he just sat down and got high and just wrote down whatever came into his head. No, I think this was one that took him a while to get done. I think he probably like looked, I think, you know, he spent a lot of time on this and when he got done, have you ever seen that, like that gif of that kid who's looking at the computer and then he nods and gives the thumbs up. Yeah. That's what this fucking asshole did. That's what happened here. And that's, and that, that sickens me even more. So, um, this next one is titled The Medicine We Need, uh, by Wings on the Bus. And pop, it says, Pop Culture Leftovers saved my life by enabling me to indulge my unhealthy obsession with Marvel movies for hours without harming myself or others. Yes, Brian is awful. Just listen for a couple episodes. He will become the best friend you wish you had. Wow. Aww. Uh, you, <laughs> oh man! Be careful what you wish for, buddy. I'm you. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Stephanie, did you choke on some pretzels? What's going on? Um, I did not, but I was using the mute button to chew on a few. Oh, busted! <laughs> <laughs> Next one comes from uh, Cowie Chris. Uh, it's titled "Share," and it's a five star. Uh, it starts off with a quote from a previous episode. I want to, I want her to kind of smell like Sam Elliott. Uh, this is perhaps the funniest phrase I've ever heard spoken. I'm a huge fan, but was almost ready to jump ship after the hour long drunken rant about the time stone last week, but your poetic waxing about share this week. I'm your Huckleberry for life. So yeah, this, I don't know. This relationship mm. that we've got here, Cowie, is like, it's, it's rocky. I mean, it's like we're on a, we're on a boat and it's getting ready to tip over. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do this week to upset you. 
you might just want to, you just might want to like jump ship now. So I feel like you're just you're kind of a bandwagon fan, right? Like you, you, you know, when things are getting a little heated between me and Jake, and we're going off about time stones and stuff like that, some people get uncomfortable. You know, we we heard what was it? What was her name? Uh, Blockbuster Girl Forty Seven. She doesn't like the she doesn't like the animosity, and she doesn't like the the passion and the anger that we have sometimes when we discuss things. I feel a little bit of the same here with uh, with Cowie. I feel like Cowie. You know, when I'm talking about wanting the nail shared, it's it's uh, it's all good times. But you know, I start you know me and Jake start talking about the time stone for an hour in a drunken rant and then you're ready to ju- what are you thinking jake huh yeah, yeah that's interesting it, it sounds like you at least got her for life with the share talk though so now we're just free to get as crazy and awkward as we want uh, no I, I i say take me as i am you know what i mean i mean there's there's flaws here baby you know <laughs> you know i'm saying i'm saying i'm damaged goods you gotta take me as i am so i don't know if cowie sure. i don't know if cowie's ready to commit I'm just saying, I feel like, I feel like Cowie could be out the door any moment, Jake. And I don't, I don't like that. I can't sleep well at night. You know, like when Cowie's out, you know, with the guys and stuff like that, I can't sleep at night, you know? I I think the trust has been broken. Mm, Just staring at your phone the whole night? No, maybe I'm just taking too much Ambien. Maybe that's it. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what the fuck's going on here. Speaking of Ambien, we've got a tra- we've got a Tracy Ferguson letter coming up here soon. So, oh no, yeah. But anyway, what were you saying, Stephanie? I didn't say that was Rebecca. I think that was me. Yeah, um, that's okay. Stephanie and I often get mistaken for each other all the time. <laughs> um, so, um, I was saying that I what I wanted to say like after that review is like, if you can't handle me at my drunken Doctor Strange uh, tyrant, you don't deserve me at my I want to fuck share. So. That was funnier in my head, apparently, because you guys didn't. No, it was like you had it. No, you had it in the moment, and I kept going. And so, like, when you had to recall the brilliance of whatever the fuck you just said, it came out, like, really, really bad. Like, I know. I'm sorry. I'm ashamed of myself, and I'm just, I'm sorry. Like, embarrassing, borderline, like, like, that would be career-ending. Like, I would not, like, if that was a tweet, yeah. <laughs> I was on Ambien, Brian. I'm really sorry, but I was on Ambien. And, uh, um, yeah. I want to see, like, South Park, like, change Blame Canada to Blame Ambien. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, next one comes from A-S-Q-W-E-R-A-S-D-F-Z-X-C-V, and it's titled, If God Made a Podcast. A long name. <laughs> And it's a five star. Um, when I look at that name, it's almost like Mr. Mr. Pitalik. It's like I can't. I'm trying to pronounce it. It's Asquerade. I think that's how it's pronounced. So, yeah. Anyway. Try saying it backwards. Oh, no. Um, that's not <laughs> happening. Uh, okay. Vixasquerasa. There we go. Boom. Nailed it. Um, wow. I just, no, no, I will not worship Satan, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of that. Okay. Oh, hold on. 24 minutes in, and they still, <laughs> still haven't gotten to the advertised content. Um, uh, this one goes on to say, I was first introduced to you guys by looking up Infinity War reviews, and I saw you guys, and I knew it was love at first sight. I love Brian and Jake's amazing characteristic personalities characteristic personalities jake we got those man 
Oh, I know. We got those in spades. <laughs> we are rocking those. Um, I love Brian and Jake's amazing characteristic personalities, and I love how they go into their reviews and how they make fun of Jake not liking post-credit reviews and how they talk to their own fans and how they actually appear on the show. I also love how long their shows are when I'm doing my homework and listen to them talk about nerd stuff that I love. Thank you guys for making a great podcast and good fortune in the future. By the way, who plays the intro and outro music? I love the theme song so much. Hashtag stop post credit discrimination. So that comes from Ask Where Rad Rats Diffix. And, uh, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, um, the intro and outro music was done by a band they've since started a new band and I can't tell you, I can't remember what the name is, but, uh, the original band is I Love You to Death and they are on Twitter and they are really, Scott is really talented, the lead singer. They are really good, so. Yeah, I love you to death. They did a great job on the theme song, Jake. That was like the theme song. Remember the day? Remember the day when we got the theme song and I sent it to you guys? Oh, it was one of the greatest days of my life. <laughs> yeah, from amazing. some guys, it's the birth of a child, you know? <laughs> I, I don't have any kids. I know. That's what I said. That's why I said some guys, buddy. That's why I said some guys. <laughs> that theme song is my child. That, yeah, exactly. That's my baby. <laughs> Wrap that fucker up in swaddling clothes and rock it to sleep. Put that shit in kindergarten this year. Have it suck my nipple dry. Um, <laughs> that's not can how that works. You get a, a second. What? Can we go back to this iTunes review? You got you guys are. I never left, man. For I'm not a, liking uh, post credit scenes. What's it? What's the question? You guys are making fun of me for not liking post credit scenes. I didn't know that was going on. I like. Uh, <laughs> like Oh yeah, oh, that's what he says in the review, and how they make fun of Jake for not. I don't know if we're making. Fun, I just dis, I vehemently disagree with you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really find it. You guys are making fun of me. <laughs> that was kind of weird. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe just the way we talk to each other sounds like we're making fun of one another. It probably did happen during the conversation. Probably. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, next one. Uh, Jesus Christ, we have a lot of them. Um, uh, the next one comes from Ducket Nine Hundred. And, uh, it's the title, the best podcast. Please shut down all the other ones. That's a, that's a request. Like, shut them all down. I'm, yeah. These guys are awesome. I look forward to listening to them every week while I'm driving to work and while I'm at work. Um, I don't work. No, I'm kidding. Hmm? Doesn't say that. <laughs> wow, what a twist. <laughs> I don't know why I even said that. That was weird. Uh, gosh. Um, these guys are, anyway, I, uh, yeah, I, uh, listening at work and all that shit. I'm thinking about starting a drinking game where you have to drink every time someone says a cuss word or where we have to take a Jake break. Keep it up, fellas. Lots of love from Louisville, Kentucky. So, yeah. I like that. It should be like an entire beer for a Jake break though, right? Cause you're only getting like two or three or five or six of those in episode. <laughs> yeah, because, mm. yeah, like, oh, my gosh, if you, if, you, if you have to, like, take a drink every time we cuss, get ready to have your stomachs pumped. Yay! <laughs> I have liver failure. Yeah. That's, why, that, that, that's why Stephanie eats the pretzels to soak up all the booze. Oh, exactly. 
Mm. <laughs> he knows what's going on. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, this next one is uh, comes from Fizz of the Burn. And it's uh, titled Three Hours of Nerd Rage. And uh, it's a two-star. Uh, and um, if you want to listen to hours of mind-numbing nerd rage and constant complaining, this is the podcast for you. But for me, Pop Culture Leftovers is a toss-it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, guys, hold on, hold on. I think I just felt the fizz of the burn. Oh, uh, mm. uh, it stings, Brian. It stings a little bit. I actually laughed so hard when I read this one. <laughs> I I was so excited when I read this one. I was like, oh, because it was the title is three hours of nerd rage. And so like logically thinking I'm, and this came on May 30th. So I'm like, oh, this guy listened to our solo review because that was around three hours. And apparently like, this this guy must have loved the movie and me and Jake just liked it. We had a lot of complaints about it. And so I like the movie and I don't like the way you guys are talking about my movie. You guys are a toss it. And so like that's the review we get. And I think it's a fair No, I I don't I think it's a fun <laughs> funny rate rating and review. It made me laugh, but I think it's kind of unfair to just like listen to like one podcast and just be like they didn't see eye to eye with me i'm going to give them a low score and just not ever listen to these guys again but then again i wouldn't have got the review either cuz i like this one it's fun yeah that review is hilarious this is kind of solo was kind of the first time we affected like star wars geeks right like the first time we really gave sure. them a lot of low blows yeah cuz we typically you know love star wars everything that's come out the the three movies that we've seen that have come out you know post disney acquisition we've all given tupperwares to so yeah. i mean yeah it's you know, I don't know. Sorry, bud. <laughs> Whatever. We, we've seen we've seen that kind of shit before, where we, t- yeah. we aren't so favorable about oh, a popular yeah. movie, and yeah. it's like, oh, you know, people yeah. get all fucking butthurt about it. Yeah, exactly. It. Exactly. I mean, it's it's one of those things where like they can't talk to us face to face, so like they they're like, well, I'll let them know on the review, you know, and um, <laughs> you know, it's like it's one of those things. Like I feel like if I could like talk to people sometimes face to face, we could kind of like come to an agreement about certain things and they would understand a little bit more but it's i mean they're just listening and, and getting infuriated the entire time they, they didn't like my movie you know <laughs> one of my all-time favorites from the history of our show is the guy that told us that we need to like relax and enjoy life one day at a time and like smell the roses oh, that was actually um that was um that was actually a website comment it was um, somebody got on the website and said, why can't you guys just enjoy these movies for what they are? You should be happy that they're being made. You should just be happy that these movies are being made. And like, <laughs> wow, how is it? No, it's like. This is it's this is not like living life cancer free. This, You know what I mean? This is like. This is movies. Like I'm, yeah, I'm happy for my health. I'm happy for my loved ones. I'm happy that, like, I found out that my grandfather's in the hospital today and he's doing fine now. I'm happy for that. But like, if I don't like Solo, I'm gonna let people know about it. Or if I don't like certain things about certain things, I'm gonna let people know about it. It's it's movie critiquing. I I don't have to apply the same laws of like my personal life to like pop culture. 
fuck off. That's ridiculous. Why even do the podcast at that point? Like every review is going to be the same. Like Mm -hmm. I appreciate Solo for what it was because thank goodness I still wake up in the morning. Thank good. I'm just happy that they're making these. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There could be no no movies, and then how would I feel? Thank you, Netflix, for Punisher season one. I'm just happy they're making them. Yes, thank you for uh, Suicide Squad. Yeah. I have no complaints. Yeah. Thank you, Gareth Edwards. Keep on doing what you're doing. It's, <laughs> it's just silly, man. It's like, it, why Why would, why would, you know, like, uh, that's a dumb comment. Like, if you could, I don't know, whatever. I'm, I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to move on. Yeah. Sorry to bring it. I love that comment. Though. No, that, yeah. yeah. I did, too. actually passionately think yeah. that. 33 minutes in, people. Um, last one. Last one comes from uh, Rem2D. Uh, it's titled Super Great. Five stars. I look forward to listening to you every week. Keep up the excellent work. Mm, short and to the point. Short and to the short point. That's yeah. Good that's, review in there. That's the way to end it right there. That was a, all right, guys. Shit. I don't know. Um, let's. You know what? I got some Tracy Ferguson. We'll do her later. Oh, I said do her later. I'm sorry. Did I just set back the Me Too? Did I set back the Me Too movement? I'm sorry. Uh-oh. I'm very offended, Brian. No, Never hold on. I talk to you again. We're gonna we're gonna get it. Hold on. We'll do this. It's all right. All right. She's back. Tracy Ferguson. Tracy Ferguson. Good old Tracy. Ferguson. I'm playing the bumper. Yeah. Oh, shut the fuck up. Tracy Ferguson. It's a crazy fucking bitch. Tracy Ferguson! It's a crazy fucking bitch! Tracy, you're fucking crazy. Alright, Tracy Ferguson. Hey, what's going on there, Chatty Chatterton? Sorry, I forgot Tracy Ferguson had a bumper. <laughs> She's got one. Um, <laughs> Tracy Ferguson gets on the website, popcultureleftovers.com. Uh, she says, wow, man, pig, you do it again. The way you just gloss over the T.J. Miller sexual harassment is just a sign of your inner man pig nature to torture and degrade women, which shows what type of fuck you are. You gave more fucking time for horse abuse in your last podcast than this. Rape is worse than animal abuse, you fucking pig. I hope you notice the drop-off of your subscribers and you notice more one-star reviews. You continue to test this movement. Jake, I'm so sorry you have to work for a creep like this. I hope he doesn't kick you off for your love of women like he did with Frank Hammer for Loving Wonder Woman. You won't win, man pig. Leave me out of this. It's not like I was talking about all this fucking T.J. Miller shit either. Holy crap. I I gotta (laughs) wait. Wait, then she says you kicked off Frank because he loved he loved Wonder Woman. Well, first off, Frank's never been kicked off the show. That's not even true. And Frank actually wasn't a fan of like the look of Gal Gadot when she was in the initial marketing with the wig and everything. And and uh, we all gave Wonder Woman a Tupperware, as I remember. Um, And I. In the, we were doing a Deadpool 2 podcast, and I mentioned T.J. Miller and the sexual harassment. I wasn't doing a T.J. Miller sexual harassment podcast, and <laughs> I do remember that I said that they should do an investigation and find out if he is. Honestly, I think that this Tracy Ferguson is 
I think it's probably, I don't even think it's a person named Tracy Ferguson or Melissa Cook, whoever is sending this. I think it's someone trolling us. And oh, this uh, this one proves it's a troll, yeah. right? Like yeah. now, mm-hmm. now we like the first time it's like, well, maybe they didn't hear sure. right, but now it's obvious that they're just creating facts. No, the, I, the first one I was honestly thinking that it was it was somebody trying to troll us that didn't listen to the episode because they just saw that we talked about it in the in the comments of the episode. That's I said that we talk about the Jodie Foster stuff. So if you want to come to the conclusion, like just because we're comic book people, um, that we would just like bash on Jodie Foster the entire time, that's an easy conclusion to come to. So of course you would write what this idiot wrote. Um, and then, I don't know. It's like, it's like, and like whoever this is, it's just, it's, it, you're just a, it's really fucked up and sad. Like, even if, if it's real, that's fucked up because like none of your saying what, what you're saying is true. And if it's not true, like the way you're trying to get attention is just so bizarre. And yeah, I'm going to exploit it all fucking day on this show. I'll make a bumper about it. I'm not going to take the high road on this shit. Absolutely. Fuck that. Like people are like, take the high road. Don't even know. No, if she's going to put herself out there like an idiot, she or he, uh, I'm definitely going to take the time to have fun with this because we're trying to entertain people. And we all know that this person's like out of their mind and crazy. It's just like, it happened at like my, like the first Tracy Ferguson, message was like literally like days after my dog had passed away and then I you know so I was like that was horrible and then I get this message and then then I like hurt myself and then have to go to surgery and then I turn 40 and then it's like all these things piling on it's like to just go out of your way and attack somebody and call them a pig and and it's it's just it's really kind of I I think whoever is doing this, I, your mental health is the most important thing. Okay. <laughs> and no, I, this is no, it's like substance abuse, mental health. It's, it's no laughing matter. And so it, it's clear that this person is suffering from like both like mental health ailments and substance abuse. So if, if you, I don't know, if any of our listeners are like Tracy and, and you have nothing better to do than like point out incorrect critiques about a beloved podcaster that everyone loves. Um, yeah, I'm talking, I'm kidding. Um, I, I urge you to call the substance abuse and mental health services administration hotline and you can, um, call them. It's, uh, S A M H S A. And you can call them at 1-877-726-4727. That's 1-877-SAMHSA7. So uh, hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern, and they'll connect you to a live person. So, Tracy, I hope you give them a phone call. Hope everything's okay on your end. And anybody else who needs any help, make sure to give them a call. So, all right, guys. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, tr- what a troll! I'm glad I talked during her uh, bumper now. Yeah, uh, let's see, you guys ready to move on to good? But I don't know. It's, it's 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 ridiculous. She's out of her fucking mind. You're fucking crazy. Call the number. Um, let's see here. Uh, it's time for good pop, bad pop. It's time for more leftover reviews with good pop, bad pop. Everybody gets so fucking uncomfortable when I start doing that shit. It's like, come on, knock it off. Who's that? Everybody. It's like, oh my god, he's talking about talking about mental health. He's talking about this crazy. Everybody gets so uncomfortable. It's like, oh god.
<laughs> it's just such a weird way to entertain yourself. Like, I just can't even put myself in the mind of, yeah. this is what I'm going to do right. to fuck with someone, and yeah. this is what I'm going to do to have my shits and giggles. Yeah. Yeah, this is... Uh... I don't know. Find some, yeah, find something more constructive to do. Find another way to get people to pay attention to you. I don't know. Be interesting. Um, yeah, good pop, bad pop is where we talk about, um, the things, see, and I'm all flustered. I uh, think we talk about the things, uh, that we watched or read, whatever, and, uh, we rate these, that we rate this shit. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. All right, see here. I uh, I want to talk about a few things here real quick. Um, I Just real quick. I finished uh, Shit's Creek Season 4 on the Pop Network, and uh, that's the show with you. Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hare, Chris Elliott, and Dan Levy, uh, Eugene's son. And season four, another fantastic season. So I don't know if it's been greenlit for a fifth season, but it's an absolute Tupperware. I love this show. If you haven't started it, I highly recommend it. If you love Chris Elliott, you'll love it. If you love like Eugene Levy and the stuff that he's done with, you know, SCTV in the past and National Lampoons and, um, yeah, that first movie and then, um, you know, uh, the American Pie stuff. You'll absolutely love this. It's just brilliant. And just seeing him and Catherine O'Hare back together again is just, it's amazing. It's a great show. So I Tupperware season four of Shit's Creek. It's so good. Um, Megalobox, I followed up on the anime. And remember, I kind of, I think I just tasted the first two episodes. Yeah, you thought it kind of was a little bit too fantastical for a boxing show. Well, yeah. I mean, they were using this gear to strap onto their backs and fight each other. And, I, you know, and so I just, I was kind of like, I don't know. I wasn't too into it. So I said, I'm going to stick with it. I was told it was good. I'm going to stick with it. And I've gotten through episode six. Uh, I hit episode four. I love this anime. It is fantastic. It is a Tupperware. I'm going to continue with it. So I'm six episodes in and it is just, it's engaging. Um, the character development is fantastic. Like they don't just stop with like your main character of Joe. Um, gearless Joe is what they call him. Um, I just gave away a huge spoiler. Um, fuck. <laughs> um, I just, I realized it when I said it, but fuck it, whatever. Um, but yeah, they, um, they don't just get into his backstory, but they also get into his trainer's backstory. And they also get into the backstory of the other fighters within the show. And it is, it is fantastic. This is a, a Tupperware all the way. Um, I was watching this one on Crunchyroll, I believe. So I highly recommend Megalobox. It is an absolute Tupperware. Nice. And this, so it's subbed since you're watching it on Crunchyroll then, huh? Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I uh, Humans, season three. Uh, am I the only one that's watching Humans on AMC? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not either. Me either. Shame on all of you. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Human season three, uh, on AMC premieres June 7th. Um, and, uh, I've watched the first two episodes. I'm kind of, I'm embargoed on spoilers, but, um, I can tell you a little bit about the show and then kind of give you my thoughts on it. But, um, if you've been watching humans, it's, 
I don't know. I, it, it, there's comparisons to Westworld. I mean, because you are dealing with robots. They call them synths. And basically synths are kind of like uh, robots that live within the home and they act as like servants within the home and they and they take care of things. Some people use them as servants. Some people use them for sex. Um, I mean, but there's, uh, there's a moment where some of them start to have their own thoughts and start to become sentient. And that's kind of like where we are in season three. So season three, at the end of season two, um, the consciousness code was released and that's, it's one year after the consciousness code was uploaded into all the synths. And so now there's other things happening that are leading to other events that could be really destructive. And so, of course, Siths are wanting equal rights. Humans are not wanting to give them equal rights. There are some people that are fighting for those rights. Um, but the people that are fighting for those rights, most of the humans are against them, thinking that they're sticking up for the synthetic robots, um, synth, synth sympathizers or whatever. Um, Gemma Chan is back in the series, of course, and um, the family that was in the first two seasons, they're back. Um, they have these new synths that have been created post. Um, day zero is what they're calling it, the day that they uploaded the code that gave them sentience. Uh, but these new synths have orange eyes and they're the safe synths. And so <laughs> there's, there's the green eyed synths, which are the older models that people are worried that can harm you. And so there's a scene, like there's a scene of like an instructor at a grade school and he's talking to children at the grade school about synth safety. And he's saying like, all right, guys, orange eyes are safe, but when, what do you, what do you, what, what do you do when you see the green eyes? And the kids go, steer clear. So it's like these little, <laughs> teaching the kids the difference between it. What were you going to say, Steph? Nothing. Well, don't start it then. <laughs> sorry, no, sorry. That was it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You're fine. You're fine. Um, <laughs> I was like, Brian, are you going to say something mean? Yes. Yes, you can't. <laughs> you can't stop yourself. <laughs> but Stephanie's so sweet. Ah, fuck it. Um, <laughs> I can really hear the Westworld comparisons just in your description of the show. There's a lot of... Yeah, there's a lot of Westworld and there's a lot of like X-Men too, like with the civil rights stuff. Um, mm. you know, cause like they're getting into that and like Westworld hasn't even kind of like really touched on, on that yet cause it's still kind of contained within the park. But, um, I mean, even in the new intro for season three, like there's, you know, of course they got the same music, which I love. I love that fucking theme song. It's so good. But, um, They've got like in the world now. There's like propaganda posters that say "Green Eyes, Steer Clear," and um, I watched the first two episodes. I'm not going to give you any spoilers past like that. That's just basic stuff. But um, it's it's really good. We're in for another great season um, this year. It 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 looks like it's shaping up to be a really good season. So um, I Tupperware. Tupperware the first episode, and um, I was gonna high taste the second episode up until around the end, and it just it picked up. It's this show is so fantastic. So like, if if, if you've tried Westworld and it doesn't do it for you, and you but you do 
think that this is an interesting story of you know sentience with uh, artificial intelligence. Humans might be the show for you to watch because this is really good. And Gemma Chan is fantastic in this. They get these beautiful fucking models to play these robots that just have like perfect symmetrical faces, and they just they and their movements. It's like they have. I guarantee they got to go through like some like robotics like. Uh, movement class because like they all move in a certain way it's really kind of cool just uh to watch these actors and there's a, a returning child robot that uh in this season that he's going to a human school and he's learning as a human child and like i don't know it's 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 such a fascinating fucking show um so i highly recommend it if you've never seen it but yeah human season three check it out tuesday june 7th um, do you guys want to talk about Rebecca? I know you've seen it. Upgrade. Yes, I did see Upgrade. Yeah, Upgrade, the new movie. Anybody else seen Upgrade? I, I did not, but I'm very excited to hear what you guys thought. Stephanie, I saw it. You saw it? Oh, awesome! All right, so three of us have seen it. That's fantastic. Uh, set in the near future, technology controls nearly all aspects of life, but when Gray, a self-identified technophobe, has his world turned upside down, his only hope for revenge is an experimental computer chip implant called STEM. Uh, I found out that the film was originally titled STEM at one time, and then they changed it to Upgrade. Uh, it's written and directed by um, Australian Lee Wanell, and he's acted in films before. He was in Saw, Insidious, but um, Upgrade and Insidious 3 are his only directorial um, duties as far as I saw on his uh, IMDb. It stars uh, Logan Marshall Green as Gray Trace, and a lot of other people that I've really never seen in anything. But, um, Rebecca, what were your thoughts on this, and uh, how would you rate it? Did I did I go over the rating system? Yeah, I did. Did I? I think you played the bumper. I think I did, too. Whatever. It's a uh, toss it if we hate it, um, taste it if we like it, and if we love it, it's Tupperware. But anyway, what did you think about Upgrade? Yeah, I was really excited to see this movie. Um, I'd been following it for a little while. Um, when you had mentioned you were going to see it, I, I thought, wow, that's a great, great opportunity for me to, you know, see it opening night as well. Um, I, I just, I loved this movie. I loved it a lot. Like it's, you know, I'm a sucker for sci-fi. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite genres and this had everything I loved about science fiction and it had, you know, so it's got, questions about uh robot sentience it's got questions about um ai it's got questions about tech how far is too far how much technology is too much technology um all, all that good stuff and then it had this element of like hyper violence which it, yeah. it just fit like <laughs> weirdly fit into this sci-fi movie and uh, i i tupperware it i had so much fun I thought the writing was amazing. I thought the comedy was so well placed. I thought uh, the, the the lead actor Logan Marshall Green was incredible. Uh, but yeah, I, I tough wear the movie. Stephanie, what did you think? Um, I enjoyed it. What I what I liked about the movie was I can always I'm always really scared. I don't know if scared is the right word about movies that that show the future in a way that seem super realistic in a way that I could probably see um, how the future would be for us maybe in like the next hundred years. And so I was able to put context to that. It seemed very realistic, if that's what I want to say. Um, it was super violent. Um, so I spent those parts of the movie with my face buried in my knees, but like 
other than that, like breaking bones and stuff, I can't really do that. But um, it was really good. I think I give it a high taste. And I think the reason I would give it a high taste is because throughout the movie, even though I only, I only watched it one time, I felt as though this is how a movie like this should go. Like all the steps seem very logical. There weren't any big twists and turns for me or things that caught me off guard until the end. And so, because that's what made it a high taste, it otherwise it would have been a taste it. But it was, I thought it was really well done. I thought it was written well. I loved the editing. Um, and although it wasn't very, um, it wasn't, a, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a very long movie, but I felt like it told the story very well. Um, and I always appreciate that. I, I, I always appreciate when a movie can tell a pretty complex story without making the movie three hours. And I felt that this did a good job of that. So I give it a high taste it. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. I, when I was watching, it felt tonally like a throwback to like hyper violent films that we loved in the late eighties, early nineties, like RoboCop, um, you know, the crow. And, but then it also, which I love, like, cause I grew up on that, but then it also mixed in modern elements from like black mirror. And mm-hmm. it felt like you, if you take like the, RoboCop, the the vengeance story of the crow, and mix it with a Black Mirror episode. That's what you get here. This, for me, my personal experience watching this, this is a damn near perfect movie. Like I, I fucking loved this every minute of this movie. It was. I I was from the minute the movie started, I was just engaged, and the pacing is perfect. Mm-hmm. It's it's an mm-hmm. hour and thirty five minutes, and like if anyone tells you that the pacing is bad in this movie, they're out of their minds. Like it moves once the story starts, it moves, and um, so basically in this in in the movie, you've got uh, this guy Gray uh, and his wife. They're assaulted by these hitmen and gray after they're assaulted is left paralyzed uh he's a quadriplegic and then his wife is actually killed in this meeting and then a guy that gray had sold a, a car to a classic car to um is what he's actually one of the greatest computer programmers of the uh, in this time and he gets him to undergo like this operation where they use this tech called stem to basically fill in the gaps in his body that's that's made him a quadriplegic so it's like his brain now can communicate um with with his body and um his spine and all the synapses are filled um I, I'm, I don't know how it all works but like I mean, that's basically what it does. It's like it fixes his body and, and, and reprograms his brain to like now work with his body that doesn't work. And the stem system is like this AI that talks to him. It talks to Gray like, like Kit talks to Michael Knight in, in, in Knight Rider. And, and it can take over his body when Gray gives it permission. And when he gives it permission to take over, it just can kick ass and it can just like systematically kick ass with any opponent it's thrown in front of. It's, 
it can like sense their moves. It can like, it can like listen to their voice and tell if like they're telling the truth. Like there's a part where like he's getting questioned by the police and it's telling him to like look the officer in the eye because if he doesn't, she'll get suspicious. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's so fucking cool. The vengeance in the film feels like the crow. Um, and I loved the voice of STEM. It's very like, Hal from like 2001 A Space Odyssey and I don't know and the the the, the voice actor of STEM was uh, Simon Maiden and I've never seen him in anything else before but like his performance is like so good for a character that's like never seen on the screen and just has a voice he's just a huge part of the story and the movie doesn't work without his performance like this is a damn near perfect movie for me. I love this. That's awesome, Brian. I, I glad you, I, I had pretty much the same experience that, that, that you did. And Stephanie, you said something really interesting about how one of the things you don't like is when like the future see, like when it, when a, a future is portrayed in a movie and it seems like it's, it's too real, it's too attainable. That's one of the things that I love. Like I love seeing science fiction movies where the future, um, it's like just enough advance that I believe it could happen. Like I was so glad that this movie did not have like flying cars and spaceships. Like it's like, all right, it's not that far in the future. And it's like that that's been done a million times. Excuse me. I love that. Like, the cars could drive themselves. Yeah. Because we, we, they, they're you, they're experimenting with that technology now. Yeah. I was just listening to Joe Rogan today and he's saying, yeah, they're close. They're so close. Exactly. Like even yeah. he, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Stephanie. No, 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 no you go ahead. God, I'm so sorry. We're gonna be doing uh, this a lot. Sorry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we, I was even thinking, like, like here where I live in, in New York City, we have uh, subway trains that some of them are automated, and they only have a person like in case of an emergency. But otherwise, the train functions on its own. Like it, like. It, it, it leaves the station, it stops in the station, etc. So it's like that future is not that far ahead. The whole idea of STEM, of like using this little nano chip that they implant in him and it acts like a bridge between his brain and his body, that's not that far-fetched. And like for me, that's what I love about science fiction when it yeah. seems attainable. It just it blows my mind. Well, you're, I love you're, that, Rebecca. You're you're a Star Trek fan, and like half you're of the Star Trek half fan, of the yeah. things that Gene Roddenberry came up with were using now. I mean, it, iPads, cell phone technology, Bluetooth, all, all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I, I I know that they're like experimenting with it, but they're like I don't know a million years from it. But there are scientists who have a dream of even perfecting transporter technology. Not that I know if I would try it, but I mean. <laughs> The ideas are there and they're attainable. I mean, yeah, that that's what I love about science fiction and that's what I loved about this movie. Um I yeah, everything about this movie was so good. When Stem spoke for the first mm. time. Yeah. Oh god. And, <laughs> and the 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 character Gray is like Who's there? Hello? And he's like, hello? Like, and the audience was like, this lady next to me, she was hilarious because when he spoke for the first time, she was like, oh shit, it talks! Like, Mm -hmm. it was like the perfect reaction. Yeah, I, uh, didn't the lead actor, I, I kept thinking he looked like Tom Hardy. Oh, he totally looks like Tom Hardy. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Like, Uh, 
Yeah, he totally looks like Tom Hardy. He's I he was fantastic in this. Like if 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 I wouldn't even like before this, I would have looked at him and oh, there's poor man's Tom Hardy. But like now, he's really made a name for himself in this. I believe. Like, you know, I I agree. Like even like his movements, like when he's when Stem takes over and he's a little like 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 jerky walking. Yeah. Um, I was like really impressed at the actor's ability. <sighs> Like, I'm sure some of that was CGI, obviously, especially, like, all the fight scenes. That's all, like, sped up. And the whatever, way the camera moved. The cinematographer. Loved it. It was amazing. It. The way, the way, once Stem took over his movements, there is a, a switch in the way he moves and the way he fights. And mm-hmm. it, and it, and it turns it into a different experience for the viewer. And I really appreciated that. It was so amazing. I loved it. Yeah. I was I, waiting for, um, I was kind of waiting for him to kind of fall out of that and maybe to catch spots where his movements weren't as robotic, but he was so good at staying in character for those moments when Stem was taking over. It was really well done. He was good. At, yeah. and he, he was excellent in this. Yeah. I loved the, even, the, even the fact that they got just like the, um, the villain, the vil- the main villain i you hate him from the get go because he looks like he looks like every guy you've ever seen on a sexual predator website you know he just yep. right and so you yes, automatically you automatically hate him just because of the way he looks he looks like that guy um the i loved his mother in this movie they didn't even have to include the character but they did i loved her in this movie and how she was there for him after the accident because you've got all this technology in his home that's been made tailor made to take care of him uh he's got hands robotic arms that will make him protein shakes things that will put him in bed his chair that will move him around everything in the home is like set up to take care of him after he's paralyzed but he doesn't have you can't get the comfort from any of that it's cold it's just cold robotics and his mom was there for him and i just thought that that was just like something that that um lee winnell like didn't have to put in the movie he could have kept it like this real cold robotic movie but he gave us those moments of like tenderness and love from his mother and i thought that that was just so cool i absolutely loved that and um just the scene of him crying with his mother after it happened too oh god yeah yeah and I loved that. Um, the tech in this movie is fantastic. I love just seeing like, you know, just the home of the future and, um, you know, like the, just the, the table where they can prepare the food is also like a, um, a touch screen and it's, it can, and you can check your messages on, uh, on your, end tables and stuff. I was just like, what the hell? This is, this is, this is so, Amazing. Lee Winnell made a great movie here. Like, I cannot wait to see what's in store for this director in the future. This was like, you're talking, like, we're talking about like these great action directors like David Leach and, um, you know, um, uh, Chad Stahelski, uh, Tim Miller from Deadpool. Um, I'm saying Lee Winnell definitely needs to be kind of like in that category too after watching. Uh, upgrade. This is, this is for me, like, and I watch a lot of movies and for me, like, if you are a big fan of nostalgia, like Robocop or The Crow, like, you know, like those, those movies. And then if you love Black Mirror, you just take that shit, throw it in a blender. You've got upgrade and this, this is a damn near perfect 
movie for me, like my experiences as a moviegoer. I loved it, so. Did you rate it, Brian? Tupperware. Tupperware. Yeah, you do? Yeah. Yeah, it's a Tupperware. I, 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 I swear I am not going to spoil the twist at the end because I thought the twist was perfect. Like, Stephanie, you, you mentioned it briefly before that that was what put you over the edge from a taste it to a high taste it. Um, when the twist happens, you know, and I watch a lot of sci-fi and I, I was really surprised. I was really surprised at it. I yeah. was pleasantly surprised. I loved the twist and, um, because you really don't expect it. And I just really loved it. And like that, that first, that first scene where he kills that, that first guy with the knife. Oh, yeah. Oh, my <laughs> that was incredible. <laughs> it was like, I think they, I think that was in the, tr- was it in the trailer? Maybe it was like in the red band trailer. I mean, this, this movie's definitely a hard R for that violence. I mean, yeah, yeah this is not the movie to bring your kids to. Like, this is a hard R for that violent stuff. And I just, oh, I, I love this movie. Go see it. Like yeah. if you're a fan yeah. of sci-fi, if you're a fan of that hyper violence, uh, go see this movie. I, I guarantee you're going to have a good time. The dumbest thing that I saw in the movie that like took me out of it for a moment was the sneeze. Oh, uh, with yeah, the that, micro things, yeah. That, that, that was stupid. I was like, I, 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 you can leave that out. Like, 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 if I had one complaint, it was the fucking sneeze. Like, come on. I don't know. I don't know. So, but yeah, it's a, this is a, this is a Tupperware all the way for me. So I absolutely loved it. Um, Jake, we haven't heard anything from you. Um, so no, I, sorry, I'm listening. I'm, no, 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 no. It's really good. Yeah. I was just going to ask what you had for Good Pop, Bad Pop, but... <laughs> oh, I, I, I'll talk about the upgrade stuff a little bit. It, yeah. I was, like, getting a little bit of a Total Recall vibe from you guys, too. Like, I always think of that as, like, kind of the quintessential 90s science fiction uber-violence movie, you know? Yeah, 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 definitely. I would put it, you know, yeah, you're looking at, like, RoboCop and, and Total Recall. Absolutely. As far as, like, the violence is concerned, I would throw it, definitely throw it in there. And I was kind of curious more about Stephanie's thoughts about it. She seemed like the violence was a little bit too much. Yeah, I mean, it was it was de- it was definitely violent. I think for me, what took me out of it not uh, taking me out of it's not the right way to say it, but I think for me, sometimes violence just for the sake of violence doesn't really do it for me. I'm not. I can be squeamish, but you know, I'm a big girl. Like I can take it or whatever. But yeah, um, it's just sometimes I felt some of the scenes were violent just for the sake of being violent. Not overly so, but. I'm just like, okay, we get it. You're killing the guy. Like, it, yeah, it was just a little bit much. And then like, yeah, I guess it's, I think that for me was just a little bit it much. It was really well done. Um, and none of the violence or none of the, none of it. Sometimes you watch something that's uber violent and you're like, this doesn't even look real or this blood looks fake or this wound looks super, um, special effects ish, but it didn't, it didn't have that vibe too. It was just some of the, some of the kill scenes, um, where he was kind of on fighting and attacking. They just seemed to go on a little bit longer for me than they needed to. Oh, Stephanie, do not watch the raid movies, Ben. <laughs> okay. I, I'm warning, cause like I am a huge fan of the raid films. And this is basically like, this is the raid with kid gloves. Like this is, the raid is super, super violent. So yeah, I would say, I would stay away from the raid if you thought that this was violent. <laughs> okay, fair enough. 
I don't know. I, I, I'm intrigued to see this movie, though, now. I mean, you and both Brian and Rebecca made it seem like there really was a lot of good, like, heavy science fiction in here mixed with all the all the violence, which really intrigues me. I, I too, like that kind of science fiction that's, yeah. like, one step away from what could possibly happen. You know, like, The Stand is one of my favorite stories and just kind of that you know, it's not too far-fetched that we could actually be in this fucked-up situation type of story. So, yeah, that sounds good. Rebecca is 100% right that the twist is is brilliant. Um, and I felt like, Jake, if you love Black Mirror and you love action, you're going to love this movie. And, I I mean, it, it all comes down to everybody being involved in the project. Like, Lee Winnell is, like, a guy that I'm, I'm going to be watching. Like, this guy is, like... What a fantastic director and the way he films action and, and, um, I don't know. And the pacing was just fantastic in this movie. Like I felt like even though I was getting an hour and a half, I felt like it was well deserved. Like the price of the ticket is well deserved for everybody going to see this movie. So yeah, sometimes I love a good fucking 90 minute movie. That's like yeah. what the doctor ordered a lot of times. Um, you know what? I, I would agree with you hundred percent, Brian, on this. Like I, the, the pacing is 100% perfect because yeah. One of the things about sci-fi is that sometimes it can, like, trip over its own feet and get really, like, long into explanations and exposition, etc. And then by, by the time, you know, you get past the sci-fi and you get to the next action scene, you're like, oh, when is this over? Um, but this movie doesn't do that. Like, the science of it is very quickly and simply explained because it's not that far-fetched. You, you can do that. And you get right into the action and I felt like it was just oh god it was such a good movie yeah yeah I, I, I like just setting up the characters from the beginning like this guy like the difference between him and his girlfriend is really cool too like his girlfriend works for like a big kind of like tech company and here we have this guy who's kind of like he's a guy who kind of just stays home works in the garage works on classic cars and works with his hands like if I had to imagine him having a phone it would be a flip phone you know what i mean it's just like he's he's not connected like apparently in this world people have cyber like what would you call it like cybernetics like built into their body they have like robotics built into their body um and so like not a lot of people are pure in this world they a lot of people have had like these upgrades done to them um the villains so much so that they actually have like shotguns built into their arms which was cool oh nice that was so badass you see yes in his arm and he like loads it through this port and then he like Brings his arm back like, yeah. I was like, oh my Jake. god! Basically, like, give me a shotgun arm. These guys are loading like these shells into their arms and snap. I, I know it sounds silly, but they're snapping their elbows and that's cocking the gun. It's 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 fucking amazing when you watch it, though. It is really kind of impressive, like the thought and imagination that went into this, man. It was this is this is a good this is just a I think it's going to get be unfortunately kind of like a movie that's overlooked. Um, it doesn't have a huge budget. I think maybe like 20 million or something like that. Not a huge budget. I could be wrong. But um, I'm hoping it makes yeah. its money back, and I, I hope this director. Um, I hope it makes. I hope it makes a big profit. And I hope this director. We get to see this director um, do do some other things in the future. Yeah, this probably would have been better served as like a late August release, right, or like September or something. Not right in the mix of all the Infinity War, Deadpool two solo. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's weird. It, it's it's so weird because like this summer feels like the summer where um, animated movies are going to do huge because there's not a lot of animated movies coming out. You know, like we've yeah, got Incredibles we, 2, Incredibles 2 and Hotel Transylvania 3 or 4 or 5 or whatever the fuck it is. Like that, <laughs> those are your choices right now for animated films. So like even though like Hotel Transylvania 4, 5, 6, whatever the fuck it is, 18 looks terrible, it's probably going to do damn well in the box office because parents are going to want to like take their kids to go see an animated movie. But you've got so many other choices right now when it comes to like the adults. Like if you want to go see an R-rated action film you can go see Deadpool 2 right now if you want to see you know like a space thing you can go see Solo or and we got Jurassic Park coming out shortly so it's like I feel like it's unfortunate like I feel like movies like Upgrade um, is going to get lost in the mix I feel like Oceans 8 could get lost in the mix that people might not be like oh let's not go see a heist movie this summer let's let's wait until Jurassic Park comes out in a couple weeks so, you know, it's like, I want to see some of these movies do really, really well, but like, Jake, like, why can't they be coming out in like September, right? Yeah, yeah, it's all in the release, man. You make great points with the animated movie thing. I mean, they really should look at that. And in today's day and age, it's no big deal if you say, okay, this movie's coming out. Then now, like, you can use a, a date movement to publicize your movie more. Yeah. Yeah. I, they should definitely, I don't know, I, I really don't know why some of these movies solo should have been moved to december man it really should have it yeah. really should have this feels like a big whiff as far as just the release date factor yeah. like someone screwed the pooch there yeah you've got movies like the maze runner coming out in september and doing gangbusters in the box office why because they released it in september you release that movie in may it gets buried it gets buried yeah. Totally agree. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Uh, I mean, this movie will probably be on like VOD probably in two months. The way it's going to get buried by these other blockbusters. Oh, hope not. I'm going to have to check Box Office Mojo see how it's doing. I hope it's doing well. 86 percent, I believe, on Rotten Tomatoes. And last time I checked, it had a 100 percent score for the viewers. So people are loving this movie, which is great. But um, yeah, it's got a hot trailer and hopefully word of mouth does its job yeah yeah but i mean you're competing against the jurassic worlds the solos the deadpools the infinity war i mean it's like oh man it's so yeah i mean and i think the biggest one that's hurting it right now is deadpool like if you want to go see that r-rated action movie you're gonna go see deadpool 2 first and if you could only see one movie you're not going to see upgrade yeah, and that makes sense. I can't blame anyone for right. wanting to see Deadpool too as their number one R-rated, you know, action movie. But I'm telling you, if you're listening to this, um, watch Upgrade in the theater, and um, you know, four months from now, and everybody is talking about it, and you can be like, "Yeah, I saw it in the theater, and it was an amazing experience because it was for me, and it was fantastic." And my crowd really got into it. Like I know Rebecca, like when the. I, for me, when the action gets hyper violent like that, I can separate it. Like it's not real, and I'm laughing like, and I'm going, "Woo! Oh my god!" You know, like, yeah. like my theater was kind of erupting when these things were happening. Like when he first was taken over by STEM, and it was kind of like a a really fun interactive theater experience. Uh, you know, watching this guy, be, and, and and it's and and he's interacting with um, STEM, and it can get, and it can 
happen in a comedic way too. Like even though it's like super hyper violent, like some of these things that are happening are funny, you know. So, uh-huh. whew, man, loved, loved, loved this movie. Jake, what do you got for good pop, bad pop? Brian, I um I took your advice a few episodes ago, and actually when we wrapped our solo episode last week, I went and saw A Quiet Place in the theater before it finally uh, left. Oh, uh, Jake. Is- I knew you did. I knew you did. And I could give you a hug right now. Oh my God. Um, has Rebecca, you've seen a quiet place, correct? Yes, I did. I was a big girl and I went and I saw it <laughs> with someone who had already seen it so they could tell me when to cover my eyes. Stephanie, is, <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, is this one that you snoozed on? I actually watched it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Jake, what was, how was your experience uh, with a quiet place? Right. Well, full disclosure, the day before we did our solo podcast, I got a free month trial for MoviePass, and I just had actually received my actual card. So we we wrapped on Saturday. I was like, that thing was burning a hole in my pocket to use it for the first time. And I looked at the movie movies, and I was like, holy shit, A Quiet Place is out. Brian said, see this before it's gone. I kind of felt like it was maybe the last week I even had to see it. So 1030 on a Saturday night, I assumed there'd be no one in the theater, too, for a horror movie. And, man, I did it. And it was me and Michelle and I think one other couple in the theater when we went and saw it. So it was the the perfect atmosphere for this kind of thing. Um, Right out the gate, I'm going to say I'm going to Tupperware this. This is the John Krasinski, most known for being Jim on The Office, uh, written and directed horror movie. Um, And his wife, Emily Blunt, is also in it. And wow, yeah, this was just amazing. I was blown away by this movie. I, I thank you for not spoiling too much of what was going to happen. Um, speaking of pacing, I thought this was an incredibly paced movie. Um, that perfect 90-minute runtime. Within the first 10 minutes, the movie does a good job of letting you know that all bets are off and anything could happen. And man, I, this was just incredible. Like, the suspense was fantastic. I, I thought... Like, I was, if I was gonna nitpick it, like, the creatures weren't the most amazing looking thing, but like, eh, it's not even that big of a deal. That's not really the point of it. They, they were not distracting. Like, I, I, I wasn't laughing at the creatures, but they weren't necessarily scary. It was more of the atmospheric scare than the actual yeah. visual scare. But that's fine. That's exactly what the movie was trying to achieve. Hey, PG-13. PG-13 yeah. film as well, so. Um, man, just super brilliant. I'm super excited to see more movies from, from John Krasinski. I don't know if he's got more horror movies up his sleeve or anything else, but wow, I didn't know he had this kind of talent in him. Just the things he does with <laughs> the sound effects and the lack of yeah. sound effects is just unreal. Uh, so, One of the most inventive horror movies I've seen in a long time. So two two comedy guys uh, making horror movies, Jordan Peele, John Krasinski. Right? Yeah. Wow. They've got all this <laughs> pent up rage inside of them, right? <laughs> Dude, uh, Stephanie, what did, I mean, I don't want to, I'm so glad that you saw this, Jake, but Stephanie, what were your thoughts on a, a Quiet Place? I really enjoyed it. There was, um, what I appreciated about the movie was right from Jump Street, um, you, you, you recognize the threat that these monsters, that these, that these monsters pose. I, I completely agree with Jake that they weren't the scariest thing, but what was scary to me about them, what made them scary was not their appearance, was at how quickly that they can kill you. So if you, once you realize that you've made a sound, like you have seconds and you might not even have multiple seconds, you may have one or two and then you're just gone. And so from that first incident that happens that they show, I don't want to give it away from everybody who hasn't seen it. Um, 
I, I just, it had me on the edge of my seat. I just wasn't entirely sure um, what to do. I almost didn't want to make a sound in the theater. Like it was that tense for me. I thought it was great. I would Tupperware it all day. It was a great movie. Rebecca. Yeah, I I also talk for wear it. Um, I I'm not a fan of like you you guys know I'm a I'm a big scaredy cat. I don't like um, horror and I don't like jump scares. And that was kind of what was keeping me from seeing this movie. Hence why I went to go see it with my sister Janine, who is not afraid of those stuff. And so um, she and she she loved the movie as well. But um, I. I love, I love movies where like there's a threat and it's like, we don't really know how this happened, but it happened and now we're just in the middle of it. And we've got to kind of figure out how to survive it. And that's exactly like what was going on here. Like the, the monsters were never like, it, there was never this long exposition scene of like how they came here and what happened, et cetera. Everybody's just trying to survive. Um, I, I I agree with Stephanie from the from the opening part of the movie. You knew that this this was going to have real stakes, and I love that. Um, I loved how much sign language was in the movie. Um, I thought that was brilliant. I love the actress, the actress who played their daughter, who is deaf in real life. Um, I thought, I mean, just amazing. Um, it was, it's such a good movie. Like, and I. I I won't give it away, but I love the ending and I, I love, I just, I love everything about this movie. And I also was afraid to make a sound. I sat there with my <laughs> hand over my mouth the entire movie because I was like, I can't make a sound. Like the, the movie really affects you to that degree. It's like, it's like going to see March of the Penguins and halfway through you go, Oh, I'm kind of cold. I got to put a sweater on. Like <laughs> it has the same effect on you, which is, uh, it's, it's just brilliant. I, I loved the movie. And yeah, I would agree if you can still see it in the theater, do it. It's worth it. Oh my god, it's hot. That's, it's hot as fuck here. Maybe I should play March of the Penguins. Yeah. <laughs> Can I That's funny. Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. No, go ahead. I, I was curious about Brian's experience. So, um, both Rebecca and Stephanie spoke on how they couldn't, they didn't speak, even though there was no one in the theater. Like, did this work on a full crowd like that? Did you see this with a? With no, a I, I went and saw this at like one o'clock in the afternoon, and there was uh, okay. two couples behind me. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, it. I didn't see it with a full crowd. I, I, I this is not a movie that you want to see with a full crowd because it, because the use of the, of sound and of like no sound, you want you want to, if you can have the theater to yourself, that's the way you want it. I, I guarantee you that the experience would have been not as enjoyable had I been in a full theater. Yeah, that makes sense. I just, I just kind of wonder if it would captivate a whole group. I'm just a little bit fascinated by that, you know, where we're, it's going to just shut the whole theater down and you're not going to hear a peep. Oh, I doubt it. People are idiots. Yeah. People are idiots. So somebody's got That is true. Yeah. I'm underestimating people. You know who probably, God, I would love to watch M. Night Shyamalan watch this movie and just be like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It would have to drive yeah. him crazy. <laughs> like, why the fuck did I not think of this? You know? I guarantee it. Like this is the kind of movie that M Night Shyamalan wishes he was still making. So, yeah, so I, I agree I with that one hundred percent, Brian. Right? Like yeah, that. This is the movie M Night should sit down and watch and be taking notes and be like, "Oh, that's how I should do it." Like, oh, I guarantee it. There was drunken nights of him just like kicking back vodka and throwing shot glasses at the wall and cursing John Krasinski's name because he didn't think of this first. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, man, 
I agree with what Rebecca said too, that it had like the perfect amount of exposition. Like you knew what was going on, you knew the scenario, but they didn't like, that wasn't really a big deal or the point of it. And you really didn't dwell on that. I, I think a lot of times these movies get bogged down by explaining all this stuff. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah, to... like, can, can you imagine if, like, they had a whole opening scene of, like, years ago, the monsters <laughs> came? Like, that's just, that's so stupid. Like, that takes away from, it takes away from the movie where it's, like, I loved watching John Krasinski also, too. Like, he had his little, like, um, like his workshop and he was piecing together what he could from like newspaper articles and things that he had observed on his own like on his own he was trying to figure stuff out and to keep his family alive like that's all the exposition I needed that's all I needed the family dynamics were great like it I don't want to brush over that like it, it is a really good touching story about this family that obviously loves each other and the stuff they did with that I thought was brilliant like it told a great story, you know, just beyond the jump scares and That's, the situation yeah. they were caught in. That's what a lot of movies are missing is like they've, you know, we've seen with uh, the Ridley Scott alien films. It's kind of gone away from like the characters to more of like, let's focus on the aliens. And like that's, you know, I alien lore. Yeah, that's cool. Let me read a Wikipedia page about alien lore. I want character stories when I watch a film. That's what gets us engaged. Um, that's why people watch reality TV, even though it's not reality. They watch it because they want to see how people are reacting. Okay? That's why people watch that stuff. We aren't, you know, like, you know, uh, maybe we should be watching the History Channel, you know, but I'm just, well, the History Channel is not even the History Channel anymore. It's fucking Pawn Stars, but, uh, and I'm the blame there because I watch Chumley and those fuckers myself. So, um, but, uh, yeah, what am I even talking about? I'm just rambling at this point. But yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, Jake, you make a great point. You know, the family element in, in, in a quiet place is great. Krasinski got it right. And, uh, they're still talking about possible sequels for this. Is it going to deal with the same family? Is it going to deal with, um, is it going to deal with different families? Um, the fires that were lit in the film, those represent possibly other people, other communities. Could we be jumping to one of those other communities? So, you know, Krasinski's still kind of figuring it out. I personally understand why the studio wants to make more of these films because they were profitable and were huge. But on the flip side, it's like, I'd like to see Krasinski kind of like do what Jordan Peele's doing and move on to something completely different. Like get out was mm-hmm. fantastic. Agreed. We don't hundred percent. I, I, I don't need to see another movie in this universe, but I want to see another John Krasinski movie. Yeah. Like I want to see him give me something else. Um, but I, I don't, I, I don't think we should revisit this universe or, or this, this, I don't know, this earth or whatever, but I, I, I'm happy if they don't make another one of these movies, but I want John Krasinski to make more movies. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I don't need a sequel at all. Um, I guess if we have to have one in a perfect world, I'd rather just see John executive produce and let another young aspiring filmmaker take a, take a stab at this universe while he moves on to a new project. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Uh, let's, uh, take a quick break. Let's do that. And then come back. And, and this is going to be extended good pop, bad pop people. I'm telling you, it's, we, I got a ton of shit. Um, but yeah, we'll be right back and come back with more good pop, bad pop. Greetings, leftover army. 
Pop Culture Leftovers is the people's podcast. They're always looking for new writers and YouTube reviewers to join the team because they themselves aren't talented enough to write them. In all honesty, they're not even sure Frank can read. But their listeners can. So send your reviews to popcultureleftovers at gmail.com, and if the leftovers like it, they'll contact you, and you could see your article featured on popcultureleftovers.com. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Leftover Army. You should follow the leftovers on Instagram at instagram.com slash popcultureleftovers and on Tumblr at popcultureleftovers2.tumblr.com. If you get a few shots of vodka in you, it's almost as sexy as my voice. That's gangster. All right. Hey, welcome back to the show. Usually I just say, hey, and we're back. I welcomed our listeners back this time, Jake. How about that? Jake, where the fuck are you? I, I, I lost everyone. I couldn't hear anything. Okay, well, fuck it. Whatever. Um, welcome back, Jake. <laughs> hey, how's it going? <laughs> anyway, you know. Either an awkward silence is happening or my shit's fucking up, and apparently my shit was fucking up. Okay. All right, off to a off to a great start here in this uh, next section of Good Pop Bad Pop. <laughs> Coming out of the gate, I wouldn't have it any other way. All cylinders are firing. Um, you know, Stephanie, I know we've given you some shit earlier, but there, you were a fan favorite. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah, you were a fan favorite, and I was like, yeah, we've I I've wanted you back for quite some time. I was like, I don't I don't know, should I ask her? And then like, you're a fan favorite. I'm like, oh, we got to get her back on. She's great. So like, all the shit we're giving you is just it's all in love because you're you're a fantastic guest, and we really enjoy having you on. So thank you. I love having you guys are the best. I love it. I'm all goose. I was so excited about today. I couldn't even tell you. Yay! Yeah, so it's, it's it's good to have <laughs> you back. Thank you for everybody who said they liked me. Yeah, I love you guys too. <laughs> Yeah, Stephanie was a fan favorite. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I want to talk about uh, a couple of movies here real quick, and I'll pass it on here. I got a lot to talk about this week, but I've, I went to the theater, um, and I saw Bad Samaritan. Has anybody seen Bad Samaritan? No. No. No, okay. A, a pair of burglars stumble upon a woman being held captive in a home they intend to rob. Um, it's directed by Dean Devlin. Um, you've probably heard the name before. He's best known. <laughs> he's, he's best known. He's a, he's a collaborator on most of the o- Roland Emmerich films, uh, such as like Independence Day, Godzilla, Stargate. Uh, last year he directed his first film, Geostorm. And <laughs> oh, that little gem. Oh boy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, before, before Geostorm, he was mostly known for like his collaborating work with you know, Roland Emmerich and Roland Emmerich films. Um, but now he directs Bad Samaritan and this movie stars David Tennant. He's really the big name in this movie. And, uh, that's the reason I watched it. You know, I love David Tennant, uh, David Tennant. Uh, he's my favorite doctor in Doctor Who, 10th Doctor. Uh, I loved him as the Purple Man and he was a villain in that and he's a villain in this. So I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. And, it's a very interesting concept. You've got these two... I love the concept, to be quite honest with you. It, it, it really is really cool. Two burglars, they work as valet at a restaurant. And instead of, like, 
parking the cars, they use the internal GPS inside uh, the people that are uh, going to the restaurant to find out where they they live, like where these people live, and then they use the garage door opener inside the car to gain access into the house and then rob the house. But they go on this one job, and one of the guys goes into David Tennant's house and opens a locked door thinking there's going to be a huge score in it. He's in a computer office room takes a picture of his screen and when it flashes you see a woman tied up in the room in the dark so these burglars who shouldn't be in the house in the first place have not this one burglar has now entered a home where you've basically got like Hannibal Lecter or you know like Buffalo Bill who's like is it Wild Bill from um, science Buffalo of the Bill was right. Buffalo right? Bill, yeah. yeah, yeah, Buffalo Bill, yeah. Who has like taken, kidnapped a woman and is torturing her? Has her in a chair, and they're, he's torturing this woman. And this burglar comes across this woman, and I'm just like, what a, oh my god! Like I had no idea what this movie is about. I'm going in there just thinking like this is just a, a David Tennant movie. Had no clue. And great concept. I mean. It kind of falls apart, though, in the third act. And it, uh, you know, the killer's origin and his motivations for being like the way he is is so far fetched and silly. But I am going to overall give this one a taste it. I definitely want people to watch this one. It's, it's really entertaining. It really is. And it's got a great concept. It kind of falls apart at the end. The woman that's been kidnapped. Oh my God. She really. She once they finally like give her some lines and dialogue. The actress that plays her is fantastic, and she has some really great lines. And she says it's really great because like she says things that the audience is thinking to the main character, like all the shit that you watch in a movie, and you're like, do this, do th- th- why are you why the fuck are you doing that? Like <laughs> she says that to this guy in the movie, and it's a really cool kind of moment when it happens, but. Uh, it falls apart in the third act. This this really had like the chance to be a great kind of like horror slash thriller movie, and it kind of falls apart in the third act a little bit. But I would definitely highly recommend that you do watch it once it comes out for like Redbox or Video on Demand or HBO, Showtime, whatever. I would watch it then. And David Tennant's fantastic in it for the most part. But um, yeah, that's Bad Samaritan by Dean Devlin. So. Um, yeah, um, Overboard. I watched the new Overboard. (laughs) (laughs) You glutton for punishment, you. (laughs) Jake, I have a movie pass. Movie pass does not let me watch the same movie twice now. So I'm basically forced, while I'm not working, to watch these fucking movies that I typically wouldn't go to the theater and see. Overboard is, of course, the remake of, um... The uh, Kurt Russell, Goldie Hawn film from the 80s. It's about a spoiled, wealthy yacht owner is thrown overboard and becomes the target of revenge from his mistreated employee. It stars Anna Faris, Eugenio Derbez, and Eva Longoria. And um, the first half of this is just a terrible ripoff of the original. 
But once the character of Leo, played by Eugenio Derbez, like starts turning into like a good guy, because like it's role reversal here. It's been flipped. So basically, like Goldie Hawn, the first one, you know, she gets her head hit and goes into uh, she suffers from amnesia and doesn't realize that she's rich anymore and she's lied to and she's told that she's the husband of like this guy who's like uh uh what what did he do what did kurt russell's what was his job in that movie so he's just like a, a carpenter. Carpenter, yeah. And so like here here like, you know, Eugenia Derbez, same thing, kinda like he's on the yacht, falls overboard, and then, you know, she finds him in the hospital and and uh you know, takes him home, says that you're my husband and and um you know, you have a drinking problem and that's what happened here. You got drunk and you know, on the beach and blah 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 blah. Now you've got to sleep in the basement. And you can't sleep with me until you're 30 days clean, clean and sober and, and blah, blah, blah. But like Eugenio Derbez, here's the thing. Like I would just love to shit on this movie 100%. I really liked this guy, this, this actor that played Leo, Eugenio Derbez. I really liked him. I didn't like him at first, but like once he starts turning into a good person in the film and he starts to like have a relationship with her daughters, it worked. I really liked him. The movie also had Mel Rodriguez in it from The Last Man on Earth. He plays Todd and I love that actor. It also had uh, Josh Segarra who was on like, uh, he was on USA Network's comedy Sirens that ran for like two seasons and I think he's hilarious. But... Then they fuck up the ending to this one, trying to make it different from the original. So they really, they really fuck this movie up. <laughs> they, Man, I, you made me really want to see this movie now. They fucked it up. They really fucked up the ending to this one. Like you, you oh, and you, you find out. You actually find out that the original movie is canon in the film. Um, um. When Leo is in his coma, they, uh, you've got Anna Ferris talking to a doctor there, and she's and the doctor says that the only other case of amnesia that this town has ever had was back in the '80s with a woman. So, like, they made the original movie canon within the film within the same town. I'm gonna oh give my God. I'm gonna give it. A, I'm gonna give this movie a taste. It. I'm gonna give it a standard taste. It because like the first half is like pretty bad. Except for like Mel Rodriguez is great in it. But then I really did kind of like fall in love with like this, with Leo, you know, played by, uh, Eugenio Derbez. I really like this guy as an actor. Um, and they, and they, they kind of give it like, like this, uh, Latino, Latina flair where like, you know, like that, that wasn't in the original and, and, um, a lot of like Latino actors and stuff like that. And I, I thought that that was, that was really cool. And I just, I loved Eugenio and I want to see this guy in better movies than this. Um, he was in another movie called like how to be a Latin lover, which I never saw, but like, I really like this guy a lot. He was just very charming in this film. And that's the only reason I'm giving this a taste it because everything else just really falls apart in this film. He kind of like holds this whole fucking movie together until the writers fuck it up at the end again. So Man, I really just want to know what happens at the end now. <laughs> it's overboard. <laughs> I'll remind you on a break. <laughs> oh God, no! It's like, yeah, you're, you. It, it basically sets up the exact same ending that you get in the first film, uh-huh. and then they swerve, and you're just like, "Why are you? You had me! 
You fucking had me, even though you're giving me the same ending as the original film. You fucking had me, and then you swerve on me. What the fuck? So, yeah, I I'm gonna give it t- a taste. It just because I loved this this actor that played Leo so much. I thought that he like he really held this fucking piece of shit together. Like this guy acted his ass off in this movie, holding this fucking flimsy reboot retread of a beloved film that never should have been remade together. Like this guy gave it his fucking all and hats off to this fucking actor. He did a fantastic job and I hope he's involved in future projects that aren't this fucking, I don't know, whatever, but I liked him. So I'm just ranting at this point. Um, Whatever. Yeah, overboard. Uh, I've gone overboard talking about it. Rebecca, um, <laughs> I am terrible this episode. Um, Re- Rebecca, what do you got? Uh, I want to talk about two movies that I saw, and they're both on limited release, so I don't know if they're available everywhere yet. Um, but I did see a movie called Beast. Has anybody seen this film? No. Mm-mm. No. Okay, it's from the UK. Um, it's a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, which really caught my attention. Um, the synopsis is a, it's a troubled woman living in an isolated community finds herself pulled between the control of her oppressive family and the allure of a secretive outsider suspected of a series of brutal murders. Um, this movie was written and directed by Michael Pierce. This is his first feature length film, but he's done a lot of shorts and TV episodes, mostly in the UK. Um, it stars Jesse Buckley as the main character. Oh, Maul, God, who, I love her from Taboo. I know. Lord Naboe in oh, Taboo. Oh, God, I right? love her. Oh, I've got to watch this now. Yes, you do. Um, I was, I'm watching the movie and I'm going, oh my God, her face, like it's so familiar. Like, and she looks so different in this movie than how she did in Taboo. And it's like, I'm racking my brain and then the movie's over and I start Googling an IMDb and I see her and I'm like, Duh, Lorna Bow. Of course, I loved her in that. Um, the main guy uh, is played by Johnny Flynn. He plays uh, Pascal. Um, he's done a couple of movies. Um, and then the other main character is a woman who has a name that's incredibly difficult to pronounce. I'm sure I'm going to mess it up. It's Olwen Fjord. And she plays the mom. And she's done a ton of uh, stuff in, in, in the UK. Um so the basic storyline is this this woman Maul, she's about 27, she lives with her parents. Um she we're given a little bit of backstory that she's kind of emotionally and mentally unstable. She had an incident when she was a kid where she stabbed a little girl in her class with scissors and her parents like pulled her out of school and they homeschooled her and she went to therapy and she said, well, it was an accident. You know, the girl was, was like bullying me and I was defending myself. And so after that one incident, she's kind of really been controlled by her overbearing mother and the actress who plays her, her mom does a really good job of like you really hate her of how overbearing and controlling she is and then she meets this guy um pascal who's like this uh, he's like a free spirit type and he's just shows up in their town and uh, he's doing odd jobs and he's like different he's exotic and they start a, a relationship but he's accused of this series of brutal murders of women in this on this island um 
and right off from the, right away from the beginning, she actually lies for him and gives him an alibi for the night of this murder. And it's what really binds them together. And the movie is called Beast. And by the end, you're like really wondering who's really the beast here? Who, who is the bad guy? Who's the villain? Who's the victim? Who's innocent? And, um, it's, it's a, re- it's a really, really good movie. I don't think it's for everybody though. I think some people would watch this and, and like, kind of like with Phantom Thread, be like, what mm. the fuck is this? Yeah. You know, like yeah. that's, yeah. This, 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 the way you're sounding it, uh, the way you're talking about it makes me think of like the way, the, the way the characters are by the end of it and you're asking those types of questions. Um, it reminds me of Thoroughbreds. Like, oh yes, that's an excellent comparison. It does remind me of it, it does remind you of Thoroughbreds as well. Yeah, this Absolutely. sounds incredible. This sounds like a I really will, great movie. It is a really good movie. Again, you know, when when I left the theater, I said to myself, I really liked this movie, but I know it's not for everyone because I I watched Phantom Thread and I enjoyed it, but I know there's a lot of people who saw it and thought it was terrible. Oh, I loved it. Like, I know, like I I, I loved it. I saw it opening night. I loved it. Oh, it's, it's just um, a, such a toxic relationship that I was just fascinated with it. It was just like. Yeah, I, I I don't want to talk Phantom Thread, but I love I love I, Phantom Thread. I loved it too. I thought it was great. Um, so like as this movie goes on, you know, Maul really descends. You're watching this woman descend into madness, and she becomes unraveled bit by bit as the movie goes on because Pascal is arrested or he's held as a person of interest in these murders, and now that she doesn't have this man who's like helped her escape her overbearing family she really starts to degrade mentally there's a lot of scenes that uh, could be a little disturbing like as she's by herself and this movie ends with the the movie ends with such a really interesting twist Mm. and something that i did not see coming if i have a complaint um the pacing is off on this movie. It does take a little long to get to the point. And there, it's definitely like you watch a scene and then you watch another scene and then you watch another scene. So the pacing is a little off. The editing is a little off on this. Um, but I still Tupperware it just for how good it is and how amazing these actors are. Mm. Again, it's not for everyone, but if it's playing near you, I really think it's worth checking out if you like these kind of odd psychological character study movies. Um, Brian, I think you would like oh, this. I, I think you would like it a lot. I can already tell that I would love this. I just yeah. I, I got on IMDb and I added it to my watch list so I wouldn't nice. forget. Yeah, this sounds incredible. Yeah. But again, it, it's a limited release movie, so it may not be playing everywhere. But if like you see it streaming or Redbox, whatever, give it a shot because I think it's 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 interesting. That's awesome. Um, Rebecca, yeah. I did see another movie that you saw. I saw You Were Never Really Here. Oh, did you? Oh, tell me about it because I love that movie. Oh, my God. Um, this is like it's Joaquin Phoenix and it's from Amazon Studios. So look for this one to be on Amazon Prime like soon just like the big sick that that was also an Amazon Studios film and so basically like <laughs> big sick was basically out on Amazon you know uh video for 
like four months after the release. It was it was very soon. So look for this one um, from Amazon Studios. But um, I I loved this movie. Like it was. It's you were right. It's so he's he's such an odd character, and he's this he. I want to know, like, we get flashes of, like, Joaquin Phoenix's character, Mm -hmm. like, him, him, uh, as a child, and, like, we know that, like, he's, he's a Gulf War veteran, and, um, now he's, like, this hired gun who goes around, and, um, his whole job is basically to, like, uh, uh, like these sex traffickers that take like these like young girls and women and stuff like that. Like he's the one that goes in that he's hired to go in there and get him out of this life. And he's brutal. He's just a brutal guy and he's not afraid of anything. And then we get to a point in the movie where like he gets involved with men and people that are like, that are very powerful and you're scared for him and you start to see the people in his life start to get like taken out one by one. And it just takes you into this creepy underbelly, this just disgusting world where rich men are having sex with really young girls. And like you get into like this one scene where like they're playing that angel baby song and that Oh, in that in, that was hard to watch. Oh God! Oh God! I was just when he's got that hammer. Is it? Yeah, that hammer, and he's just mm-hmm. bashing these fucking perverts in the head. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm wanting to cheer. It's just, but I mean, he's also just a, he's also kind of a, a, a sad kind of character. Like he's not a bad. I don't think like he's inherently evil like these people, but he's got his own problems from the way he was raised and and things like that. This is uh this is a movie I've got to see again. I feel like I need to see it again. Like it's just not because oh I love disturbing shit. It was one of those things where it's like because I I want to understand the character more and like the story more that I want to see this again. But man, I. I oh my god and the ending of this was just so it's so different it's just just a different yeah. story I, I I'm I'm so glad you liked it because I I think I talked about it on a previous episode you did, with, you, with did. you and uh, and I I just oh god it was so good and a, another one of those that was like started as a limited release and then it it went forward and yeah. God, yeah. it's such a good movie. I had to go to the art theater to watch it. None, none of the like the AMC's or Goodrich or anything was playing them, so I had to I had to go to the art theater, which was like you know an hour away. But it was definitely worth it. Mm-hmm. It was definitely fucking worth it. Oh my god! It's there's parts in this movie where you're scared. You're literally scared for this character. Like you know, like you you've seen this guy be a fucking badass and not be afraid of anything. Just walk into any situation and walk out of any situation pretty much like unscathed, and then gets in way over his head, and you don't know you don't know what's going on, and um. Oh my god, it's like, it's like the, it's like the best of, like, it's like basically, I would say this is like Eli Roth meets Quentin Tarantino. Mm. It's my best comparison. Like, you take like the I, best. I agree with that. The best of Eli Roth, which I'm not a big fan of Eli Roth, but I love like, the Saw movie, that was Eli Roth, right? No, no. that was James Wan. James Wan. Okay. So, yeah, no, fuck. 
Eli Roth because I can't stand him. <laughs> you take the best of James Wan and you take the best of Quentin Tarantino and you throw it in a film and this is what you get. And it was, yeah, fucking crazy. But yeah, I highly recommend. I I don't know. This is another movie that I have to say like is not for everyone. Like like you said earlier, Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. Like, um, it's definitely not for everyone. And I I think you know Joaquin Phoenix has uh, really taken really interesting roles and played really interesting characters and and all that stuff. And it definitely, uh, you were never really here. Is uh, it's not for everyone. Yeah. And it is that. It's another one that's a hard R. I mean, the violence yeah. is hard to watch. It's uh, it's very hard to watch, and the ending really is—it's perfect. Yeah, it's so perfect. I just, oh, I love it. I did too. I did too. Um, I went and saw Porco Rosso. This is uh, the Miyazaki Hayao Miyazaki film. Um, this is part of Ghibli Fest 2018. I have never seen this movie. Uh, in the early 1930s era, it- Italy, air pirates, bounty hunters, and high flyers of all sorts rule the skies. The most cunning and skilled of these pilots is Porco Rosso, a former ace. He now makes a living flying contract jobs, such as rescuing those kidnapped by air pirates. Donald Curtis, Porco's rival in the air and in catching the affections of women provides a constant challenge to the hero, culminating in a hilarious action-packed finale. Uh, it stars, uh, if you watch it, I, I did watch this one dubbed. It was Michael Keaton who was playing Porco Rosso. He's fantastic in the role. Awesome. Um, I I want to let everybody know that like Fathom Events has been putting on Ghibli Fest and Ghibli Fest 2018. Like I had been going to a Goodrich theater and I've been having to pay for them because my movie pass wasn't accepted for Ghibli Fest at Goodrich theaters. This time I went to an AMC theater that was also putting on Ghibli Fest and. AMC does support Ghibli Fest. So I didn't have to pay for it. I just used my movie pass. So I'm going to be going to, I'm not going to miss a single Ghibli Fest movie for the rest of the year. Like upcoming is like, you know, Princess Mononoke and My Neighbor Totoro and, um, you know, Castle in the Sky. Like some of those are, they're still going to be, Spirited Away is still coming up. And I've seen all those in the theater, but I want to watch them again. Um, I loved this. That's awesome. I thought those were only Fathom movies, too. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I loved this movie, Jake. It is fantastic. If you get, if you ever get a chance to see this one, um, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, it's, uh, basically, he's an anthropomorphic pig man, and he, and, but there's a story behind it. There's, he, there was one day where, you know, he, he's fighting in, uh, he's, he's, he's involved in kind of like a dog fight, and he becomes this pig. There's a story behind it. So at one time he was a man, and I, there's a lot to love about this. The animation, of course, it's Miyazaki and it's great, but I love the dog fights in the plains. I love the pirates in this one. Um, I love the mystery of Porco Rosso and how he turned into the pig. I loved his relationship with, um, the love interest in the film. Um, this was, this is fantastic. This is great, great stuff. So yeah, Porco Rosso, uh, definitely, definite Tupperware. It's just, dude, I'm, I'm falling more and more in love with these Miyazaki films. They're so good. 
Oh yeah, how can you not? I mean, uh, his style, I, this is one of the reasons I wanted to get the box set. I think this is one of those ones that you can only get in like the box set with all mm. of the movies on Blu-ray. That sounds right. Gosh, did you know um, his uh, Miyazaki's first film is on Netflix now? From it's his first film that he ever made from 1979. It's called the Castle Ooh. of the Castle of Cagliostro. Um, yeah, uh, Lupin the Third, the Castle of Cagliostro, C A G L I O S T R O. It's from 1979, and they've recently put this on Netflix. And I haven't seen it yet, but I will be watching that probably next week. Yeah, I'll have to check that out, too. You should text me what that's called again, because there's yeah. no way I'll remember that. Yeah. Rebecca, um, Stephanie, do you guys have you guys watched any of these Miyazaki films? No, I haven't. I, I watched, um, I don't know if it's the same animator, because uh, I'm not terribly familiar with anime, but I did see um, A Silent Voice. Is that the same or no? No, no it's, uh, that's, somebody, okay. that's somebody different. Um, okay, yeah, but I, don't, I don't think I have seen any of the Miyazaki no, films. No, but bravo to you for watching A Silent Voice. That's a fucking great movie. <laughs> I love that movie so much. But yeah. Yeah, they, they re-released it like one day, and I ran down to the theater to see it it was it was amazing if you guys can if you ever guys if you guys get the chance watch a miyazaki film it just just watch i would start like uh i think my first was spirited away and that was a kind of a weird introduction but like once i kind of like let go and realized that anything can happen and anything can happen for any reason like there's no rhyme or reason as to like why things are happening in these movies it's just you're the imagination of this guy is just Unreal. There's nothing like it, and it's just—it's beautiful animation too. So, no, it's gorgeous. I would say like my neighbor Totoro, yeah, or Moonoki would probably be the best two, like gateway drugs to it. Yeah, uh, Princess Mononoke is like you get into a little bit more violence with that one. If you just want something like whimsical, definitely watch My Neighbor Totoro. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Moonoki kind of um, raises the expectations of what the other movies yeah. could be. Sure. Yeah. I honestly, if if you if I were to start, I would watch Ponyo first. Ponyo is yeah, great too. Yeah, Ponyo would be the movie that I would start off on. But like, I've gone down this Miyazaki rabbit hole, like, and I've like, and I've known about these Miyazaki films for like twenty fucking years. Like, I had friends talking about Princess Mononoke for years, and like, I never got into it. And then I started going to these Ghibli fests, and like, now it's just like. I love them so much, and I've bought so many of these movies, like in individual Blu-rays. Um, oh, it's so good. But Porco Rosso and Michael Keaton is fucking fantastic as this character. So good. And um, you, you, you're thinking to yourself, like you're watching an anthropomorphic pig man fight in dog fights. This is stupid. No, it is awesome. And it's so fucking cool. It's like, it's like Casablanca cool. Like, you know, you've got like, you know, like Humphrey Bogart meets a fucking pig. Like, that's what you're looking at. This is so, it's awesome. I love, it's so good. I, Tupperware all the fucking way. I'm so glad I got a chance to see this. And, uh, Ghibli Fest is going on for like most of the rest of the year. I think like this was only the third month for Ghibli Fest this year. So like, we've got plenty of movies left. So, you know, just type in um, G-H-I-B-L-I 
Fest in Google and you'll find out if you've got a theater near you that's playing these movies and go check them out. If you got a movie pass and an AMC's playing them, you can watch it for free, dude. A $12.50 ticket for me was free with my movie pass, Jake. And I was, I was paying for those up until this point. Yeah, that's super smart. Yeah. So it's one a month. That's how the program's working. With, with what? Oh, the Ghibli, the Fest, Ghibli Fest? One movie a month? Yeah, they'll do one movie a month and they'll do it three days a month. So they'll typically start it off on like, um, I think like, uh, um, like a Thursday and then they'll have it like, well, no, they'll start it off like on a Saturday and then they'll have it again on a Monday and then finish it on a Wednesday. It's something like that. And so it'll be three days. The first day will be dubbed. The second will be subbed and then they'll do it again dubbed. That's sweet, though, that you can go however you prefer. Because a lot of people have strong preferences. Yeah. Me, I really don't care. Yeah. I've gone to subbed or dubbed. It just depended on, like, when I could get it in. But I was glad that I could go see Porco Rosso um, with the Michael Keaton. I wanted, you know, it was cool. Like, Michael, Pe- Michael Keaton's a fucking pig that flies, uh, like, a plane. Like, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the Mizaki movies, actually, I do kind of lean towards the dub because of kind of the reverence that they're held in. They They do have a lot of big name people doing voices oh yeah and, uh, quite a few of them oh yeah matt damon's done them um the secret world of arietti like uh will arnett was the main character you know so yeah um rebecca i didn't mean to cut you off but did you have anything more i have one other movie that i saw that i just wanted to bring up um this is from this is a, a movie from a24 which quickly becoming one of my favorite studios to um to produce movies it's called first reformed uh, have you guys seen this no i love a24 and i don't know about this movie yeah this is another limited release movie so again it may not be everywhere this movie um the the i mean it's got some big names in this movie ethan hawk is in it amanda uh amanda seyfried seyfried yeah amanda seyfried wrong Um, Cedric the Entertainer, big names in this movie. Amanda um, Siegfried, wasn't she in recently? She was in most recently Gringo, correct? Yes, she was. Jeez, that, yeah, I don't know. That was a terrible movie. I hated <laughs> that movie. God, I wanted it to be great because I loved David Oyelowo, but oh my God. Yeah, and oh, yeah, Charlize Theron was terrible in that movie. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. No, no. Um, the uh, synopsis for this movie is a priest in a of a small congregation in upstate New York grapples with maintaining sorry, excuse me, with mounting despair brought on by tragedy, worldly concerns, and a tormented past. This is another movie that 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. And this is the big thing, though. This movie is written and directed by Paul Schrader, who uh, wrote and directed American Gigolo. He directed Autofocus, but he wrote Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, and the last temptation of Christ. So this is a heavy hitting movie. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Like this is a huge, huge movie. And after seeing it, I mean, the, the, you you can absolutely see the essence of taxi driver in this movie. So if you are a fan of taxi driver, if you are a fan of raging bull and you're a fan of that tone of the, of those movies, I think you would like this movie. Um, 
this is another movie that I'm going to Tupperware, but I will also say that I don't think it's for everybody. It's another film kind of like that because uh, we're watching this movie. We're watching Ethan Hawke, who he was a, a chaplain in the army. He comes from a, a line of um, of uh, army men, and he leaves the army. He gets married, has a kid, and he encourages his son to enlist in, in, in the army as well. And his son, unfortunately, dies in combat when he's quite young, and it destroys his marriage. And his wife leaves him, and with nothing basically left, he is given this position in this small um Protestant church in upstate New York uh, and he's basically just living out his life there and nearby there's like a larger church think of like the the Joel Osteen types with like you know these like mega churches and they have TV and stuff and Cedric the Entertainer he's the pastor there and so his church kind of overshadows this little historic church here and they're about to hit their 250th anniversary they got all this stuff planned and that's when he meets Amanda Seyfried's character, who plays Mary. She has her husband is very troubled. He's an environmental activist, and she wants the priest to counsel her husband. And he goes and he counsels the husband, and they they talk, etc. But um, Ethan Hawke's character, he's sick with something. We um, we we see him with constant stomach pains, and he's like urinating blood, and it's it's he's obviously sick. He's not taking care of himself though, and we see him struggling with his faith. So he's counseling this guy, and then things don't go well, and. Um, so now he's left to try to help Mary pick up the pieces. But the the husband was so involved in this environmental activism, it kind of starts to mess with Ethan Hawke's head. And he, in a way, almost picks up the husband's cause. This movie is like, it's trippy and it's wild. And it has some scenes that you're like, like just visually like, whoa, what is happening here? And the ending is an ending that is very much left up to interpretation of what happens next. Oh, I actually, uh, I love, I, is, I love those awesome. sometimes. <laughs> I, I feel like for this movie, it fits. Nice. It, it fits. Um, again, I think the movie, the movie tends to almost step over the line into preachy at points, but I think it's because of the fact that the, the husband is this like sort of radical, environmentalist and you know so you're hearing a lot of his stuff the movie almost steps over in, into preachy about the environment um but it's a movie that when you leave the theater you're going to be thinking about this movie yeah. for days and um i i also top wear this movie but again it may not be for everybody but i think if you're a fan of taxi driver that of that film you should give this one a shot See, that's the thing. It's like, uh, you know, it's like I sometimes, you know, we need to have m- movies that give us a message sometimes, right? And I feel mm-hmm. like A24 is a great studio to give us a movie with a message. So, like, if an A24 film gets a little preachy, that's fine with me. But if you have, like, okay, you're talking about environmentalism, okay? That's, okay, A24 movie, probably a great place to give us that message of environmentalism. Uh, right. Avatar, probably not, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it fits in this movie. So, like, that that's why, like, I, I don't feel like the movie steps over that line into preachy because it fits what's going on in this 
in this setting. And I think the things that they raise are absolutely valid. Yeah. And Ethan Hawke, I mean, the whole thread of this movie, there's a thread running through it that with his crisis of faith, he is unable to pray. And so instead of praying, he writes in this journal every every day. And, and we hear his thoughts as he's writing them down. And in a way, those are his prayers. It's such a good movie. It's so thought-provoking. It's visually stunning. Um I just, I, I really, really, and I'm telling you the ending, I mean, stuff starts to happen at the end and you're just like, oh my God, where is this? Oh my God, what's going to happen now? And then the way it ends. I love listening to Rebecca. <laughs> like, yeah, this is like her internal monologue. No, it's one, of, my internal it's one of the most amazing things ever. Like, oh my God, what's going to happen here? Oh. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, like the best, like I know you're a big mystery science theater 3000 fan. Like I would just like to rent like a shitty B movie and pop it in and then just like let Rebecca just go loose and talk <laughs> the entire time. I, I, I want the internal monologue to be external audible monologue for me to listen to. Oh my God. That's hilarious. But um, yeah, that, 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 that was me in the theater. I'm sitting in the theater going, Oh my God. Oh no. Oh my God! No, he didn't do that. What? Oh no! And now she's over there. What's gonna happen? Like in my head, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but yeah, go see this movie if you like kind of weird yeah. type stuff, and if you're a fan of Paul Schrader's work, I mean, God, yeah, go. I mean, Taxi Driver is an incredible film. Raging yeah. Bull is an incredible oh, film. God, like, I love Raging Bull. Go, Go see this movie if you're a fan of his work because I think it's it's really in that same vein. Yeah, I love Raging Bull. Yeah. Um, what's the name of this film again? It's called First Reformed, Fuck. and it's okay. a, a reference to the church that he's a pastor at. It's like the First Reformed Church of whatever, and um, it's it's a I think I believe it's Calvinistic. Um, so it's it's a it's a Protestant church, not a not a Catholic. Nice to see Ethan Hawke still getting work. You know, I yeah. I'm not saying like, oh, he shouldn't get work. I'm saying like, you know, I loved him in Boyhood, and I, I, you know, I even I loved him in Valerian. I thought he was one of the most fun characters in that film. And so it's like, I love. I think Ethan Hawke is such a underrated actor. Training Day is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. so good. Yeah, that's a great one. So, yeah, that sounds really good. Um, I. Uh, let me go over a couple more movies, and then I want to get what I want to hear what Stephanie has to bring. Do you 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 have stuff, Stephanie? You got stuff? I, yes, I do have stuff. All right, Stephanie's got stuff. <laughs> I went and saw guys. I'm telling you, this fucking movie pass. It's a deal, man. Nine ninety five a month. You get to watch one movie a day. But the thing is with the movie pass is that now you can't watch the same movie twice. So like now I'm kind of like I'm forced to watch like new movies. So what did I go see? Because like I'd seen everything literally in the theaters that was near me that I could go see. I went and saw Book Club. <laughs> <laughs> My mom went and saw that. I probably sat in the same theater with your mom, Stephanie. I'm telling you, uh, four lifelong friends have their lives forever changed after reading Fifty Shades of Grey in their monthly book club. This movie stars, uh, this is like, you remember, what was that movie that came out? Uh, the Space Cowboys movie that came out that had like, uh, 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 what's it, uh, Garner, James Garner. Uh, uh-huh. yeah, uh, I, I 
remember that movie. Yeah, it had yeah. like all the old actors. James Garner, it had, uh, what's, uh, Dirty Harry. Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it had all the old, old timey, uh, was it Tommy Lee Jones? Was he in that thing? Yeah, I think James yeah, Cromwell was in that too. Who? Uh, James Cromwell, I believe, was in that movie too. Yeah. So, like, this is like, uh, they take a lot of the, um, older, uh, I don't want to say older, mature, mature, uh, Hollywood women and they throw them in this movie. It's Diane Keaton, Jane Fonda, Mary Steenburgen, and Candace Bergen. Um, they're like the four main women. This is, uh, kind of like their little story here. It also stars Andy Garcia. This has got an insane cast, I'll tell you that much. Andy Garcia, Richard Dreyfus, Craig T. Nelson, Don Johnson, Alicia Silverstone, Ed Begley Jr., Tommy Dewey from one of my favorite shows on Hulu, Casual, uh, KZ, uh, Katie Azelton from The League, and she also plays Amy on Legion. Jake, you'll know that. But, um, it's a, it's a, it's a story of four mature women. And, um, so you've got these different women have these, these, you know, they, they all have this book club. They all meet in this book club once a month. Okay. But like each one of them has their own story. You got Diane Keaton, her husband died. Um, you know, so her husband passed away and like, and her daughters are worried. They're worried about her health. She's, she's getting older and they're worried about her like falling down and hurting herself, not having anybody there. Dad always took care of everything. So the, the daughters played by, uh, Alicia Silverstone and Katie Azelton are trying to get her to move to Arizona with them. And they're, they're going to set her up in the basement and, uh, they're basically treating like her, like she's got like one foot in the grave. It's, it's, Kind of sad. Uh, Jane Fonda, uh, she's in this movie and she's like, she, she's, uh, she's the, she's like the, uh, the Blanche of the Golden Girls. She can't be tied down. She's like, uh, you know, she's, she's, she's the one still having sex. She's got the boob job, you know, and all this stuff, but she owns a successful hotel. Uh, Mary Steenburgen is in this. She's married to Craig T. Nelson's character and, uh, they're, they're her big problem is she's not having sex. They're not having sex. There's no spark in the marriage, right? And uh, Candace Bergen, uh, remember, we all remember her as Murphy Brown back in the day. And uh, oh yeah, I love Candace. Oh, Bergen. I love Candace Bergen too. Uh, was she, was she on? Was was Candace Bergen? Uh, I want to say like I'm trying to think of what she did before. Was she ever? SNL. That's what I was going to say. I was going to mm-hmm. ask you if she was ever a cast member on SNL. Yeah, I, I, that's what I remember her as. Yeah, that, clearly I don't remember, but I remember. Um, <laughs> but her, she's uh, who Ackroyd calls Jane, you ignorant slut, right? No, that's Jane Curtin. Oh, that is Jane Curtin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. God. So who was? I saw Candace Bergen. Was, was she in the sketch with? Andy Kaufman and Richard, the, the, the Kramer guy. Was she in that sketch, that famous Andy Kaufman sketch where Andy Kaufman is from the, from the Man on the Moon movie? I swear that she was in that. Her, whatever. Moving on. We'll look it up later. Uh, she was the first ever woman to host SNL and a frequent host, but never an actual cast member. Okay. Okay. Um, Candace Bergen, her character got divorced 18 years ago. And basically she just kind of like, she's a judge, a federal judge. And she's like, let her work consume her life. And she hasn't been laid since her divorce. She was married to Ed Begley Jr. 
and um, it's basically 18 years of like not having sex. I saw that I was literally the youngest person in the theater when I saw this. <laughs> I believe, I believe not that. surprised. I believe that. I was sitting in between like two older women. <laughs> <laughs> it was oh my god i will tell you this though i had such a fun theater experience with this one because it really is funny watching these cute older people with these you know they you know you've got candace bergen signing up for online dating going on blind dates with richard dreyfus and making out in cars you've got craig t nelson taking viagra and getting pulled over by a cop and having a huge boner and then when mary steenburgen takes him home and they're getting into an argument and he walks away angry his boner hits the wall <laughs> it's like like oh, no. this is a fun movie it really is it really is it's a fun movie I, I actually enjoyed my experience in the theater. Um, I enjoyed, I enjoyed, I'm going to give it a taste it. This was a lot of fun. Um, I love, I'm a huge fan of Mary Steenburgen anyway. You know, I think she's great. Diane Keaton's really, you know, she's good. And, and, um, I, I of course I love Candace Bergen and, um, I don't know. I had a lot of fun with this one. It was fun. The daughters annoyed the shit out of me. Alicia Silverstone and and yeah. um, Katie Azelton, they annoyed the shit out of me in this movie. Just the way they treated their mother and like, you know, like but that that that's the whole point of them. Like not understanding like where their mother was in her life. She still felt like she had plenty of life to live and plenty of like romance and love to give another man after her husband died and they're just like well, you've got one foot in the grave, live in our basement. <laughs> so I but I I like this movie, so I'll give it a taste. And it was fun and it was fun watching it with all these old people and like listening to like the stuff that they would laugh at. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the jokes I laughed at, they didn't laugh at. But like, then there was like uproarious laughs when we all kind of like got the joke. So I, I liked it. Um, I watched, uh, Breaking In. This is the new Gabrielle Union. I saw that one. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. I, uh, a woman fights to protect her family during a home invasion. <laughs> um, it's Gabrielle Union and Billy Burke. And I, I'll ask you guys what your opinion was, but I was like really hoping to see like a fun movie here and it deals, I know it deals with like home invasion, but I really hope to see like a mother, like a mother, you know, like a uh, protective mother, like, you know, like protecting your kids and like fine and, and killing off villains in like cool ways. And like what it got was like a really forgettable and mediocre film. Like nothing is done really well. It's all just mediocre like and the house that she's in has like this state-of-the-art security system and then it that plays like the smallest part in the story and then the villains are really corny but um they're i don't know they're better than gabrielle union in this film unfortunately but if you have to watch it red box it i gotta give it a toss it i was not entertained and I constantly was waiting for this one to get over because, like, I felt like there's potential for this one to be, like, really good. Because, like, I love the Mark Wahlberg, um, what was it, Fear that came out in the 90s. Um, oh, yeah, that's a oh, I remember that, yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of, like, what I was hoping to get here, like, with, like, that kind of, you know, feel with, like, but just, like, with a mother and her kids. 
And I wish I could say I really liked this movie. I mean, there was some potential here. You could make a real fun kind of like thriller movie with this. And, um, but I just think it was pretty forgettable. I think at the end of the day, like this is a movie that I won't ever go back to. And it, I, I didn't have a lot of enjoyable fist pumping moments that I was hoping to get with this one. But, um, yeah, Stephanie, what did you think about breaking in? Um, it was okay. I mean, I didn't leave. I didn't think about it once I left, once I left the theater. I think, I think I agree with you. I think like her, her love and her need to protect her children was underutilized. I feel like they could, she could have been way more of a badass than they made her. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. It's like, if you're going to fucking have her go after these guys, I want her to be John McClane and fucking die hard. Right. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. then, the scene where her son discovers this, um, she finds her son and he's discovered the security room in the back. I'm like, oh, this security system is going to be the key to like her winning this thing and the, her killing these guys or getting them out of the house. And we saw the security room like two more times and that was. <laughs> I know. And I'm thinking like the security room, like I get it. Uh, like, but isn't there like, shouldn't there, like it's state of the art. Shouldn't there be like a way she would like, you could just contact the authorities on it? Like, just like even send them like a text to nine one one or something. I mean, you would, you would think you would think that, that little iPad they carried around. Yeah, they, they had said at the beginning that the phone lines had been cut, so maybe yeah. But like phone lines, that was why. Who uses a fucking phone line for security system anymore? They all have SIM cards in them now, anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not a a good explanation, but it's the only one I could think of. <laughs> yeah, but like you know, like nobody uses a like barely anybody uses a landline security system anymore. Like most most land, most security systems use SIM cards, just like your cell phones. So if you're gonna have a state of the art fucking system, like the guy who had that in his home, I'm sure I'm sure he's not fucking like, oh yeah, connect to my landline. Like it's. There's got to be a SIM card in it. I just thought it was kind of silly. But what did you think, Rebecca? Yeah, like, I I can't really defend this movie. And I, I want to because, you know, this this movie was uh, produced by Gabrielle Union and she starred in it of course and you know this is one of those movies that they could have cast like any they could have cast any white actress in this movie to play this part and they didn't because they they cast they cast Gabrielle Union who's uh, African-American and they made this a story about this mom who's going to save her kids and you know the only way we can tell Hollywood that we want more movies like this that we want more movies starring women of color and produced by women of color is to vote with our dollars and we tell Hollywood that we want more of this and it's just it just it wasn't a good movie like I saw it and I wanted I wanted it to be good and I mean I I I I don't I don't want to toss it but I I kind of have to toss it because there's so much wrong with it and and it really bugs the shit out of me because I I want to see more women in film and I want to see more women of color in film. Yeah, I mean that that has, that like that's like absolutely. I mean, I'm in 100% agreement with you when it comes to everything like that but I can't like 
just say like, well, you know, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a pass for that. It's just bad story. Right. It's bad story. And I felt like you have the perfect elements here to make a great movie. You have our fear of what's going to happen to these children. A mother wants to protect her kids. I felt like the kids should have been threatened a little bit more and that Gabrielle Union should have had like, more of uh some more badass moments to protect her kids and yeah. it's like they they missed these opportunities and yeah. um the villains were just like like the one um the one latino villain was just kind of like a little oh he was so ridiculous he was yeah. like a comic villain <laughs> it was like it was like they took him straight out of like what was that like blood in blood out like they took him out of like that like like one of those <sighs> have you ever seen blood in blood out Mm-mm. It's a great movie, mm-hmm. but um, it's like they took him out just like one of like these um, one of these like uh, Latino kind of like uh, gangster movies and threw him in there. But he was just so corny. He was just so corny, you know. And then like you had uh, Billy Burke, who was supposed to be like this, you know, crime boss or whatever, and he was he was terrible in this. Like nobody did their jobs well in this movie. Like nothing. It was just so mediocre. Like, I agree with Stephanie. It was just okay. And I feel like that you had all the elements to make a great movie here. This state-of-the-art house with a state-of-the-art security system. Okay, make it a character in the movie. Yeah. Really make it a character in the movie. Like, they tried to with the drone, but that was the dumbest thing in the movie, too. The, that, <laughs> that, that, it was dumb. That fucking drone was dumb. Like, if you're going to have, like, this house, like, you know, like, you think about, like, okay, you had Jodie Foster do a movie called Panic Room. And the Panic Room was a big character in that movie. And that's why I enjoyed the movie, movie Panic Room. Um, because it was such a character in the film. And... um you know, like, I don't know. I, I I just never had any fear for the kids in this movie. I was it, just going to say that. I felt like the kids weren't, I never felt like they were in any real danger. Yeah, like when you watch Jurassic Park, you don't want to see, like, the kids petting the velociraptors. You want to see? Yeah, that's not good. You want to see the kids threatened, and I felt like more of the threatening was going towards the mother and them threatening her, and nothing was like we never saw like the kids with like knives to their throats and all this stuff. It was it was more of like them trying to like stop Gabrielle Union and her character, and I felt like you have all these great elements to make a great movie. Like Mama is going to protect her cubs, and like we saw Mama. You know, like Mama Lion's going to protect her cubs, and we saw none of that in the movie. Like they, you can say that she's doing that, and we can kind of see that she's doing that, but it's not impactful. The storytelling was not impactful, and um, not at all. Yeah, so it's like it's a damn shame, you know. Like I gave it a chance. I was hoping to go in there because I love like well, it was that fear with Reese Witherspoon and Mark Wahlberg, and I fucking that's a great movie. It's a great movie. (laughs) That's part of like what I was thinking that we were going to get here is like you know like you know just like uh, these crazy bad villains that are trying to hurt them and for us to have fear for them and I don't know you know fucking fear like they cut the head off a goddamn dog and threw it through the doggy door. Oh, yeah, that was super fucked up. <laughs> wow, Stephanie got tickled by that. Stephanie loves that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Hey, Stephanie, watch The Godfather. They cut the head off a horse. You'll lose your shit. I've never seen that. <laughs> well, you, now you got, love it. Now you got to watch it. <laughs> she, she, Stephanie, growing up watching Mr. Ed, she was like, oh, my God. If only somebody would cut the fucking head off that horse. 
Uh, Wilbur, stop! Um, <laughs> he's like halfway through. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, hey, Stephanie, what do you got for us? Okay. So I've got two things. Um, the first one is a show that I'm trying to make make it through. I can't. It's, it's rough, though. It's the Frankenstein Chronicles on Netflix. Oh, um, not familiar. It is, uh, it's, it's, um, it's creators are Barry Langford and Benjamin Ross. It stars Sean Bean from obviously Lord of the Rings. He played Boromir and then Game of Thrones, Ned Stark, rest in peace. Um, and the synopsis is an inspector, John Marlowe, paid by Sean Bean, investigates a series of crimes in 19th century London, which may have been committed by a scientist intent on reanimating the dead. So it's really slow going. So the premise of the show and where I'm at so far is he has, um, I don't, I don't even know what type of work he does before he's on this mission, but he finds a body that, uh, in, that has died, a dead body in the ocean and, and closer on, upon closer inspection, he sees that the limbs appear to have been sewn on. Um, he's able to bring this to somebody at the head of the constable's department office, let's say, and, um, he, they want him to investigate to find out who is doing this. More bodies pop up that look to have been experimented on this way. Um, and they're trying to pass a law to make it illegal to, um, to perform like autopsies and to do this type of experiments on bodies. And so he kind of, he, then he takes on kind of like an assistant from the constable's office to kind of research to find the person they haven't found the person yet. It's really slow going. There's a lot of different stories happening at once. Um, Sean Bean's okay in it. He's um, he's not enough to keep me wanting to watch and to binge watch it. I'm like four or five episodes in, and I started it like a month ago. Um, I give it a taste it only because I'm now so invested that like I'm going to be doing laundry tomorrow and I'll watch the show while it's on while I'm doing it. But I'm not dying to watch it. It's just okay, um, so I give it a taste it. Um, yeah, Sean, Sean Bean has been making some odd choices with some of the things that he's been involved in recently. Like he's, he's in that, he was in that, he's in that crackle show with Ryan Quanton, which nobody's talking about, which I, I watched the first episode of it and I wasn't like enamored with it. Like I can't even tell you, like I don't even remember what the fucking name of that show was. Yeah, that's really, yeah, I don't I remember you talking about it. Yeah. And yeah, it's basically like p- different police gangs. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's like I think Fifty Cent is like a consultant on the show or something like that. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> I know it's so it's such a weird show, and it was like so bizarre. So I was kind of like, all right, I'm out. Like I don't know. It's like I don't know. Like Sean Bean. Like I feel like he's watched his characters die repeatedly that he's almost like just trying to kill his career at this point. <laughs> wow. <laughs> just depression huh? from all of his fictional characters dying. It's, it's like, it's like, what is it? What, what, what do they say? Like, uh, life, um, mimics art, mimics life or what, what's that phrase go? Oh, life imitates, imitates art. art. Yeah. Imitates life. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That, that is Sean Bean's arc as a human. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> Stephanie, I, I watched the first episode of that show, like, ages ago. 
when it first dropped and because I was like, ooh, Frankenstein, that sounds interesting. And I could barely get through the first episode and I was like, this is such a snooze fest. Like I, I you got you got into five so far? Yeah, I think I'm I started episode five. I mean Wow. I there's a couple of times that like I was obviously like doing other things. It's so definitely a show for me that's not worth your undivided attention. You could do something else. And then if you need to rewind a couple of seconds, you can do that. But a couple of times I rewound um, parts that I thought I'd missed something and I didn't miss anything. And you're just like, I'm never getting those three minutes back. Like I didn't even need to go back. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I made it through the first episode and I was just like, nah, I don't want to see what happens. Yeah. I'm not even sure. Like it's definitely a background show, but there's other shows I feel like are more worthy of providing background noise. I'm not sure. Because it's apparently it came out in 2015. I didn't know. I didn't see it on Netflix um, that long ago. But it's just not. No, it's just. Oh gosh, it's 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 pretty unbearable from right now. <laughs> but it's on like season two or three. But I don't wow. Know. wow, yeah. <laughs> uh, I love this review. <laughs> I will never be watching this show. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh, yeah. The idea is like super intriguing, right? Like maybe yeah. it's Frankenstein. Like that's really intriguing, and then it's just it's not executed well. It really no, it's not executed well at all. Well at all, and the aspects I think that make people curious and interested enough to watch it, like you said, the Frankenstein aspect. I mean, it's it's, it's barely there. Like I'm not afraid for the people that live in this town. Like so, just another person with an arm sewn on. Like whatever. Like Sean being still boring. Like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's like I, I, on the on the on the DVD box set. It says the perfect show to do laundry to. <laughs> <laughs> and it actually comes with like a two dollar off your next purchase of Tide. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bother rewinding. Trust us, you did not miss anything. <laughs> Oh man! What else you got, Stephanie? Yeah. Oh, uh, the Sean Bean show that I was talking about on Crackle is called The Oath, and that's also with uh, Ryan Quantin from True Blood. So yes, you know that the quality is there, especially with Fifty Cent as a producer. So <laughs> go, go, go ahead, Stephanie. So the second thing I have is a book I've been reading, and it's called Unwind. Um, it's by Neil Shusterman, and it's it's really good. I'll, get, I'll read you the synopsis because I wouldn't be able to say it as well. So the second U.S. Civil War was fought over reproductive rights. The resolution is that life is in, invaluable from invaluable from the moment of conception until the age of 13. Between the ages of 13 and 18, however, parents can have their child unwound, whereby all of the child's organs are transplanted into different donors so life doesn't technically end. Um, Connor is too difficult for his parents to control. Reza is a ward of the state. Um, and she's not valuable enough to be kept alive. And then the third child's name is Leave, and he's a Tide, and he's a child that he was conceived and raised to specifically to be unwound. And so together, these these three kids are kind of like running. They've all run away because they were going to be unwound, and so they're kind of navigate this town and the state that they live in, and which they don't say out. They haven't mentioned in the book yet, and they kind of. Not to trivialize Underground Railroad, but it's a system very similar to that where people kind of hide you in their basement until the coast is clear and then you're transported to another location. Um, the book also examines a practice known as storking, where if you give birth to a child, um, because giving birth is mandatory, and you leave the child on a doorstep 
and you're not caught leaving the child on a doorstep, the person whose doorstep it is, the minute they find your child, they're legally responsible to raise it. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. What? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> they run in, it's, it's so very interesting. They run into another child. He's a teenager. He, he's not about to be unwound, but he's on a mission. He had a brain injury. And his parents were able to provide him with part of a brain from a child that had been unwound. But ever since he received that part of the brain transplant, he's now been like super duper klepto. So he's been stealing and the kid's been giving the brain because the brain still thinks it's the other kid. And so he's on a mission to find this kid's home to like give his parents a message. He's always got like half his brain, half the other kid's brain. It is weird. Wow. Like, it's a really good book. So hold yeah. on, hold on. I'm trying to understand like the laws <laughs> of this world that they live in. So hold on. Like you said from, uh, so basically it's kind of like an organ donor situation here. Yeah. So, um, up until the age of 13, you ha- a child has to, you know, live unless they, you know, drive tragically. So but between the ages of 13 and 18, they consider the child the age of reason. So they can make reasonable decisions that turn out good or bad. And so, um, be- because of that, you can then, I don't say punish them, but make decisions based on that child's behavior. So if you want, if your kid's like a delinquent, it's always getting in trouble. You can then take them to like, they call it like a harvesting station and you have their organs harvested. They can, they can at this point in time in the future, anything could be re- skin, brain, eyes. Who nerve, takes anything. them? Like their parents? Yeah. So their parents sign an order to have the kid unwound and then the, the parent will transport them to the place or they can, the, you can also have the place come and pick your child up. Johnny, you better eat all your fucking potatoes or I'm going to have you unround, you little shit. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> you better eat your fucking Brussels sprouts, you little cunt. I'm going to have you, I'm going to know, yeah, they're going to rip your fucking intestines out through your goddamn belly button, you little fucker. I'm going to, yeah, you better, you bet your ass I'm going to have you unwound. I'm sorry. Um, that's oh, fucking that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, the concept is crazy. The craziest thing to me is like, uh, one of the kids that's on the run, his name is Connor, the one who was just a delinquent, his parents decided to unwound. He found the papers like in his dad's dress, desk drawer. And like, so that's how he found out. But he's on the run. He said when he was younger, a baby was stirked on their doorstep and their mom found the kid. So the mom didn't want to raise another kid. So she left him on the doorstep of another person. And the, the kid made its way around the neighborhood. And it took so long that the kid was sick, apparently, at some point and ended up dying because oh, it wow. kept getting stored. Yeah, so every time he, so at some point in the book, he sees a kid that gets storked and he picks it up just out of like fear of that that would happen to this child again. But like, wow. yeah, so it's this is a twisted world. Yeah. What is it? What, what is this book called again? Wind. It's called what? Unwind? Yeah. Wow. That, this sounds really fucked up. Is it a one and done or is it a whole like universe a, building thing? Yeah, it's a series of three, and this is the first book. Oh, I'm calling it. This shit's going on fucking Amazon Prime. Like, the fucking Am- like Jeff Bezos is, like, buying this shit right fucking now as we're talking. He's like, he's like next, we- next year on Amazon Prime, we're unwinding some fucking kids. And I'm telling you, man. Wow, this sounds... Oh, my God. Is, is this a tough read for you? Like, is it... How how are you feeling when you read this? Like, are you like totally like engaged in this story? And I'm in it, like oh. man, I'm in it. Wow! <laughs> so this is a Tupperware, right? Total Tupperware, hands down, no wow. question about it. Oh my god, unwind! Is this on? If this is like on Audible, I gotta pick this up. Yeah, you, should, you definitely should. I'm not sure if it's on Audible. I'm reading it on my Kindle. 
Um, but it's crazy. And I'm not even, I'm not even, I think I'm right maybe at the halfway point, but this, yeah, it's crazy. It's not, they've, um, they're being transported like this part of like this underground railroad for lack of a better term that they're yeah. on is transporting them to a place, um, where they can stay till they're 18. And then when they're, once they're 18, they can just go up on about their lives. But these planes transport them in these crates and the trip was so arduous that like a bunch of kids die on the way to where they were going. It's crazy. Oh my God. Okay. Hold on. So like, hold on. Like, here's the thing. Like this, this fucking shit's fucking crazy with like the, uh, the Oregon, the har- the Oregon, the Oregon harvesting that they've got going on. But who's the writer? Who's the writer of this book? It's called, um, his name is Neil Shusterman. Neil Shusterman. Neil, it wasn't enough for you that they're <laughs> ripping organs out of kids? Like parents can take like these kids to like these little fucking places where they rip the organs out. That wasn't enough for you. You gotta introduce storking into this shit? <laughs> like, that, like, like, like this, this Shusterman guy's like, nah, no. No, the story's not done here, but I'm gonna throw in this whole element of storking. Oh my god. I'm, I'm fascinated don't by forget, this. Don't forget baby stomping day when they introduce that. This is, yeah, it's like, well, welcome to like, uh, the Purge Jr. What the fuck, Jake? Like, this, this is, it's just like, it's like. Are all three books out? Uh, I believe so, yes. Okay, so this is a thing that's, uh, if you want to read it, you can read it all right away. You don't have to, it's not read up to a to be continued and then wait. Right, that's correct. Stephanie, this is why you're a fan favorite. You're blowing my goddamn mind. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a dark side. Oh my god, yeah. This is crazy. It's like, oh, I I wonder if people's license plates, if, if like, not license plates, if their driver's license still have like organ donor on it, yes or no. Like, what's the fucking point? It's like. Everyone's a donor. That's so weird. Oh, this is such a weird fucking story. It sounds uh sounds incredible though. That's really, really good. Alright. What else do you what, what, I'm afraid to ask, what else do you have? Okay. <laughs> I have this this is like a super short one because I know it's not gonna appeal to everybody, but there's a show on the Pop Network called Hollywood Darlings. <laughs> and um it stars Christine uh Lakin who played Alex on Step by Step, Beverly Mitchell, who played Lucy on Seventh Heaven, and Jody Sweet, who played Stephanie on uh, Full House. And it's a, it's a scripted show loosely based on them as adults. And it's a comedy. It's just kind of fun. It kind of brings me back to, like, my 90s nostalgia. Um, it's kind of raunchy, actually. Um, so I appreciate some of the dirty jokes because there wasn't a lot of that in 90s sitcoms. And so that's a show I'm watching. It's on the Pop Network. It's a taste it. It's not the best thing on TV, but if you're looking just for something that'll just bring you back to mm. where you used to be. There you go. That was I it. probably will start watching that to be quite oh, honest. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I, my, my alley. Uh, do, do they play themselves or they play like, like vert, like, like caricatures of themselves? No, they play themselves with their names and everything. And they talk about their old roles and dating and sex and drugs and the whole oh. bit. Yeah. That sounds like so sounds much good. fun for that '90s nostalgia feel. Yeah, it gives me. It definitely gives you that feel back for no. an adult version of that feel. You just hey, just tell me right. that it's a Tupperware. Just tell me the truth. Don't don't hold back. Just don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> give, no, give it. I want you to give it. I want you to give in to your guilty pleasure. All right, just give it a Tupperware, and we'll call it a it's day. A it's a Tupperware. There you go. <laughs> 
<laughs> Don't be ashamed. I mean, that's how I rate things. Like, I rate them the way I feel about them. And if I feel like it's a Tupperware, like, you know, I don't give a fuck what everybody else's experience was with it. I mean, if, 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 if it's got me coming back for more and I can't stop watching it, you know, if, and, um, then it's a fucking Tupperware. I don't care how silly it is. That sounds incredible. Like, yeah, I, that's good. Yeah. Like, let's take like these washed up nineties, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, TGIF sitcom stars that, you know, that some of them got involved in like, you know, maybe sniffing, like snorting a little bit of the booger sugar, like, you know, Jody Sweeten, <laughs> you know, you know, Jody Sweeten was snorting the booger sugar back in the day. hundred percent. One hundo. Um, I, what's it called again? I gotta watch this. Hollywood Darlings. Hollywood Darlings. Gotta watch that. Fuck yeah. I love Jodie Sweetin on the new Fuller House, too. She's great. And that's the thing. Like, the new Roseanne that came out that got canceled because Roseanne's a fucking moron. Like, I, I thought Becky was the best part of it. I loved Becky on it. Anyway, that's just me. Um, ooh, Brian. Brian's talking about the new Roseanne. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Controversial. I don't know. That fucking blow me. Um, I watched, uh, I watched the, the Arrested Development season, uh, five, the first part. It's the first. Hey guys, I want to remind you, like, this is the part one of season five. They still got a whole nother second part to it. Which, Jake, terrible idea for them to release this in two parts. I think the next part comes out in maybe July. Yeah, if it's not going to be like six months, what's the point? See, the thing is, it's like, I think what they were trying to do is like get it in there early enough for Emmy consideration. But it, I don't know. I So I watched, it's eight episodes. I'm Arrested Development, the first three seasons collected. Um... It's my favorite television ever. Like, I love Arrested Development. And um, season four, I would give a high taste it. Um, honestly, to be quite honest with you, season three was not as perfect as everybody fucking remembers it. Like, they were going through, they knew that they might get canceled, and and the show was getting switched every night, and it was a shortened season. So, I mean, I know people look back on it fondly, but, like, while it was happening, it wasn't the greatest thing ever. The first two seasons are just brilliant though um did anybody else start do i have any i know jake you like arrested development you've never seen season four but stephanie rebecca do you guys watch arrested development no i don't me neither okay all right so season five it's since it's hard to rate it because it's not a full season yet so there's stuff I love about this. I'm going to give it a taste it. If I have to rate it, I'm going to give it a taste it. I know that sounds safe, but whatever. There's stuff I love about it. We've got maybe pulling her scams like she's always doing. Her scam as an old woman is fucking hilarious and her relationship or pseudo relationship with Ed Begley Jr. is pretty fucking hilarious. Um, Buster in prison is great. Um, uh, that's really funny. Uh, him, <laughs> the scene with him talking about the evidence guy who's <laughs> the, okay, there's Buster's in prison. And so he, Buster's being questioned by detectives and they bring the evidence guy in to show the evidence. <laughs> 
to Buster, and then the detectives are gonna are gonna present it. Well, the evidence guy is pissed off that they brought him all the way in there. He had to drive all the way to the prison to show them the evidence, which is this video footage. He's just upset because it's just Dropbox. (laughs) And he, and he, and he feels, he feels he's pissed off because the detectives, he's like, you just brought me out here because you don't know how to work Dropbox. (laughs) (laughs) And that's kind of fun. That was kind of fun. I mean, and Kyle Mooney is in this season and he plays Tobias Funke's son. And his name is Murphy Brown, and that's kind of funny. I mean, I don't know. It, it, he's. I'm gonna give it a taste. It like there's a lot that I really love about it. I love maybe. I love Buster, but I feel like the like Jason Bateman is not good in this season. Like, you know, like the. Um, you know, Lucille 2 is not in the season. Lucille 1, like Lucille, is not good in this season. Jeffrey Tambor feels like he's phoning it in. And I know he's got, like, the sexual allegations that were going on during the filming and stuff like that. But, like, the, honestly, the best parts of the season is Maybe. Maybe is my favorite character this season, which is fucked up. Like, I love Job. And, like, Job... And Job is okay, and the arc that he has with, like, Tony Wonder is funny, but, like, maybe is the, like, the maybe scenes are the best scenes in this, and then Ron Howard is, Ron Howard as Ron Howard and the narrator is the second best character in this season so far, which is kind of fucked up. It's kind of fucked up, because I, like, Arrested Development is, like, my favorite thing ever, and, um, yeah, it just isn't living up to what I really wanted, but I can't really rate the whole thing yet because we're just eight episodes in and they still have some more episodes to give us. So moving on from Arrested Development, I wanted to talk about a couple of shows that are going to be premiering on Paramount Network and Rebecca, I know you had a chance to watch them. Stephanie, did you have a chance to watch them? I did. Okay, awesome. Jake, I know you're busy, so I didn't want to, like, bog you down with, like, homework. So there's a couple of shows that are coming out on Paramount, and we can't get into too many spoilers because we're kind of embargoed on these. But the first one that I wanted to talk about is American Woman on Paramount, and it's coming out June 7th, and it stars Alicia Silverstone, Mina Suvari from um, – she was in uh, American Beauty – and then she was also in the American Pie films and then Jennifer Bartels. And it's a half hour series. It's inspired by, it's inspired by the real life upbringing of co-executive producer Kyle Richards, um, the real housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, and, uh, American Woman follows Bonnie, played by Alicia Silverstone, an unconventional mother struggling to raise her two daughters after leaving her husband amid the rise of second wave feminism in the 70s with the help of her two best friends, Kathleen and Diana. These three women each discover their own brand of independence in a glamorous and ever-changing world reluctant to give it. So... Um, Rebecca, what did you think about, uh, did you watch all three episodes that we had access to? I did. Okay. What did you think about American Woman? There's a lot that I liked about this show. Um, 
I like that it's set in the, in the mid seventies. This is like right before women really went full force back into the workforce in the eighties, and we got like you know sort of that image of like the 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 woman with the giant shoulder pad suits and. And the sneakers yeah. commuting to work. Just think about uh, Sigourney Weaver and, um, in Working is, Girl. Like, right before that, and this is still. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, so you know, you've you've still got men and women who are playing these very typical or traditional roles where the man is the breadwinner and the woman stays home. And, and this is in LA, you know, so it's like, you know, everybody's plastic. Everybody's very superficial. Um, there's a lot, I love that it takes place in that time. I was really surprised at how good Alicia Silverstone was. I was not expecting much from her to be completely frank. Um, but I thought she did a really great job of playing this character of who finds herself suddenly a single mother. Um, I liked her friends who were in it. I liked the two actresses and the different challenges that they're facing. Um, yeah, I, if I have to rate it, I'm going to give the first two episodes Tupperwares and the third episode is a high taste it for me. Um, and it's not to say like the third episode sucks or it's terrible. I still give it a high taste. I just didn't enjoy it as much as the first two. Was the third um, episode the they, party? Yeah. I I did I loved I did love the speech on the roof with that was oh, No, that was great. The speech on the roof was great. Um yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we're going to get into like more stuff. I I think if I mean if I have some nitpicks, I I'm not a big fan of how the music is used in this in this. I I feel like it's a little too on the nose. Um, I mean, they're definitely like blasting you with all of these '70s music. You know, don't forget everybody, it's 1975. Like you know, they they kind of really want you to remember that. And uh, but I do think the clothes, the hair, the makeup, I think all of that is on point. Yeah, I think oh, it's great. God, yes, like um, Alicia Silverstone and like Mina Savari look like they could be Charlie's Angels. Oh, like, absolutely. It's- <laughs> There's so much feathering on that hair. Oh God, yes, <laughs> Stephanie. What did you think? Um, I thought it, I, I think it, it's it's really well done. Um, the first scene I see Alicia Silverstone, and the first thing I thought was I didn't remember the last time I saw her um, in anything, but like I'm myself. So I was when I saw her in this, and she was just coming out like guns a blazing, like like making her stamp on this on um, on the first couple of scenes. I loved it. Um, I actually. I would give the first two episodes a taste it and the third one a high taste it. Um, I think that whole scene at the party with the pool that that's what that set it off. It was the best. Yeah. Um, it was great. Yeah. Um, no, I thought it was really well done. The, uh, wardrobe choices are on point. Amazing. Um, makes me wish I was 20 something in the seventies, but that's not a thing. Um, no, I thought it was really well done. Uh, I think they, I think who they picked to play these parts, what I've seen so far, has just been great. And I was kind of surprised, and I don't, I don't mean this in a negative way, that like this was all like the brainchild of somebody from the Housewives. I, I don't know which franchise, but I was like, well, job well done. I like the concept. I thought it was, I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you there. Like, 
I'm going to say like all these episodes for me were high taste. It's, but I'm, I'm invested in the series now. Like it's, it's definitely something that I'm going to continue watching. Like, um, you know, like once, once, you know, I've seen the first three episodes and like now I've got to wait, like it feels like a month before I get to like episode <laughs> four. And, um, mm-hmm. But I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, Alicia Silverstone going through her struggles and basically, I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of sad that she's kind of like uh, it's interesting, though. And let me try. How do do I say this? Like we, we saw if this if this show goes on for seasons, I don't know how to say this with it making sense. When Breaking Bad started, we had, you know, Walter White as a chemistry teacher. And then by the end of the series, he's like a full-blown crime boss, right? I mean, and that's what I feel like this is starting off with, was like a woman with like a clean slate as far as her work history is concerned. She's basically just been like a mother and like her husband has been like the one out there in the workforce to the point where we see her in this episode going in for a job interview and she has no experience at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there, and you know, and of course it takes like that, 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 uh, that conversation where the woman's like, well, you're attractive. And so that'll be appealing. So like if you could be like a secretary, make sure that you wear short skirts and things like that. That's what era that we're in. We're in that era. And I know we still have the Harvey Weinsteins of today, but I'm saying like even in corporate America back then, you still had a lot of like, you know, like not just women trying to get roles in Hollywood. This is back just women trying to get jobs and move up the corporate ladder in general and getting sexually harassed. And, you know, Alicia Silverstone is an attractive woman. And, um, you know, and then, like, of course, her, you know, her husband's been cheating on her and and uh, just trying to adjust to her new life and but still trying to be a mother. And I man, I, I. I'm I'm so sucked into this show. I I I I, I, I love the '70s look to it as well. Like they really make it look like it's in the '70s, you know. And they're talking about they're talking they're dropping Quaalude references. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like this is this is really good. And they had like the classic '70s pool party, and um, I, I really I really like this. I can't wait for the next episode of this. Yeah, you yeah. know, there's some there's some really there's some really great stuff in this too like addressing like what you were saying Brian about women facing sexual harassment you know there's a scene where Diana who works at the bank you know she goes into her boss and she says oh you know this guy is leaving which means like there's a supervisory position open I want to be considered for it and her boss says well you know this other guy he's up you know he he's really interested in this position and of course he's completely underqualified she has more years at the bank and when she brings that to his attention like well I have I'm here a year and a half and I, I know more well he has a family to support, so uh, he needs that. Can yeah. I h- hold on? That is, believe it or not, that is still happening today in 2018. I have talked to friends of mine, women friends of mine, who have heard some variation of that 
when they have gone out for a promotion or a raise or anything. It's 20 fucking 18 and it's still happening. So for this to be a show right now with the success of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Hmm. with the success of Good Girls, this show is perfectly timed because it's got shades of all of that, but it's got its own spin. And and that's really what I was thinking of. It reminded me so much of Midge Maisel, who, you know, she's on her own now and she's got to figure it out. And even with like like good girls where you have these these moms and wives who have to take on this crazy, you know, robbery scheme because they're in a terrible position. This show is perfectly timed. And I I. I'm excited for it. I think it's. I am. I just am really shocked at how good Alicia Silverstone is, is in it because yeah. she has not done a lot of great stuff lately. Yeah, she did. Uh, and, she 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 did the uh, the fourth Diary of a Wimpy Kid film that she was yeah. the mom. that bombed. Yeah, she was the mom. It yeah. bombed. And like, I'll be honest with you. Let me be 100 percent honest with you. Um, I loved the first three. They're fun movies. Like, uh, <laughs> I've watched them. Yeah, I, I'm a dork. Anyway, they're fun, cute little movies, but like, the, the fourth one with her was terrible. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. That's sad that it's happening today. See, like, I, oh, I don't, oh yeah. I don't hear about that kind of stuff. So it's sad that that's happening today. And I'm, but I'm glad that this show is, is being made and like, um, I, I hope that you would agree, Rebecca and Stephanie, that like people should watch this and give it a shot when it come when it premieres on June the 7th. Yeah, definitely. 100%. Absolutely. I think it's, I was shocked that uh, Stephanie, you said it best that uh, how it was from this woman who's on the real housewives or whatever, which I, I can't stand any of those shows. I, I think all those, I don't like any of them. And, and I was shocked. I was shocked that somebody from those shows was involved in this. But I thought, wow, this is such a good story to be told. Um, I, I want to see what happens to her. I want to see what happens with her husband because he's involved in some shady stuff. Like, I want to see. Yes. Oh, oh, my God. The um, the 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 cliffhanger for episode one. I was just like, oh, here we go. Yeah. Oh, yes. It was awesome. Also, just a side note, the guy who plays Gary – the gay boyfriend of Mina Savari. Spoilers. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> You're sorry. fine. You're fine. You're you fine. Find it out in, like the first time. I know. You, oh, you find it out. You find it out in that little uh, changing room. That little. Yeah. 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 That actor show. Okay. Ask. Well, I'll break. I'll break. I'll ask you. I'll break. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> that that actor Cheyenne Jackson. I saw him. Years ago on Broadway, he was playing Elvis in some terrible Broadway play. Um, he is super talented. Like, keep your eye on him. He's been in other stuff, like on TV and movies. Um, but I know, I remember him from like way back. I'm talking like maybe 15 or more years ago. He was on Broadway. Hmm. That, that guy's super talented. He can sing and he can act and, uh, he's, he's very charismatic and very engaging. So when, when I 
realized it was it was Cheyenne Jackson, I was like, oh, that this will be interesting to see um, what they do with his character. And I, I just I love the casting in this. I think it's it's so well done. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. Like, uh, what's her name? Mina Savari. Like, I haven't seen her in a lot, and she as she plays Alicia Silverstone's sister in this, and she is really good. I, I really enjoy her in this film. Uh, movie, uh, show. What the fuck? I enjoy, <laughs> I enjoy her in things. <laughs> <laughs> Talking hard. Words are hard. Weird. <laughs> Scary. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I highly recommend it. It's called American Woman. Uh, it's gonna premiere on June 7th. And, uh, just a half hour, half hour program on Paramount Network, same network that brought you the, uh, Waco miniseries, um, with, um, Taylor Kitsch. So. Mm-hmm. Another yeah. great show. Yeah. Another yeah. great miniseries. So let's talk about another Paramount Network original that's coming out June 20th, uh, Yellowstone. And Gosh, I'm ready. Okay, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Yellowstone chronicles the Dutton family, led by John Dutton, who controls the largest contiguous uh, cattle ranch in the United States. Amid shifting alliances, open wounds, and hard-earned respect, the ranch is in constant conflict with those it borders. An expanding town, uh, an Indian reservation, and America's first national park. Far from media scrutiny, it is a violent world of poisoned drinking water and unsolved murders. Yellowstone is an intense study of the modern West brimming with land developers, energy speculators, assorted politicians, estranged family, and tribal players. Within this pentagon of interests, land lust is insatiable and love is weaponized. And it's written and directed by Taylor Sheridan, who wrote and directed last year's Wind River. Uh, he also wrote and directed Hell or High Water. He wrote Sicario and the upcoming uh, Sicario 2, Day of the Soldado. Uh, it stars Kevin Costner. Wes Bentley, you'll remember him from American, Sto- uh, American Horror Story if you've watched that. Uh, Kelly Riley, uh, Danny Houston. And um, uh, it's a 10-episode miniseries that's coming to Paramount on June 20th. And uh, we've, we've been embargoed and we can't give... Many, we can't give spoilers out on this one, but I, I wanted us to kind of give our general thoughts on the show. And it wasn't, it was an hour and 30 minutes. So I'm thinking, I'm guessing that the premiere is going to be a two hour episode. Yeah, I, I would yeah. agree. I would yeah. agree with that. It's, uh, I found out that the, the pilot was shot in Montana and Utah. And first off, the scenery is just fucking beautiful in this. Mm-hmm. It's stunning. It is. It's just. It is. It's amazing. And um, I, I, um, you know what, Stephanie? You sound like you're chomping at the bit to talk about this. <laughs> I, I want to know what your thoughts were on Yellowstone. Okay, so I'm going to try to be as general as possible. Okay, first of all, it is beautifully shot. The scenery will take your breath away. It makes me want to live on a multi-million dollar ranch in Montana. <laughs> I would <gonna> say that. <laughs> um, what I love the most about this movie, first of all, I think Kevin Costner is phenomenal and um, what, what we've seen so far. Something else that I like, really, I'm not movie, I'm sorry, the show. Um, what I also really like, I love a show or a movie where you can't 
place your allegiance with any one character. Um, I feel like you can have sympathy and understand where each kind of group, because there's, there's so many people at odds in this show. Um, I can see where each side is coming from. And you, I have, I sympathize with each side. I disagree with each side. I'm not entirely sure who would necessarily be deemed as good or evil. If that's even the case, I don't know if that's where they're going. Each character is so dynamic so far. Um, it's written really well. I, I mean, I cried at parts. I can, when I tell you, I cannot wait for the show to come on. I cannot wait. Like I'm already hooked, already hooked. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I love nice. it. That's awesome. No, that's, that's a great review. I yeah, love that review. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Uh, Rebecca, what did you think about Yellowstone? I liked a lot of this. Um, I loved the scenery. You could definitely see Taylor Sheridan's hand in this. If you saw Wind River, that cinematography was out of this world gorgeous. Um, some of the people who work with him in Wind River are in this as well. So I thought that was really nice to see him working with the same people. Um, I will absolutely echo what Stephanie said that there's no clear like good side bad side here which I love I think that that makes for great storytelling uh, because it's not like these are the good guys so I have to like them and these are the bad guys so I have to hate them It's there's none of that there's a lot of complexity which is great I thought some of the dialogue was a little cheesy um, there were parts where I groaned and rolled my eyes and I was like, ugh, really? And I did not, uh, took me out of it. I didn't like it. Um, there, and I, okay, I know we have to be general. There's something that happens in the, in the show. And when it happened, I didn't care because I didn't feel like I got, they didn't spend enough time with that character. And, um, I was like, okay, uh, I don't, I don't feel what I'm, what you want me to feel here. Um, I mean, it's absolutely a Western. I, I don't want to say it's tropey, but there were moments where I felt like I was watching like a Western romance novel being put on the screen. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I, I just, I'm not sure like where it's going to go from here, but I did enjoy overall what I watched. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I understand what you're saying about the death, but then like, I don't know. It, it was one thing where it was like, I'm just thinking like, you've got your main, not, not one of your, you've got one of your main characters that's kind of like torn between two worlds because See, and, it's, and to, it's, I'm sorry. It's, I'm no, sorry. It, no, it's fine. It's fine. You've got family on both sides and yeah. I, I know one is kind of like estranged, but then, and then what? I don't know. It's, oh my God. I, I feel like this is gonna, I feel like this is just an hour and a half that we got here. But like once this show, once we dive into the next nine episodes, like it's just gonna fucking explode. Like this is just going to get, if you've watched Netflix's Bloodline, I feel like this show has like, it can go down that road. Like if you loved Bloodline and if you love Taylor Sheridan, you're gonna love this. But I feel like it has, like, the potential to, like, this is just the beginning. Like, this is just mm-hmm. the taste. Mm-hmm. And things are just going to spiral out of control. Because what you've got to understand is, like, they're in Montana. Like, and it's pretty lawless out there. You've got, you've got, in, you've got, like, these Native American Indian reservations. And there's, there's areas out there that are lawless. Like, my aunt lives in Montana. And she lives in, like, 
she lived, my aunt lives so fucking remote from people that like, if, you know, like if someone dies out in Montana, you don't have to like have them, you don't have to have like a funeral. You can just basically bury, like dig a hole and like plop them in the hole. I know that sounds fucked up, but that's... (laughs) She's so, my aunt is so remote in Montana. Like it's, she's away from people. You don't have to have, I mean, of course you call it in and let people know and like tell the papers or whatever, but like you can, you don't have to have, and that's kind of like where they are. They're like out in this remote areas in Montana that they're wanting to turn into like these big kind of like tourist attraction type places. So you've got, you've got, uh, that's what I love about this is like you have all these different elements. You have like, like these big kind of like companies like wanting to move in there and like, you know, land developers that want to like, probably bring in big hotel chains and stuff like that. But then on the flip side, you have like Indian reservations that feel like the land was stolen from them and they want, they're just, you know, they want, they want what's due to them. And then of course you have, you know, Kevin Costner, who's like, who's trying to hold on to what he has, um, Mm -hmm. as this rancher and the family element of this, um, the daughter character intrigues the fuck out of me. Like, She's been gone for so long, but she's like a hard-nosed businesswoman, and she takes what she wants, but she she's very cold. <laughs> and um, <Yep. laughs> she is very cold, right? I mean, she mm-hmm. intrigues me. the The other son intrigues me. Why he left in the first place, and see, see like to me, his character, the son who left, yeah. and is torn. To me, that's the most interesting character. Maybe not the most, but he's the uh, of the kids. He's the most interesting character. I feel like the one who dies, we got so little development on him that it didn't hit me. That that's my only complaint, really, is that I just felt like, yeah, I mean, I, and I'm not like you know, I'm not like cold hearted. Like I don't care your kid died. Like I I just I didn't feel what they wanted me to feel because I didn't feel like I got to know him as well and. I, I like the other characters. I, I, I like Kevin Costner. I think his thing is th- – th- that's my only complaint really is that I didn't feel that, – that didn't impact me the way it's supposed to and the way it obviously like impacted you, you guys. I just didn't feel like no, I could No, 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 no. I'm not saying like I was crying when that moment happened. Like I feel like that was the son that was trying to gain the father's love and the father's – but the father was always kind of like leaning more towards the other son, but the other son was the one that kind of like went away. And I just yeah. feel like this is a, this is a story of family and families are not perfect. And I feel like this was a, they didn't like, um, uh, they, he, he didn't hold our hands through this episode. Things just kind of happened. And I feel like things right. are going to open up a lot more in future episodes. Like what I got here was intriguing enough so that I cannot wait for future episodes of this. Um, so I, I don't know if that, I, I don't know. I don't know. It'd be interesting to talk to Taylor Sheridan and ask him like, is that supposed to be as impactful as, you know, or is it just supposed to be just the moment where, is that just supposed to be the catalyst for everything else that's going to happen in this series? 
Mm-hmm. Oh my, mm-hmm. you're like, you're like, you're reading my mind right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, I could absolutely, and, and you know what? I could, I could watch the rest of this show and then come back yeah. and re, re- Okay. I have a feeling that's what's going to happen. I have a feeling I'm going to watch the rest of the show because I plan to. I'm yeah. definitely invested to see what happens. I love Westerns. You you guys know that as much as I love Westerns. I have a feeling I'm going to watch the rest of the show and I'm going to look back on, on that first episode and go, now I get it. And I just, I'm just not there yet. Yeah. But I, I'm not saying I can't get there. Um, but I think that this is a really great modern Western and I am really, I want to see these characters. I, I want to see all the depth that they have to bring. I think there's a lot more layers of good and bad in all of them. Yeah. I just can't believe that we're going to get it. We're getting Kevin Costner in a 10 episode miniseries on Paramount Network. And this That's is crazy. directed by, directed and written by Taylor Sheridan. And I think this is going to be fantastic television. And I don't want people to snooze on this. I'm going to, I'm going to give this first episode of Tupperware because I loved everything that was kind of presented here. Stephanie, what are you going to rate it? Tupperware for sure. And Rebecca. I, I, I give it a high taste. It, I, as I said, like I didn't, I didn't hate it by any yeah, means. Yeah. There were some things that I didn't care for a hundred percent, but I could always like Tupperware the whole series as a whole. Yes. You know, yes. at the end, which I could, very, I could easily see myself doing. Just for right now, it's a high taste. It, but I am definitely going to watch this once it becomes available. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Jake, if you want access to this, let me know. I'll hook you up. All right, yeah, cool. The um the American Woman show sounded really cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um let's uh yeah, definitely Yellowstone, it uh comes to Paramount Network, which was Spike TV. It comes to Paramount Network on June twentieth. Uh highly recommend this one, guys. This is gonna be this is gonna be good. This is gonna be ten weeks of great television in my opinion, so definitely check it out. Let's take a quick break and we'll come right back. Awesome. Welcome back to uh, this is uh, Pop Culture Leftovers News. Alright, Deadline had a, an exclusive this week. Jamie Foxx set for Spawn. Creator Todd McFarlane. Dark uh, Blumhouse adaptation. So, uh, Jamie Foxx is set to star in Spawn, the Blumhouse film that marks the uh, directorial debut of Todd McFarlane from his scripted adaptation of his comic book creation. Fox will play the character who started out in the comics as Al Simmons, a member of a CIA black ops team who was betrayed twice after being set up by his cohorts to be murdered with his corpse set aflame. Newman is double-crossed. Uh, in hell, he is convinced to become a hellspawn warrior in exchange for 
being able to re uh, to be reunited with his wife but spawn finds himself stuck in a demonic creature shell and that his wife moved on and married his best friend so this is one pissed off anti-hero who attends to dispatching the scum of the city in good and evil battles that encompass earth heaven and hell mcfarlane has uh gotten overtures on a new live action film that could launch a franchise but he always had creative issues that led him to his own gritty low budget version at blumhouse uh, he expects the budget to be between 10 million to 12 million dollars for a dark r-rated realization of his vision that will stack up favorably from both a creative and financial standpoint um what first off i want to ask you guys like what do you guys think about the casting of jamie fox uh in the role of the film uh i'm indifferent about it i i don't dislike jamie fox but i'm not a big champion of his i mean he's been really really great in movies and he's been really really shit in movies so i i do like the first thing i think is he obviously must have taken some kind of pay cut i mean speaking of that budget i mean academy award-winning jamie fox would take up half of that i would think normally or you know a good chunk so he must have taken some kind of pay cut to do this. So hopefully that means he's a big fan of the source material. And we know Todd McFarlane basically handpicked him. So hopefully, I, I guess I'll have faith that Todd McFarlane knew what he was doing with this casting. I, I hate to be a wuss, but I'll freeze it. All right. Uh, Rebecca. Yeah, I don't, um, to be honest, I don't know a ton about the character Spawn. So as far as like if this is, I don't know, comic accurate or if it's like a good choice, bad choice, I, I can't really speak too much about that. Um, I'm kind of in Jake's camp here that, you know, J- Jamie Foxx has done some really great stuff and then he's done some really crappy stuff. But if Todd McFarlane picked him, I mean, I mean, he's the creator of the character. You've, I've got to imagine that this is the person he believes can bring his, his uh, vision to life. Um, yeah, I'm also surprised he's doing this movie for, he's, he's got to be making very little money if the whole budget is like 12 million tops. That's a very, very small amount of money for him. But, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess for me, because I don't have like tons of, uh, backs, uh, it, or not, that's not the right word, but tons of experience with the character. I'll, I'll taste the news, um, and see how, how it goes like from there. Stephanie? Sorry. Um, yeah, I agree with Jake. I could, he's, Jamie Foxx is, I'm kind of indifferent. He's been really good in, in, in films I've seen and he's been really bad. Some of the decisions he's made as of late have led me to believe that when I first heard the news, I was wondering if he was maybe just hoping that this would be, um, since characters like this are, are really blowing up at the box offices, maybe he's thinking, uh, this is, this is his in, um, to kind of blow up this character and maybe make us either, I don't know, like a franchise thing or make this a movie that people really don't want to go see, like all the other movies that are based off of comic books that are out right now. Um, and that's what led me to believe that he probably took this role, especially given some of the stuff he's chosen to do as of late. I think he's just, I'll, I'll wait to see because um, it, it could go either way for me. Probably at this point, I'm I'm predicting that it could go either way. Yeah, I, I don't know how much faith I have in this. First off, it's directed by it's going to be directed by Todd McFarlane, who has never directed anything before ever. And then also, it's it doesn't line up. This doesn't line up anything at all with what he said in the past. Okay, first off, Todd McFarlane talks about. 
having Jamie Foxx in mind for the character when he wrote the script. Now, hear me out here. This is his quote. Jamie came to my office five years ago, and he had an idea about Spawn, and we talked about it. I never forgot him. And when I was writing the script, you sort of plug people in, and he was my visual guy. And I never let go of him. When I got done and my agents and everybody was talking about what actor, I said, I'm going to Jamie first. And until he says no, I don't want to think about anyone else because I've never had anyone else in my head. Luckily, he hadn't forgotten either. I said, hey, I'm back to talk about Spawn again. And he was like, let's do it. Now, first off, I want to point this out that Jamie Foxx is 51 years old. So, yeah. I mean, he doesn't look 51. Now, don't get me wrong, but on the flip side, it's like I was thinking that they would go younger with the character of Al Simmons for this. And he's talking about Jamie Foxx coming to his office five years ago. He's always had this guy in mind. And back in an interview in January with um, Arizona Central, Todd McFarlane said this, I like to explain that it's my jaws. Spawn doesn't say a word the entire movie, and it's the same way with Jaws. It's about the sheriff and the people chasing the ghost. That's it. The lead role isn't Spawn. The lead role is a cop, like Sheriff Brody from Jaws. What's the noise going on there? What the fuck are you doing? Someone's typing or something. Sorry, that was me. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um... The lead role isn't Spawn. The lead role is a typist named Stephanie who types <laughs> incessantly Sorry. to the point where it drives the host of the podcast <laughs> up a goddamned wall. Um, end quote. No. <laughs> the, the lead role isn't Spawn. The lead role is a cop like Sheriff Brody from Jaws. I think we can look, I think we can hook a fairly significant actor that we want. Unlike a superhero movie, we wouldn't need an actor to put on prosthetic or go to the gym. We just need him to act. It sounds weird that you're talking about a dialogue-free character playing Spawn, and yet you cast Jamie Foxx. He's who you've always had in mind. I. It feels like there's going... Okay, so we're going to get Al Simmons, played by Jamie Foxx, but once he becomes Spawn, there's literally no dialogue left for the character? Like, that doesn't sound like you wrote the script in mind for Jamie Foxx. It feels like the script is going to be changed now because you've cast Jamie Foxx as Spawn. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I love Todd McFarlane, but I think much like Rob Leefield, sometimes he could be a little bit of a bullshit artist. You know? I think you're definitely correct, Ryan, that it's like now he's just kind of mending what was to be into what is now. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Why say you're going to have a dialogue-free kind of spawn? I mean, I guess if it's just going to be one movie and we're going to get 51-year-old Jamie Foxx playing spawn, I mean, it's just going to be one movie. I can't think that, that McFarlane is just wanting to do a one-off, though. No like, fucking way. Like, There's no way McFarlane, you know... Enterprising Todd McFarlane doesn't want eight movies here. So once he stops talking as Spawn, like in the next film, if it gets greenlit, if it's a hit, so we're just going to have more dialogue-free Jamie Foxx showing up to just 
get into C, into makeup or CGI or mocap or what? It's just, I don't know. Nothing, nothing really lines up here. It, it's so maybe, weird. Maybe we don't even need Jamie Foxx once he's transforms from Al Simmons to Spawn. Maybe that's just what he's done. Yeah. Um, I mean, can I ask a question? Yeah. Um, in in the comics, is that is that how it works with Spawn? Like when he is Spawn, he doesn't speak. Is that is that how? I, I don't know. Is that how it works? No, he he talks in the comic. Really. He's got, He's got word balloons. They, they they actually look really cool. Todd McFarlane's always been really cool about giving different characters unique speech balloons, and he's got so, those like green flame speech balloons. Yeah, yeah. That's so like the choice to make him speechless or or without dialogue is just like a creative choice, I guess. Or that doesn't make I, a lot of sense to me. Like I'm having trouble wrapping my head around I, that. I always thought the original point and the original concept was was that Spawn wasn't so much the main character and it wasn't that he's a non-speaking character, it's that he's more of an entity that is going on rather than the movie is like 100% focused on him, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, it would be more like a horror because I didn't McFarlane kind of describe it as like a Spawn horror movie, so I kind of felt like we were going to do like the Sam and Twitch thing where we were going to be following police officers. And he made the seven comparison, which I think lines up with that. But that changes once you cast, that changes once you cast Jamie Foxx. I mean, Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent agree. I'm just trying to explain. No, you're right. Rebecca, where the silent part came from. It wasn't so much that he's a mute. It was that, so I think he's going to have to morph what he said then into what it is now. Too. He's trying to I, say I that don't think he's trying to say that Spawn is like Jaws now, and that when Spawn shows up, it's kind of like that Jaws moment. And but now that you've cast Jamie Fox, you've got to rewrite the script. Whatever script you had in mind, you've got to re- you've got to rewrite it now. Like he he said, um, we just signed off on the script and we are going into budgeting. We're also having our casting meeting. It will be dark and heavy, serious, R-rated. It won't be a superhero movie. I don't think most people would categorize it as that. It will be a supernatural thriller, like a lot of good creep movies. The only thing in the movie that's fantastic is Spawn, and anything else otherwise is. Normal, so yeah. it, it makes me think that they're going to do the origin story again now too when they cast Jamie Fox. Which well, they, is what I was excited to not do. Well, th- see, that's the thing. Like, I, I, yeah. Now that you've cast Jamie, I don't know. It's so fucking weird. It doesn't line up with anything he said back in January about the character being basically dialogue free. So it, it, yeah. it leads me to believe that there has to be a rewrite in the script because you've got Jamie Foxx. Like, I personally wanted Ricky Whittle to be our spawn in this. Ricky Whittle from American Gods. He played uh, Shadow Moon. And um, that's why I was like, a young guy, young guy. He can play the character for years. Great actor, in my opinion. Loved him in American Gods. I even told Ricky Whittle during the American Gods panel at C2E2, I said that I wanted him to be Spawn. Like, would he ever be interested in playing a role like that? Blah, 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 blah. You know, he was, you know, fielding questions during the C2E2 panel. And, you know, he, he started going down, like, this this whole tangent and talking about, like, all these characters and, like, things that, you know, he'd be interested in playing and stuff like that. And he <laughs> he said that he wanted me as his agent. Which is nice. pretty <laughs> hilarious. Cool. And like I posted the panel on um American Gods after show, which is like the the 
the podcast that I do for American Gods after I, I, cause I recorded it, but that's, I, I wanted Ricky Whittle originally, and now we're getting Jamie Foxx, who I think is a fine actor. I loved him in Django, and I loved him in Baby Driver, and I've loved him in, uh, you know, the, the Ray movie and stuff like that, but like, I feel like, you know, he's, he's 51. Like if you, he doesn't look 51, but he is up there. So, and it just, these statements, like the casting just doesn't line up with, with, with the, with, with Todd McFarlane saying that the character is going to be dialogue free once he's introduced. Yeah. And I mean, if Todd McFarlane writes shit, Jamie Foxx has proven that he's not going to be the best at enhancing that. And to me, that's where Amazing Spider-Man 2 comes in. Just because Jamie Foxx was Electro didn't mean he could overcome what was essentially a garbage role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot to worry about here. There's a lot. I, I, honestly, gosh, um, I don't think things are looking good for this film, unfortunately. And I, I love Todd McFarlane too. I think he's a great guy. I really do. And I respect him. And I respect what he's given comics. And I, I love his enthusiasm on this project. And I do love the fact that, like, he's gotten Blumhouse involved in this. Like, I think they're a great studio. And. Yeah, a natural fit for kind of what he was first pitching. Yeah, yeah, but I feel like once once you got the casting of Jamie Foxx, it feels like you're kind of back at square one. Like you've got to you've got to. I don't think Jamie Foxx is just going to be like, yeah, I'll play Al Simmons, and then like once once I become Spawn, like I'll just do some mocap for you, and I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> like this, that doesn't make sense to me. Sorry. Sorry. Can I ask a question? Oh, go yeah, go ahead. Was Spawn, um, was it a popular comic? Is it a comic that you, that, that you think fans are going to be interested in seeing adapted into film? I don't know. I don't know it's how been it adapted to film. Yeah, it was wildly popular. It's, yeah. I mean, at one point, it launched an entire action figure sequence. I mean, in many ways, Spawn changed the action figure game with what McFarlane did with it afterwards. Yeah, well, McFarlane toys, and then like, there was, uh, the Jai White, you know, Spawn movie came out in 97. I was in the theaters watching that and horribly Me disappointed. Too. You know, I mean, uh, as much as I love John Leguizamo, I guess, I guess John Leguizamo is the best part of that as the clown. Yeah. Um, I was wildly, I was disappointed by that. I loved the HBO animated series. I thought that was fantastic and it's still on HBO Go, I believe. Um, but, um, yeah, if, yeah, if, Stephanie, um, Oh, sorry, Brian. No, go ahead. I was going to say, Todd McFarley created Venom, and then he was upset that he didn't have full creative creative control over that character because that character was essentially owned by Marvel, even though McFarlane helped create him. And him and a bunch of other artists and writers left Marvel, and that's when they started Image Studios, and Spawn is a character he created to have complete control over as his own franchise. He was one of the guys in that film. I think I heard on a PCL about that film about the comics who created their own. Is that mm-hmm. he was one of yeah, them? It's, yeah, it's same, yeah, yeah, same company. Image. Okay. Yeah. I, Jake, I feel like, okay, I feel like Todd McFarlane, like his vision for this was like, yes, I'm going to introduce like these police officers. I'm going to introduce all these different stories uh, within the Spawn universe. And Spawn is going to show up. And not only will he show up kind of like Jaws does in the movie, like the shark, but, you know, I'm also going to introduce like the, you're going to hear the sound of the chains. 
you're going to see the cape moving. The cape is going to be its own character. And that's where, like, you're not going to hear Spawn talk, but, like, that's where it's going to be, like, scary horror thriller kind of story. But I feel like that changes 100% when you cast Jamie Foxx in the lead. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. I agree that they're probably going to have to do a complete script rewrite, rewrite at this point. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So that's unfortunate. I don't <laughs> yeah. really, that makes me a little bit anti Jamie Foxx because I really don't, I, I thought the vision was a pretty interesting vision before and I don't like, I don't think it's going to service the story to bend the will to have Jamie Foxx in it. Yeah, but do you, like, do you see like, okay, look at it from Todd McFarlane's through his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. He wants more eyes on it. Yeah. I get why he would want this and why he would want to do this. But to me, the the sacrifice isn't worth it. The juice is not worth the squeeze. I agree. I agree. Let's move on to another comic book project here that's uh, getting greenlit. Um, this news comes from Deadline. Two months after Hulu opted not to go forward with its lock and key pilot, the project... An adaptation of Joe Hill's comic, Lock and Key, from um, from Carlton Cuse and IDW Entertainment, is in final negotiations for a series order at rival Netflix. We, we reported on this a couple months that Hulu passed on Lock and Key. Now talks between Netflix and the Lock and Key producers started shortly after Hulu passed on the pilot back in March. Sources said that Netflix would be licensing the rights to the intellectual property, not picking up the existing Hulu pilot to series, and the project will undergo redevelopment, including recasting of two of the three Lock children. Um, wow. It director Andy Muschietti, who helmed the Hulu pilot, is working on the film sequel, so he will not be available to direct the new version for Netflix, but he will serve as an executive producer on the series. So, um, if you're not familiar with Lock and Key, it was a comic that came out by, uh, from IDW, from Joe Hill, um, which is, um, Stephen King's son. The, Basically, it's about the Locke family. They're on vacation in California. The oldest son, Tyler Locke, is uh, bored and butting heads with his father, Rendell, a guidance counselor at the school where Ty attends. Um, two young men come looking for his father. One of the young men, Sam Lesser, is a student at the school where Rendell works. Sam demands the Anywhere key and the Omega key from the family. Not recalling what those items are, Rendell refuses and Sam kills him. Tyler feels guilty because not only do his last moments with his father involve arguments, but he recalls suggesting his father's murder to Sam Lesser when Sam said he was going to kill his own parents. Um, although Tyler thought it was... Uh, an off-the-cuff remark to gain a fresh new start from the town where they'd been identified as the survivors and to get away from the prison where Sam Lesser is incarcerated, the Locke family crosses the country from California to their ancestral home in Lovecraft, Massachusetts. Uh, Massachusetts. Joining the Locke children, um, Tyler, his sister Kinsey, and younger brother Bodie, and their mother Nina is Rendell's younger brother Duncan. When the Locke family clan arrives in Lovecraft, they unload their belongings and explore the great Keyhouse Manor 
this is where it gets really cool, and the vast property on which it is situated. It isn't long before Bodhi makes a discovery in the well house. He finds a key that allows him to travel outside of his body as a spirit. The ghost key is just the first of many magical keys associated with the Locke family and the key house. And it's not the only otherworldly thing young Bodhi finds. For a spirit by the name of Dodge, who occupies the abandoned well house, calls out to him. Dodge tells Bodhi about the other magical keys and acts as a friend to the young boy. It's a really fucking cool comic series. But... God damn it, Jake, if this has not had the worst history in trying to get adapted to film and television. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. A I'm decade. Nearly day, a decade. Nearly a decade. I'm glad that if it does finally get made, it's looking like it's going the, the television series route, because I've always thought that would be the best like way to adapt this. Well, Netflix. Um, yeah. Why did Netflix pass on this? See, that's the thing. you got to wonder. You like, mean Hulu? Uh, yeah, excuse me, Hulu. Why did Hulu pass on this? Um, it was directed, the pilot was directed by Andrew, uh, uh, Andrew Michietti, the IT director. Uh, it would have starred Danny Glover, Samantha Mathis, Owen Teague, who played Patrick in IT, Jackson Robert Scott, who played Georgie in IT, and Nate Cordry. Um, Lost writer Carlton Cuse adapted the story for the pilot. I mean, it had a lot, it had some great fucking pedigree here involved jake yeah i love carlton cues um are, is he gonna be moving along with it did you say carlton cues as far as i know should be involved in this i think i i, I can't 100 percent, but i would i would say I, I i would say that he is moving forward with the netflix they probably would have brought it up if he was out that would have been part of the story i yeah. guess yeah, I, I'm excited. I, I hope it, it's a success. Boy, I mean, it is interesting, though. Like, if Hulu passed it because of the changes we know Netflix is making, then why not just Hulu demand the changes? See, Hulu's not one to pass on, like, Joe Hill, Stephen King stuff. They did 1122. What was it? 1122. Isn't that Castle Rock? And Castle Rock's coming out very soon. And... I don't know, man. This seems like this series has been rumored for TV for like nearly 10 years. Like Dimension had the film rights and TV rights. Those, those rights lapsed. DreamWorks picked it up. Then Alex Kurtzman and Robert Orsi, those guys from like Star Trek, the JJ Abrams writers, um, for the Star Trek movies, they signed on to develop and produce it. And then in 2010, Steven Spielberg joined as a producer. And then, then it became a TV series rather than a movie. Josh Friedman from the Sarah Connor Chronicles started writing episodes for it. And he was going to be the new showrunner. And then 20th Century Fox landed it. They greenlit a pilot. And then... Mark Romanek directed the pilot episode, which um, the pilot was screened at San Diego Comic-Con back in 2011, and it was well-received by audiences there. And then all of a sudden, like, that just, that died. 
which brings us to 2017 where Hulu canceled, said we're not going to pick it up. And now Netflix is doing – Jake, what I'm worried about is like Netflix has – like, this is a great story. I think it can be adapted better in a TV series. 100% agree with you. The problem that I have with this is, like, I feel like Netflix has adapted some of these manga to live action series, and I feel like we might get just that shit here. Mm, that's with, a good point. Without Andrew without Andrew Muschietti directing the whole fucking series and being the showrunner, because he's going to yeah. be an executive producer. Like, I feel like if he was involved in the whole fucking thing, we could get a really good fucking series. But, like, without a competent showrunner, it could just be, like, another one of these fucking, like, manga-to-live-action Netflix series that nobody fucking gives a shit about, and people are just saying, oh, just watch the original Ghost in the Shell, watch the original Erased, it's a lot better in in the manga. Yeah. Death Note. Yeah, Full Death Metal Note. Alchemist. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a great, that's a valid point. Um, hopefully it's not just, they're just making it so they can make it and have one more exclusive show and there's no like creativity or yeah. artistic style to it. I would love to get my hands on that San Diego Comic Con pilot and be able to see that for myself. Have you ever heard somebody talk about it? No. I have. I've heard, I've, I've listened to a couple podcasts where people have talked about it and it's weird. It's so divisive. Like they said it was well received, the article that I've read, but I've heard people talk about it. Some people say that like, oh my God, I liked it. It was really good. And then I've heard other people say like it was, it was terrible. So it really depends. So hmm. that is interesting. And it's always hard. Like things aren't typically booed when you show them at a thing like San Diego Comic-Con. Yes. Like, we've, we've seen that before. Like yes. Like, fact, where uh, Blair Witch comes to mind. Yes. 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 Where it's like, you're at, you're, it's a bunch of geeks already excited, already ramped up. You've got writers and stars and directors of the project in attendance. It's hard to be the guy that says, yeah, that was crap. Can, let me explain, like, my experience. Like, I love Bruce Campbell. Huge fan of Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell came here to my town to show his movie, um, my, Hello, My Name is Bruce, at the Avon Theater. And so I bought tickets and I watched Hello, My Name is Bruce with a bunch of Bruce Campbell fans. And we knew Bruce Campbell was coming out on stage after the premiere of the movie. Like he was touring this movie. And Watch the movie. I'm with, I'm with a bunch of Bruce Campbell fans laughing, having a great time. Bruce Campbell comes out on stage afterwards, insults us. We're laughing. <laughs> um, Bruce Campbell, like a girl has Bruce Campbell, like sign her arm and she tells him that she's going to get uh, a tattoo artist to have his signature, his signature tattooed on her arm. We're loving, eating it up. I loved it. I loved the movie, loved the experience. Months later, I buy the movie. And I watch it with another friend of mine who's a Bruce Campbell fan. And we sit down and we watch it. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, this movie's terrible. <laughs> 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 it's because it was it wasn't it wasn't it, I wasn't with like those big time fans. You know what I mean? I wasn't, you know, so like I guess if you're watching Lock and Key with a bunch of other Lock and Key fans, like they're going to that panel because they're Lock and Key fans. And yeah, exactly. The hype is there. The test audience. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, man, I want this to be fucking great, dude. But I don't. At the end of the day, I'm not expecting it to be 
good now. I feel like Hulu kind of had it right. Like they had Carlton Cuse, they had Andrew Muschietti, Danny Glover. I mean, these are great fucking. This is great casting, and like I don't, I don't know what we're gonna like. I, you know, it's not like Netflix is giving us shit, but I feel like Netflix is like, ah, we got Stranger Things. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Um, why would they? I mean, Stranger, they're not going to want to compete against Stranger Things. I don't know. I, it'll be interesting to see how they promote this and how much they promote it. Cause Netflix has been really weird about what they do and don't promote and how yeah. much they do promote. If it. they're just fucking promoting it using Joe Hill's Twitter account, fuck you. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I don't know. Like, I think like Lost in Space and Stranger Things, like some things they decide to really go all out and yeah. like promote. But yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard saying. Yeah. Let's talk about Variety is reporting that James Marsden will be the lead in the Sonic the Hedgehog live action animated hybrid film coming from Paramount. You guys excited for, uh. I didn't know they were making that. Oh fuck. I'm sorry to blow your mind here. Did, when, when, <laughs> I, I imagine when I said that, that a bunch of rings like flew out of your body when I said they that. They did. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was first rumored that Paul Rudd was going to be their main lead actor in this film. Not saying that Paul Rudd was going to play Sonic. I'm just saying that, you know, so, this is going to be a live action slash animated hybrid kind of like um uh what we've seen with uh garfield smurfs chipmunks those types of movies and they were rumoring that it was going to be paul rudd and then that was debunked and then names like jack black were coming up then we heard owen wilson um varieties learned that westworld's james marsden and the original cyclops is going to be their guy for sonic the hedgehog live action film uh neil h moritz who recently signed a first look deal with paramount is producing under his original film banner and deadpool director tim miller will serve as an executive producer um Hmm. the studio landed the film rights to the classic game in 2017 and they uh, tapped jeff fowler to direct so uh, no info was released on Marsden's character, but, uh, earlier casting details suggest that the human lead is named Tom and is described as a cop who will help Sonic on this adventure. Hmm. So are we going to get, um, Julio White to come back and do Sonic's voice? Yeah, he did Sonic's voice in the cartoon. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, poor, poor James Marsden. But like, why? Like, I don't understand. Like, I'm so, this news is like so weird to me because it's not like James Marsden is like uh, to go back to what we were saying before. It's like he's Sean Bean who's trying to kill his career. Like he's in a successful show and he plays a really good character on that show, mm-hmm. and he's going to be. In Sonic the Hedgehog, like, sure, it's just weird to me. Like, why do you even want to? I don't know. Why the fuck is um, Why the fuck is Jason Lee doing Chipmunks movies? Right? Yeah. Why the fuck yeah. is he making the big oh, buck? Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, who the fuck wants to be in the Squeakquel? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but Param- if Paramount is willing to pay James Marsden a fuck ton of money. To be in a Sonic the Hedgehog film, 
which who the fuck knows? Like, who the fuck knows how this is going to perform? Like, we were talking earlier about how this summer is basically, like, uh, dying for animated films. And, like, there's really only two big ones that are coming out. Like, who the who knows, like, where the fuck Paramount's going to place this movie and how it's going to perform? We have no fucking idea. Like, you know, I don't know how much. How much does Sherlock Gnomes make? How much does that fucking piece of shit make? You know? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I didn't know if that was a big hit or not. Yeah, who I knows? I don't think that was a big hit, though. I think that didn't do well, that one. Yeah, but it's like, who knows? Like, this movie could come out, and it could come out at, like, the right time where parents are like, okay, it's, yeah. time, to, it's time to take the kids to go see Sonic the Hedgehog. And <laughs> kids could go fucking nuts for this. I, You know, like, I can't stand these fucking, these uh, Smurf and Garfield reboots and, like, you know. I don't think, you know, I don't think I, I don't think I watched any of them. I think I gave up after the Scooby-Doo shit. The, yeah, I, I watched Smurfs. I wanted to like Smurfs because I loved the property as a kid and Hank Azaria, but it was just fucking terrible. Yeah. I don't know. Sonic that. Yeah, it's, uh, James Marsden's just casting in a check. At the end of the day, he gets paid, Rebecca. No, it's, it's true. It's true. It's just, uh, I, I don't know. It's just, like, who wants this movie? <laughs> I mean, other than everyone who's getting paid, but I, and I understand that, but I mean, I, I don't know. It just it doesn't interest me whatsoever. Nobody wants this movie. That's no. the answer. <laughs> Absolutely nobody wants it. Like, I don't care. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be, it's going to be live yeah. action. Absolutely. What do you guys, what do you guys think of uh, what, what, the Happy Time Murders? You guys looking forward to that thing? Uh, they've been trying to make that for a long time. Um, yeah, it looks interesting. I'm trying to remember who the lead was supposed to be before it's now Melissa McCartney. Melissa McCartney. I think it looks very clever. I, I think it I, I think it could be fun. I think it looks I, stupid as fuck. I, I think the, the lawsuit that everybody's been talking about now is is um it's only helping because I hadn't heard about it before then. Did you, yes. Okay, hold on. Here's the thing. I, I saw the trailer before I watched... What movie did I see in theaters? Was it Deadpool 2? Yeah, they, 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 I saw it before Deadpool. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they showed the trailer before Deadpool 2. They showed the Red Band trailer. Um, the, the Happy Time Murders is basically Jim Henson's son, Brian Henson, has made this movie with Melissa McCarthy where these Muppets, puppets, are crude and rude and cussing and having sex and like I think one of them like ejaculates during the Red Band trailer and it's like silly mm-hmm. string going all over the fucking place and yeah. my theater was dying and I was thinking this is the dumbest fucking comedy I've ever seen in my entire life this is so fucking this is the like the lowest common denominator humor that I've ever seen it is so dumb <laughs> Um, I wasn't amused at all. I was just thinking this is a ripoff of Who Framed Roger Rabbit with Muppets, and it's not funny. And MTV did it with Wonder Shows in 13 years ago. You guys are a little late for me. But anyway, um, so they their tagline was, um, no, all, uh, what was it? No Sesame All Street. No yeah. Sesame All Street. And so then Sesame Street was suing them for this. And so like a lot of people think that it, they just did that just to give it more publicity because like the judge basically said like you have no case here. 
and dropped it. And but it brought yeah. more attention to the movie. So like yeah. now it's like more people are thinking about this movie. So it's like free publicity at that point. I don't know. Yeah, this film's been in development since 2008, and at that time, Cameron Diaz was the lead. She retired. She retired from acting. Did you guys hear about that? No. Yeah. Yeah, not not that long ago, I think think she announced that. Well, yeah, it was, uh, she quietly retired, and then they had to, like, I think they reached out to her agents or something like that, and then maybe she made a public statement, but yeah, she's done. I like her. That sucks. Alright, let's talk about, let's talk about this fucking, uh, Crow reboot. I got to. <laughs> I have to, Jake. We have to. We've been no, doing- I know, I know, I know. We've been doing Crow news for years. Crow reboot. In order to, to properly talk about this, we have to understand what this project has gone through. And, uh, we've been talking about this reboot for the Crow. On PCL for years, Jake. Probably since the inception of the fucking goddamn podcast. I know, but we are your one-stop source for crow updates. <laughs> Greg Alanti, Greg one of our listeners, good friend of the podcast, he even said on Facebook, he said this week, he said, I would love someone to make a master edit of all the PCL crow reboot updates going back to 2013. <laughs> it's true. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to give everybody kind of like a crow reboot lesson here. Um, this goes back to December 14th of 2008. Uh, Stephen Norrington announced in Variety that he planned to write and direct a reinvention of The Crow. Norrington distinguished between the original and his remake, quote, whereas Proyas' original was gloriously gothic and stylized, the new movie will be realistic, hard-edged and mysterious, almost documentary style. Stephen Norrington is best known as the director for 2003's A League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, that was uh, Sean Connery's final film performance as a character, if you remember that movie. Uh, Ryan Cavanaugh of Relativity Media at that time was negotiating with Edward R. Pressman for both the film rights and financing on this new Crow reboot. Norrington later stepped out of the project. And guys, I I want you to keep in mind all the times that people step into this project and then step out of this project, okay? And then I want you to keep in mind like what the new news is, okay? All right, here we go. Let's uh, let's go forward. Norrington later stepped out of the project, and on April seventh, two thousand eleven, it was announced that twenty eight weeks later, director Juan Carlos Fresnadillo had been chosen to direct the film. Uh, Bradley Cooper was in talks to play the lead at that time. Uh, he never did commit to the lead, but he was in talks. Uh, it was reported on April twentieth, two thousand eleven, that the film is reportedly undergoing some legal battles. In June 2011, Relativity Media announced their plans to continue in mid-lawsuit and had tapped Alex C., who co-wrote the Watchmen film. Uh, Then in mid-August of 2011, it was announced that Cooper dropped out due to scheduling difficulties. And Mark Wahlberg, who was originally in talks for the lead back in 2010, is up for the part now. Uh, Also, we had some rumors of Channing Tatum or Ryan Gosling, whoever possibly taken the role. It was then confirmed in January of 2012 that F. Javier Gutierrez has signed on to direct the remake. 
with Edward R. Pressman and Jeff Most on producing duties. Uh, pre-production, pre-production has started now, guys. So we're in 2012. Pre-production has started. Uh, as of September 12, 2012, F. Javier Gutierrez posted several photos on Instagram taking during his work on The Crow, including a photo of a screenplay labeled The Crow and a few notes taken by Gutierrez while studying the graphic novel. Guys, they're sinking money into this. All this time, guys, I want you to think about this. Like, money has been going into this project. All right. December 9th of 2012, F. Gutierrez posted more photos on Instagram confirming that production on The Crow is still taking place. Gutierrez was pictured scouting for shooting locations for The Crow. More money. F. Javier Gutierrez posted more photos on Instagram. One in particular details a line in the script. Quote, your soul's rots, your soul rots, it festers, but fear not, I have medicine, taken directly from the graphic novel. Other photos posted show Gutierrez scouting for more film locations. Uh, 2013, February, bloody disgusting reported that James McAvoy was now in talks to play the lead in The Crow, uh, which then turned out to be speculation. April. 2013, it was pro, it was reported that producers are interested and have spoken to and had a homemade makeup test with Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> plays Loki in the Avengers film. Now, we've got uh, some makeup tests with Tom Hiddleston. The screen test is likely to take place over the next few days. Uh, that was back in 2013. Uh, Again, in April 2013, it was confirmed that the producers were only in talks with Tom Hiddleston. That is unlikely he will be casted. Apparently, HBO's True Blood star Alexander Skarsgård is... Alexander Skarsgård. <laughs> Hold on, Brian, slow down. I'm taking sure. notes. Alexander yeah. Alexander Skarsgård. Skarsgård. <laughs> yeah, can you spell that last name? Alexander Skarsgård. <laughs> S-K-A-R-S-G-A-R-D. Okay, okay, cool. Thank you. Thank is front-running... <laughs> The list of actors to play Eric Draven. Uh, on May 2nd, 2013, Skarsgård himself confirmed that he was not attached to the crow. Uh, May. We're in May now of 2013. Uh, this is where we started reporting it, Jake. Um, <laughs> Luke Evans has been cast in the title role as Eric Draven. And um, Luke Evans... Had quotes about him playing Luke, uh, about him playing uh, Eric Draven, and then uh, so I mean he was committed to the committed to the role. July 2013, it was announced that the original author and illustrator of the Crow, James O'Barr, had joined the project as a consultant. Uh, then it was rumored that Norman Reedus was going to be uh, in talks to play a character called James in the film, and uh, this uh, this was actually true at one time. But uh, the character of James was actually a false character. But Reedus was in talks to portray Fun Boy, they found out. Obar confirmed in October 2014 that Reedus would not be in the movie due to commitments such as The Walking Dead. And then he was also involved in Hideo Kojima's uh, Guillermo del Toro video game for Silent Hill. Have you ever seen the video for that fucking game that never got released? Yeah, it was awesome. Fucking incredible. You can watch it on YouTube. It's scary as fuck, and I've never even played it. Uh, Kristen, no one has. No one. Well, no, no. They had the um, 
if you had a PlayStation, you could download the playable trailer at one time. Oh, they had a playable demo. A playable demo, and you could play it, and some people still have it on their PlayStations. Kristen Bell was then uh, approached to play Shelley in the film, and she turned it down due to scheduling conflicts. Um... And then uh, in 2014, Corin Hardy replaced F. Javier Gutierrez as the director for The Crow. And then uh, literally the next day, Luke Evans confirmed that he was dropping out of the film. He had bigger, better things to do, like Dracula Untold. Dracula Untold. And then July 30th of 2015, Relativity Media, Relativity Media, which owned the rights to The Crow, they declared bankruptcy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, Hidida acquired the rights and set it with uh, Highland Film Group and put the pieces back together. Hidida, I, I think Hidida is uh, Samuel Hidida, the guy who distributed the movies like Seven, um, The Brotherhood of the Wolf, and I think all of the Resident Evil films. He also created Davis Films to produce genuinely international projects such as Tony Scott's True Romance. I love that fucking movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, have you ever seen True Romance, Stephanie, Rebecca? No. No, I haven't. Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Christopher Walken, uh, Dennis Hopper. Uh, Brad Pitt, Val Kilmer, Rosanna Arquette. Uh, oh my God, what a cast. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're James, not kidding. James Gandolfini. Is in it. It's, yeah. yeah, this it, true ra- true romance is amazing. I highly recommend that fucking film. I think it's on. It might be on Amazon Prime. Yeah, watch it. It's amazing. Um, but uh, let's see here. Uh, which brings us to uh, where Corin Hardy was involved as the director, and then they cast Jason Momoa as the Crow, and then Deadline. Finds out that Jason Momoa and director Car- and director Corn Hardy withdrew from the film. This is after Sony was close to exiting as the film's worldwide distributor. So I'm told that this has to do with creative and financial differences with Samuel Hedida, whose Davis Films holds underlying rights and who is financing the film. Production was gearing up to start within the next five weeks in Budapest and the picture was in full pre-production with Hardy presiding we are five weeks away from this fucking movie Jake and they stop it Sony Pictures announced last September that it had picked up the film for worldwide distribution and announced on October 11, 2019 release they announced a two, uh, an October 11, 2019 release date uh, insiders say that the deal hadn't closed and uh, sources said that Hadida's inability to close the deal with Sony left the studio in exit mode and that directly precipitated the exits of the filmmaker and the star. So guys, I mean, this is, yeah, this is insane. Like this has been going on for a decade. You've got people coming in, you've got people leaving. Um, you've got, they had a distributor. Uh, they weren't able to close on Sony as a distributor, which I un, what Jake, I a hundred percent agree with Corin Hardy. Corin Hardy was actually attached to the project before um, Hadida even became involved. Corin Hardy was actually involved in this when it was still Relativity Media. He like was a holdover from that fucking shit. Like this guy was like one hundred percent wanting to make 
a crow movie. He's a fan. And so like they couldn't land Sony as a distributor. So like I don't blame Momoa and Corn Hardy for dropping out of this shit, man. Like this shit sounds like it was fucking doomed. Like this sounds like this sounds like the fucking Fantastic Four movie made by Roger Corman. Like these guys would have just made this movie mm-hmm. and it never would have got any kind of like distribution. Do you think it's even? You still think the engine's going to go on, and it's still going to come out one way or another? It feels like it's going to take another couple of years, at least at this point now. Yeah. Okay. See, here's the thing. Like, this is Jake. You're reading my mind here. It like it. What boggles my mind is like people when they say like this movie, it's never going to get made. Like it's not. They've been trying for ten fucking years. Like I just went over like the whole history of this thing. Do you want me to read all these setbacks again to you? Like. You'd think after Relativity Media goes bankrupt that it would be dead. But no, like, we got okay, we had Luke Evans drop out. We had Javier Gutierrez drop out. It was still in development for years. And money has been dropped into this, into the development of this relentlessly for, for years. Because somewhere, like, there is someone thinking that they can make this movie for $20 million, which is like, that's what I hear is left for the budget after all the years of it being in development, that they were hoping to make this for $20 million and make a huge profit though, Jake. Think about this. Make it for $20 million, make a huge profit because it's the crow. That's their thoughts. Yeah, because, eight more than Spawn has. Exactly. Well, and then it, it's Crow. Like, everybody knows who the Crow is. Everybody knows who Spawn is, too. Like, it's a name. It's And you, you own the rights to it. You want to make this to make a profit. These people are – that's what they're trying to do. So, like, I'm saying they're – this is on hold for now. Like, they are still going to find a new director. They're going to try to find a new actor. I'm thinking, like, if you're thinking after 10 fucking years of them trying to make this and that this – is finally the nail in the coffin. Like, I would have told you, like, if you wanted me to tell you, like, the nail in the coffin, it would have been, like, fucking, like, five years ago. It would have been, like, after Relativity Media when it went bankrupt. But yeah, there's, that's a big one. That's a huge one. But you're telling me you've gone through Mark Wahlberg, James McAvoy, Bradley Cooper, Luke Evans. Uh, you've gone through, like, three, four, five different directors and they're still trying to make this and this is the final nail in the coffin. Fuck off. One way or another, this is going to get made. Somebody's going to try to make this. It may not be next year. It may not be 2020. It may not be 2021. Someone is going to fucking make this. This has been going on for a goddamn decade. Like, Steve Urkel spent less time trying to fuck Laura Winslow than these producers... Then these producers are trying to get this fucking crow reboot made. So you're crazy if you think that this that, that we're not going to see this fucking like we're not going to see more crow news. Like I'm not saying we're going to see this movie anytime soon, but if you think this is the end of crow news, you're out of your goddamn mind. We've been getting crow news for the last ten years, and if you think Corn Hardy and fucking Jason Momoa leaving are the end of this, well, let me go back and fucking read you. The past 10 years of people leaving and exiting, Relativity Media went fucking bankrupt and still somebody's trying to make this, Jake. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Hopefully, 
I, I would rather we cover Crow News for the rest of the existence of the podcast than see this movie at this point. I'm not saying I want to see this movie. I don't. Oh, I know. I know you're not. But like for, for, for people to think like this is like Crow News is going to go away and like this is, oh, Jason Momoa and Corin Hardy are out. Like it's over with. No. Whoever, whoever is sitting in these offices, like they, they're thinking we still have rights to the Crow. We've dropped a ton of money into this. We gotta get this made. They want they th- like they want Christmas bonuses. <laughs> so oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. That's how I. Th- that's just how I think. So, Rebecca, Stephanie, do you have any thoughts? On, on, oh um, God! I every time I see something about the crow pop up, I get super excited to read who's left the project because it's just <laughs> hilarious at this point. Um, but I mean, for as silly as it all is, I totally agree with you, Brian. Not that I care to see a crow movie, but too much money has been sunk into this thing for them not to try to make it um because at this point like how can you you can't even recoup those losses at this point so you have to at least make this movie and put it out there and try to get something back from it yeah so it, it's good they'll find somebody i mean maybe sean bean is available to play oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. james mars did i mean he's Sonic the Hedgehog? Why not? You know, I mean, it's it's just mm. he's going to make money with Sonic the Hedgehog, though. That's that that's a valid point. He will, but yeah, it's just silly at this point. I, yeah. I put up a post in the Leftover Army page saying that they should team up with the Gambit movie and share directors and stars and just make them both at the same time. Oh, so mm. it's it's insane. Yeah, that, that Gambit movie. I like if I had to place if I had to place a bet I think the Gambit movie gets made before the crow but I don't think that we've seen the last of crow news I really don't I, it's not gone away like somebody is going to try to revive this again it's it's not going away anytime soon that so. was quite the revolving door of people you were listing. It's I mean, insane. I was amazed at that. Stephanie we were co- like me and Jake have been covering this since it was Luke Evans and it like the story keeps going like it's five years later and we're still talking about the same shit and so like it's funny like people are like oh it's done it's dead in the water it's like do you want me to go back 10 years ago and like, <laughs> like show you the history on this like this movie has more legs than fucking like a centipede it's insane like it like they will not drop this it's it's crazy so i don't know if we'll, i i think we will eventually get a crow reboot i don't know when it'll happen um and it might change hands with different film with different studios but like this news is not going away people we're going to get more crow news we're gonna get another announcement of some other actor coming in here and playing the crow i swear to you there will be another director involved in this shit it's crazy so let's move on into marvel news we're gonna have to wrap this shit up soon i'm getting fucking i'm losing my goddamn mind here we go (laughs) marvel news Marvel news. Yeah, let's do abbreviated stories. I'm going to cut out two of them. We're going to do one story. Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio. Deadline reported it. 
What are you guys' thoughts on this shit? I'm excited that Mysterio is potentially going to be in a Spider-Man movie. I think Jake Gyllenhaal is a very talented actor. I, I'm going to high taste this. Rebecca. I couldn't agree more. I like Jake Gyllenhaal. I like Mysterio. I like they're going to have him in a Spider-Man movie. I also high taste this news. Stephanie. She's eating pretzels. Yeah, pretzel mouth. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I was talking. No. <laughs> 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 I, I was on mute, sorry. Um, I don't I don't know anything about Mysterio, but I do know that I like Jake Gyllenhaal, and so I'm gonna high taste it because I'll watch him in anything almost. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna echo everything you guys are saying. Um, if they if they do it right, if they do this if they do this right, it could be a Tupperware. But I'll give it a high. Agreed. If they do it right, it could be a Tupperware. Mysterio is a great character. Um, it also like with Mysterio being kind of like this, you know, magician type character. Like they could, I mean, as far as like you know, the last movie was teamed up with Iron Man. If they team, if they team Spider Man up with with Doctor Strange in this one, that could be a lot of fun. Um, what do you like? What, okay, so I, I enjoy. I, I like this casting too. Like, what do you guys think of like, the marketing for Spider Man Homecoming? It's kind of weird, right? Yeah, like, with no Spider Man. Well, Spider Man Homecoming two. Basically, you, you know that we're getting it, and it's coming out in July of two thousand nineteen, which is two months after Avengers: Infinity War Part Two or Avengers Four or whatever you want to call it. Like. So basically, like, typically what we've seen with these Marvel movies is they start marketing and giving out trailers and teaser trailers six months before the movies come out. Um, same thing with Sony. They did that with Spider-Man Homecoming. We got our first trailer six months before the movie came out. So Avengers Infinity War, spoilers if you haven't seen it, but Spider-Man dies at the end of the movie with the snap of the fingers by Thanos. So six months before Spider-Man Homecoming 2 comes out, we're going to start seeing trailers of Tom Holland as Spider-Man alive, yet he's dead? Mm, I don't know. I think Marvel just knows that at this point that the movie will sell, right? They'll find a way to to wait to advertise at the last minute, right? Oh, yeah. I'm sure Sony, who owns Spider-Man, would be 100% on board with that. <laughs> yeah, it's def- I guess it seems very weird. I mean, that's what they should do. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, Brian, but I'm definitely going to roll my eyes when I'm seeing Homecoming 2 trailers before he's brought back in Infinity War 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, we can, you know, if it was um, Marvel that was in control of the character, I think that they would be smart to push the date, you know, um, further out, but with Sony, you know, setting that July date, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's up to Sony. Maybe Sony is fine to play ball. I mean, they were fine to play ball to let Spider-Man get dusted in the first place. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I, 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 I don't think that they will do that. I, I can't see them waiting until, um, to, to release any marketing, for the movie, I can't. I can't either. Until, unless, unless we're going to market a completely different person as Spider Man. Yeah, I don't think we're getting Miles Morales. You know, I think I think it's Tom Holland that's going to return as the character in Spider Man Homecoming Two, whatever it's called. 
yeah. Yeah, lots of lots of weird possibilities. Though I agree, it's it's pretty wild. How far apart did you say the release of the two movies were? Two months. Apart. Okay. Yeah, I mean uh, April, May. Yeah, about two two and a half months. Because I mean, Avengers four is going to come out in April of two thousand nineteen, and then Spider Man comes out in July of two thousand nineteen. So two and a half mm. months or so between. It's not the best. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. You can go ahead. It's not the best comparison, but how far before Infinity War do we see our first Ant Man and Wasp trailer? Um, trying to think, like teaser poster, teaser trailer. Um, the big stuff definitely didn't come until after the movie. After I'm going Infinity based War. off of Spider Man Homecoming material, and it was six months before the movie came out. Okay. I don't yeah. think that Sony would be willing to wait until two months before the movie comes out. Like, hold on. I mean, to something everything. has to be done, though. I don't think Marvel's willing to let Sony just spoil their movie either. So, some kind of compromise is going to have to happen in some way or another. Uh, I don't. I don't know if it's really their choice at that point. You know, like if I, gonna, I, if it wasn't their choice, I don't think they would have made this deal in the first place. There has to be some level of understanding going on between the two companies that this has already worked out and the idea is already in place on how they're handling. I don't this. think there's any way. I don't around think it. it's just going to be they're fumbling over their feet trying to handle it. I don't think there's any way around it. I don't hmm. think there's. We shall see. I don't think there's any way around it. I I, I think there's zero percent that the only thing that Sony could do at this point is to is to change the date. Yeah, that's that's just what I was going to say, Brian. Unless Sony blinks and changes the date, there's there's not much that can be done, but I mean, wh- where are they going to move Spider-Man to? Like you want you want your movie to have that important like summer release. You don't want to stick it like in September. You 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 want it to be a summer blockbuster. So it's like it's it's such a weird it's weird timing it's totally weird timing. Could, and this, if, let me know if this sounds like super naive. We do we know anything about the timing of, of what time that second movie takes place? Is there a way that they could release it, but the timing is before Infinity War or no? No, we know it's the post Avengers four movie, the first one. Yeah, it's I basically okay. yeah. And they've already said that it's the the movie that's going to shepherd in like the next phase of Marvel going forward. So is it sorry, I'm so sorry. No, you're fine. Is that, it that sorry. Go ahead, sorry. No, I was gonna say, is it possible I mean it's kind of understood I mean like the fact that there's gonna be another movie is inevitable. That's already out there in the universe. Mm-hmm. And so he died at the end of Infinity War. Isn't it just kind of we we all know he's not dying. We all know he's at some point he's probably going to be brought back in some way. See, casual so, viewers don't know that though. Like casual yeah. viewers don't know that. But like for me and Jake and you and and, and Rebecca and and other people that listen and and that are like 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 really like dialed into like this stuff, we know that Spider Man Homecoming 
2 is coming out. Like, some people are going to tell you, like, oh, they're just going to bring in Miles Morales. And I'm trying to tell them, no, they are not bringing in Miles Morales. Miles Morales is going to be the animated movie that we're going to get um, at the end of this year. We're going to get that uh, Spider-Verse movie that's coming out that looks really fun. And mm-hmm. that's how that's, uh, the Lord Chris Miller, right? Yes. And uh, that, that, that's, that, that, it looks really fun. And that's what we're going to get at the end of this year. And um, so, yeah, that's where you're going to get your Miles Morales. But as far as this movie's concerned, I do not believe that they are going to recast Spider-Man in the movie. They've, they've got Tom Holland. He's their Spider-Man. Um, and the only thing that they could really do to not spoil anything, in my opinion, in the marketing is to push the date. It's just it, because because you know if you come out with that first teaser trailer, unless I mean I, how else do you do you just show like do you show like a scene of like um, Mysterio and then show a scene of like Ash in an ashtray or something? Like that? Yeah, I don't know. I, I really do have faith that they they already have the plan in place. I don't. I don't. I think, I, I think some smart marketing is what's going to happen. Uh I, I do not. I do not. I think we're going to get trailers with Spider-Man in it. I don't know, all the all the cool stuff. I know it's the difference between Sony and Marvel, but all the trailer manipulation that we've seen in the last couple of years and everything. I don't know. And the fact that Marvel's letting this be the first movie that takes place after Avengers Four. This is. I don't think it's going to be ham-fisted like that. This is. Uh, this is. This is not really up to Marvel when they release their film. This is up. This I is know, 100% I know, but they, Sony. these are deals they would have made when they made the deal. I got to imagine. Uh, I sure. Okay. I, I mean, I, I feel like Sony was probably like, we want to, we want a summer release date too. Marvel was like that. And so like, I just, I don't know. It's just, it, I, I don't see any way around this. I really don't. Like if you're going to, I don't know. You're telling me that they're going to wait until two months before or they're just going to have trailers with just Mysterio and Ned Leeds and I I don't know maybe the trailer itself will play up that Spider-Man's dead until we reveal that it's not maybe they'll make a fake trailer okay I I don't know I guess yes what are they what are they calling the movie then I don't know. I'm sure they have a plan in place. The fact that we just can't predict everything is makes me excited. But I mean, the, you can't change the title of the movie, no matter what it is. I mean, if it's Spider-Man Two, that would lead me to believe that Spider-Man was in it. That's like calling a movie, giving it a title, and then like that character, like the chance that that character would never show up in said film. I mean, call it Spider-Man No More. Spider-Man No More. It's a story of of Ned it's Leeds. Very fa- and, it's a very famous Spider-Man storyline. Well, I'm just saying, like, it's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. I just, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm not convinced. I'm yeah, not convinced. I just don't, I just don't buy that they have no plan in place, that they're just going to, like... Avengers could have, if they knew it was going to be that. I mean, have you have you, have you guys listened? Spider-Man off in the first. Place. Well, have you guys listened to the interviews with, with um, you know, uh, what's her name? Um, 
from Sony, yeah, Amy Pascal and and uh, Kevin Feige, like they're not even on the same page about like what characters in, exist in what universe. Like one moment, like Venom is in the Marvel, he's not in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Tom Holland. The next minute, he's maybe in the same universe. Like Spider Man could show up, but Cap might not, and like the. Like, you know, in the marketing, we get like, uh, you know, Marvel's, you know, in a, uh, Marvel Studios, um, or it says Marvel Studios and then like the next trailer we get says in association with Marvel Studios, like, like the heads of the studios are not even on the same page. Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige haven't even come to like a, like an agreement as to like, what characters can show up in what universe. Like we're not, Fans are not 100% sold on, like, what's going on here with, like, Venom and Spider-Man. Like, it feels like Marvel Studios wait, is waiting to see how, like, Venom performs before they are willing to commit that Tom Hardy even exists in this universe. And, like, Amy, Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige haven't been on the same page since since day one, it feels like, as far as, like, some of this um, uh, extended universe stuff is concerned. I still think, though, they... There was that much indifference, though. By the time we were putting Avengers three to to screen, we wouldn't have killed Spider Man off in the first place. I, I, I see. I see what you're saying. Like, I would love to say, like, oh my gosh, like they 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 they've got this all figured out and stuff like that. But I can't. I on the flip side, like on the business side of things, I can't honestly think that Sony would be willing to play to even give the illusion that Spider-Man is not in the film or, and then all of a sudden, like after, after Avengers comes out, it's not like they want to just like give that information out immediately. Like, Oh, you've all seen Avengers. Now, you know, Spider-Man's going to show up in this film. Like people are going to want to know that they're going to a Spider-Man movie where Spider-Man shows up. Yeah, and and there's time for that. But look what look what they're getting in exchange, though. They're getting to be the first follow up, you know, Phase Four or you know the next Marvel movie. That's a maybe. That's why Spider Man was given that in the first place in ex- in exchange for some shortened marketing, I, some unique marketing. What I okay, I think that if Marvel had their way, Marvel would be like, yes, Sony, let's let's push the movie out a little bit. Let's not release it in July. That's a little too soon. I know you guys want to get like six months of marketing or so, get your teaser posters, get your trailers out there and stuff like that. But let's push it up a little bit. Let's maybe do a December release instead. Let's push it out even farther. But Sony on the, on the flip side, like being a company, like they're going to, they're going to want to like, like their most marketable thing is Spider-Man. Like they're gonna want to like have him in the marketing. Yeah, I get you. I hear what you're saying. You're making perfect sense, but I don't know. I'm I'm gonna have faith here. I yes, I do think the whole thing could fall on its face, and they have no idea. But I don't know. It just seems very far fetched at this point. Like that they don't have an idea how to market this thing. All right, we'll see. I mean, if if they can find like a brilliant way to market this thing, and like I like I get it. Like if this was Marvel Studios. I'd be like, oh my god, yeah, of course they could do this. Like, I didn't know, you know, Thor was going to lose his eye because of the, you know, the the fake marketing that they gave us, like the trailers and stuff like that. But like, Sony's got to make money, and I feel like they would want to push their guy 
first and foremost in the marketing. Their guy is Spider Man. Kids love Spider Man. And like I, yeah, just, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I just like I said, I, and I'm just hypothetically making stuff up. But I mean, like I said, maybe that exchange is, listen, we're going to promote you as the follow up to Avengers Four, and that's going to be huge. I mean, look at the numbers that Iron Man Three got being promoted as the follow up to freaking Avengers One, and if they use the same kind of tactics here, Spider Man doesn't really need that kind of massive. Yes, but Iron Man didn't die in Iron Man Two, or Iron Man didn't die in the movie that came out right before Iron Man. No, no, I hear you, I hear you. But like I said, it's that'll give the thing even more intrigue, right? I the fact that Spider Man's dead <laughs> and we're not showing him and we want to know what's gonna happen. Like, I don't know. I just can't see him <laughs> spilling the beans. I can't see that even being allowed. I see it a 0% chance that Sony is allowed to spill the beans before Avengers 4 comes out. I suppose. I mean, I, man, I don't know, dude. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's from a business standpoint, like these are two different companies. And at the end of the day, Spider-Man is the bread and butter. And I can't see Sony not wanting to push spider-man tom holland in our faces well hopefully someone was smart enough to explain to sony that the bigger business is in letting it play out the way marvel would want it to play out hey uh, rebecca stephanie come on uh you know don't uh just because you know uh, you know daddy and mommy are over here fucking <laughs> getting in <laughs> no, this I is like our most civil argument we've it had. is civil it's like, civ- no like jake like <laughs> I, I like I, I, I at the end of the day like I could I could be wrong about this but it's it's one no, of those it's like we both agree with each yeah. other too I think kind of too like you would rather have what I'm describing fucking a I would and if they can I also, yes I'm also scared that you're right so it's kind of like that situation too. yeah <laughs> yeah we are dancing around this like a motherfucker aren't we we're like Fred Astaire and shit um, <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, everything, Jake, that you're saying makes total sense if you if you assume that Sony and Marvel have some really clear agreement and they're on the same page and they're in bed together on this. And I don't know if that exists because I know exactly what you're talking about, Brian. You're talking about that interview that happened with uh, Sony and Marvel. Well, how many times? How many times? I I want you to finish your thought, but I thought of something new. How many times have they filmed these movies in Atlanta, and how many times has TMZ and everybody else taken pictures of like what's happening on set? Like, are you telling me that that's not on Marvel and Sony's end, though? I know, but they know it's part of they know they know it's part of the business. <laughs> they know it's part of the business. That's just part of it, man. Like those first pictures of Tom Holland out as Spider Man filming in Atlanta, it's like okay, yeah, Spider Man's back. <laughs> like okay. I mean I get it. It's not like one hundred percent promoted in the marketing, but I can't see them like I don't know, like when do you promote Spider Man in the marketing at that point when it's two months away? Because and to be quite honest with you, Avengers four will probably still be in fucking theaters by the time Spider Man Homecoming two comes out. Agreed. And that's yep. to the benefit of Spider-Man Homecoming 2. God, please don't let it be called Spider-Man Homecoming 2. No, it won't. That's just, <laughs> that's the placeholder name that I'm giving it. 
Oh, I've got given it that too. I, for some reason, I want to say that long, obnoxious thing every time myself. Too. <laughs> Rebecca, I cut you off, and I'm an asshole. No. <laughs> but oh god, what the hell was I saying? Yeah. So like it, it. I I haven't seen enough evidence to convince me that Marvel and Sony are on the same page on this, and that they are in bed together on this. If if there had been more concrete evidence of. You know, if we got, I don't know, like if we had pictures or if we had an interview with, you know, Marvel and Sony and they're saying the same thing and they're singing the same tune. Jake, (laughs) I'm in your camp all the way, but I haven't seen that. So it's hard for me to believe that they're going to hold off on marketing. It's hard for me to believe that. It's Amy Pascal. It's Amy Pascal. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jake. I'm, saying, I'm more in the camp that they're going to have a unique way to market it than they're going to hold off on it. And I think with the uh, the Amy Pascal, Kevin Fahey stuff is interesting. But I, I don't think that evidence is conclusive either. Like, I think that's a little bit of her trying to weasel more out of the deal that was already made. Because there we're dealing with, is Venom part of this? Is Captain America part of this? And I think really all Kevin Fahey cared about was Spider-Man and incorporating that into the whole thing. They, they, they don't have everything that. else that came left field. This is not a, this is not a, and I'm not saying that you're saying this, but this is not like a fairy tale story between Sony and uh, Marvel Studios. Basically when Kevin Feige first approached Amy Pascal with notes on Spider-Man and like approaching them and how to incorporate Spider-Man into their universe, I don't know if you guys read the story but amy pascal threw her sandwich in his face <laughs> oh my god for real yes oh my god this is not like this fucking you know cinderella like oh my gosh like yeah uh you know disney is prince charming and comes to save the day shit this was kind of like Sony was very resistant on this. I feel Sony is very kind of like independent with this and this relationship could be very fragile. Um, I don't know how much say like Marvel Studios has in all of this. I feel like Marvel Studios actually should just kind of feel like, I feel like Sony kind of like made this deal because they, they, they'd already gone through like two iterations of Spider-Man and they kind of saw like everything kind of falling apart and they, they needed the bigger universe to keep this thing going. But on the flip side, like Sony's out to make a buck and they want to promote they want tom holland in the faces and i feel like it's kind of like you know like maybe if tom holland's on board with like keeping him out of the marketing i just don't know how you market a, a movie called spider-man anything and yet expect people to think that spider-man's not in it i, I tried to, i don't know i'm trying to figure this out yeah, it's it's crazy, but they're gonna have two months before the movie comes out, and really heavy the heavy marketing for a movie doesn't start before then. Yeah, but when do when do you when do you okay the movie okay the movie comes out in April. When do you and by the time when do you feel confident giving out those spoilers for? Like when, like when do you make that move to where like, okay, now we're going to start showing Spider-Man in the marketing, yet the movie's still in theaters at the time? Like, and Funko Pops have already been spoiling shit? I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, it's gonna I, be, it's gonna be interesting to see what they do. And I, I, 
honestly, this kind of thing can really like kind of ruin the magic for me. So I do hope they handle it well. Jake, I just hope they push the movie out further. Yeah. I mean, me and you are already like, and everyone that listens to the show are already in the camp where it doesn't really matter what they do because we're already so in the know. Yeah. Yeah. It's spoiled for us anyway. But it's like, it is fun. Like, I do want, like, the eight year olds of the world to fucking think Spider Man's dead up until the last moment. Dude, I heard fucking kids crying in my goddamn theater. Yeah, man. I, I heard I, I kids love that. crying in my theater when Peter Parker died. And I want those kids to still be miserable. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Uh, you know, you know that's what I'm all about. <laughs> uh, all right, I, we're gonna. I got, I got DC news, and we're gonna wrap this up. Just one thing. Look, we're done. Let's abbreviate everything. Let's talk about this thing for an hour. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even. This is not even like this. What we've been talking about is not even in my notes. I know. It's just it, the irony wasn't lost to me that like the minute you announced we're gonna try to kind of like be a little bit more speedy through stuff we just stop and talk about this forever <laughs> uh, i'm sorry like um Re- no don't be sorry i i loved it rebecca stephanie did you guys have any final thoughts about this i do if you don't mind no okay. go right ahead please i think even if they weren't on the same page um and, and this wasn't kind of like a match made in heaven and a honeymoon situation like you had mentioned earlier. They have got to be working on something right now, knowing, especially with the massive success that Infinity War was, and knowing that people are going to be looking forward to the next Spider-Man movie. It's got to be a plan that they're putting in place now. It would be kind of dumb not to. And so hopefully they're either planning on pushing it back or being creative with the marketing. If they were planning so fucking much, Jake, Stephanie, then why the fuck do they have it slated as July Two fucking months, two and a half months later, if they were fucking so proactive on thinking about this shit, and I'm sorry if I'm coming off like a sarcastic fuck now, but I am. Um, <laughs> no, no, I, I agree with you that like the whole concept beside behind Sony wanting the summer movie and Marvel going okay, yeah. But to me, like that's the point where they figured out their shit. They're like, okay, if Spider-Man has to come out then, and this is coming out here. Then this is what we're gonna do. Like I, I agree with Stephanie. It's just plain, if they have no plan, yeah, which is is a possibility. That's just right. fucking dumb. What, what's, what, do they, what do they call it? Spider Man funeral? <laughs> what, like, is that? Yeah, the, man. Is that the movie? Is, is it possible for them to market it with no name and just photos of maybe like a villain or something with no name? Is no, that possible or it's, no? It's not. Mar- Mar- untitled Sony Marvel movie. <laughs> okay, that's not a dumb. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, that's a valid question, but I mean, Spider-Man is like the biggest – you could argue it's the biggest thing Sony's got going for it, like in the theater. And then you're telling me you're going to release a, a Spider-Man sequel – and you're never going to show Spider-Man. <laughs> no, you're not well, never going to show him. No, 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 not never. But it's two months. Be- it's it's yeah. two months before, and now you're going to start showing. Dude, you know how many times I have seen that stupid Mission Impossible Fallout trailer? I 
have seen it eight million times, and that movie doesn't even come out for another two months. They are marketing the shit out of that. Not that it's the same studio, but the point being that they're marketing it so far out, and they are shoving this movie in your face. Look at Henry Cavill as he charges up his arms before he punches this guy in the bathroom. Like they, they are just shoving it in your face. You can't tell me that Sony does not going to want to do the same thing with as much lead time as possible not just two months if i'm sony well rebecca rebecca send it out way earlier rebecca I, i me and you are like on the same fucking page here now here's the thing it's like also it's not even just two months but like when is it comfortable for so the movie avengers 4 comes out in april and you know, of course, let's say, you know, miraculously, Spider-Man is resurrected. And so Spider-Man is back in the universe now. Um, when is it safe in the marketing to let people know that? Exactly. Because exactly. Marvel wants people to come back. Marvel wants people to come and see Avengers 4 to see what happens in the story of Peter Parker and these other characters. Now, if we already see in the marketing that Peter Parker, the casuals are now seeing, you know, months before that Peter Parker comes back in Spider-Man Homecoming 2, then they might also come to the conclusion that, oh, that means shit. None of these deaths meant a goddamn thing. Black Panther's gonna come back. Doctor Strange is gonna come back. Bucky's coming back. Uh, Black, you know, like uh, all these characters that died, they're coming back. This is bullshit. None of this is fuck. There's no finality to this. What the fuck? So like, what's the, uh, see? That's the, I don't know, man. It's 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 when after Avengers four releases, do you give the viewers the the reveal that yes yes tom holland is going do you wait a month do you wait a month after avengers 4 has been out before you start showing those um trailers with spider-man in it before that you're just showing trailers of like you know jake gyllenhaal trapped in a fucking uh you know um globe you know, in a fucking what do they call those little sh- those little shaky globes? Like him as Mysterio, you snow globe, just, snow globe. You just show Jake Gyllenhaal. You just show, you know, like I, I'm oh I'm guys, I'm ready for that new next Spider-Man movie that features Mysterio and someone else. I don't know. Maybe Aunt May. I don't know. It might be Uncle Ben. Might be coming back for all we know. It's it's weird to it, I, I want to. Like, I would love to think that they've all worked this out, but I don't know how they're going. It just seems like they have so much going against them with the time frame here. April to July. From April to July. Marvel is a missing puzzle piece here? Is it potentially that something happens in that movie? That that happens in the 90s. Unless it's a post-credit scene or halfway through the movie, we do a time jump to where we are in the current timeline. They can't do anything because that movie takes place in the 90s. Yeah, I realize it's a 90s piece, but I mean, much like Captain America 1, we we did, it wasn't even post-credits, right, where we do the leap forward at the end. Yeah, and we see him in modern day. I mean, I don't know. I'm just because yeah. that that would line up. Like I, like I said, it's a far fetched idea. But if the Captain Marvel movie potentially answered the question to heroes coming back to life at some point, then that would kind of line up with timing of advertising and everything. Yeah, 
I don't know. It's just I feel like that should be a self-contained Captain Marvel story, and then post-credit scenes should like lead into. Something. It's already not a self-contained Captain Marvel story, right? They already ruined that with the post-credit scene from well, the Pinchers. Um, let's talk about that here real quick. There was a um, somebody actually somebody tweeted a not tweeted, but they were on Reddit and. Um, they gave a theory that Doctor Strange knows what happens in the future. This is what they said. Doctor Strange knows what happens in the future. He sets it up, in fact. He knew that Thanos had to snap his fingers at that exact right time and under all these certain conditions for them to win. He's setting up Captain Marvel's return to Earth. I believe he'll appear in the Captain Marvel movie and tell Fury it is vital for him to carry around with him the pager to to contact Captain Marvel. Nick Fury, knowing about Stephen Strange, lists him as an ally to S.H.I.E.L.D., which of course is how Hydra knows about him despite him being a neurosurgeon. Anyway... Uh, anyone who is an ally of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a threat to HYDRA. He warns him of an event in the future, referring to the people turning to dust without warning. This is why Fury's instant reaction to seeing Maria Hill turn to ash was to run to the pager. But what our good friend Sorcerer Supreme didn't mention was the fact that he does not survive. Hence the mother at the at the very end. We should also take note that the way he said it says it isn't panicked or scared. He's confident that Strange knows what he's doing. That's a stretch. Oh, he says mother. I'm not buying any of this. He says mother fa <laughs> in a way that that uh, Strange is uh, confident. <laughs> I guess. Um, I mean that's that's nice fan fiction that yeah. also you know fixes the timeline in Winter Soldier. But yes, it, it, I mean that doesn't. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe that. <laughs> it doesn't even. It doesn't even add up, Rebecca. It, it 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 actually can't even make sense because Strange doesn't see all the multiple possibilities until he gets to Titan. So he right. visited Nick Fury after seeing the possibilities after that scene. No, that didn't happen. So yeah, yes, you, this yeah, that's bullshit. I agree. Yeah. You're right, Jake. Like when, when did he have time to go to the past and tell Nick Fury, here's a beeper and carry it around forever. And you'll hmm. know when to use it. Wink. No, you know, like <laughs> what is that? Like, that's ridiculous. He went to radio yeah. shack, bought him this fucking Captain Marvel pager. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, geez, I know. Yeah, these, uh, these theories are getting insane. Last thing that I want to talk about before we wrap is, uh, Justin Kroll, uh, DC News, yeah. DC News, Batman Vagina, whatever. Um, <laughs> Justin Kroll, uh, Variety is claiming that the penguin is the top choice for Batman's villain but if the peng if it, but if the Batman director Matt Reeves opts to not feature Oswald Cobblebot in the film then Warner Brothers might choose to feature the penguin in the upcoming Birds of Prey film and Justin Kroll tweeted, uh, take this with a grain of salt as things are constantly changing in the DCEU, but I'm hearing the Penguin is possibly the choice to play the main villain in the Batman. Sources add, even if Reeves decides to go another route, the studio could then make him the main villain in Birds of Prey. Reeves is still working on the script, so that could always change, but of the multiple Birds of Prey scripts submitted, 
one does have the Penguin as the main heavy. Either way, it seems Warner Brothers wants this character cast in the universe sooner rather than later. So, uh, guys, question. Um, Matt Reeves, Batman, Birds of Prey, uh, Penguin? You guys? I don't really... I don't really want him in either, honestly. I would rather have a female villain in Birds of Prey, and I would rather have a new, fresh villain in the Batman Matt Reeves movie. So I hope we're no Penguin. I think Penguin's a little bit too soon after kind of the big, you know, I think the Gotham stuff did a pretty good stamp on a cobble pot, and I think we should leave that to rest for five years or so. Rebecca, Stephanie. Yeah, I, if, if we're talking Birds of Prey, I absolutely want a female villain there. Um, I think that fits better with the story. Um, I don't know. We, we've seen the Penguin as Batman's villain. I mean, granted, in a different universe with Michael Keaton, but um, why? there's so many rogues that he could fight. What about a Clayface movie? Uh, I'd love to see that villain. I mean, he wouldn't even have to be the main villain. Um, you, you could have another guy in there. But I mean, Batman has so many villains to fight. We're going to go back to the Penguin. I, I don't know. I mean, I did see a fan. I think it was a fan generated poster of like Andy Circus as the Penguin. Yeah, I actually I, mean, I, I posted that on the Pop Culture Leftovers oh, okay. Facebook page. It was from uh, Boss Logic, who does a lot of these kind of like, um, you know, like like once they announce, uh, you know, oh, Brie Larson is going to be our Captain Marvel. Boss Logic is like the one that. That, you know, like, uh, like, they do like concept art. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, like, a lot of fans really are, like, if we're getting another penguin, they were wanting, um, you know, Andy Circus to play penguin. So, yeah, it looks, he looks fantastic. Oh, yeah, he looks super cool. And if you tell me Andy Circus is going to be in any movie, I get excited about that. But I, I don't know. I mean, do we have to go back to the penguin? I just, there's so many other rogues that he could fight. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm on the same page here. Stephanie. Oh, I think I might have to be the deflector here. I think um, uh, I, I think it would be nice to see a new villain in the Batman movie, um, but I also think that the Penguin is, in some aspects, is like a safe bet. Um, it's a villain that a lot of people, if the if kids aren't familiar with it, their parents certainly are. Um, it's from a Batman era that a lot of people are very fond of, have very fond memories of Michael Keaton as Batman. And so I actually, I don't think I would mind it. I mean, we saw the Joker. Um, we saw the Joker come back when Heath Ledger played him. And then, and that, that was done well. And I don't necessarily think we needed the Joker again. Um, so I, I don't, I mean, I think it's a safe bet that there certainly are other options they could go with, but I don't hate the idea. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, Stephanie, I'm kind of like with you for different reasons though. Like my reasons are thinking about the director and what the director's direction was when we first heard about like Matt Reeves being the guy on this film and he was like wanting to give us a proper Batman story with Batman being the detective and make this kind of, kind of like more of a detective noir type feel. And I feel like to get that feel, you're not really going to get that, in my opinion, from a Clayface movie or from I, – I guess you could if you really kind of forced it. But I feel like with 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 Penguin, you could really make that story work. And I, I want it from the Owls, though. Oh, Court of Owls? Fuck yeah. yeah or, 
or just anything. I don't know. I just it just gets frustrating when it's just the big four recycled over and over again. No, I I get that. I I, I really want when it when it all comes down to it, I want Matt Reeves to give us the character that the villain that he wants to give us that he feels like he can put the best spin on. Like you know, like. I coming into this and before this was all happening, Ben Affleck wanted to give us a Batman movie with Joe Manganiello as Deathstroke. And when Matt Reeves came on, I was like, I sure as fuck hope he doesn't have to fit in Deathstroke into this movie. (laughs) Yes. Because I want Matt Reeves to be able to give us the movie that Matt Reeves wants to give us. So if Matt Reeves wants to give us a Penguin movie, I'm down for it. If Matt Reeves wants yeah. to give us a, a, a Clayface movie, then I'm down for it. I just want to give. I want to get the movie that Matt Reeves has, and I think like the reason why people are like saying like Andy Serkis as the Penguin is because Matt Reeves was the director of the Planet of the Apes films, the mm-hmm. second, you know, the second and the third one, and it's like okay. God, he's got this relationship with Andy Serkis. Let's see if he can pull him in here as the Penguin. That would be a fantastic, fantastic, like, if you're going to have the Penguin come into this DCEU universe, Andy Serkis would be the guy to do it. Like, um, Nick Frost uh, has thrown his name into the hat, too. And I know Josh Gad has. Fuck him. Fuck you, fuck you, Josh Gad. I, lo- I oh, love. Man, I fucking love Josh. I would take Josh Gad over Andy. I love Josh Gad. I love Josh Gad as a person and as a comedian and his other work. But I do not want Josh Gad as my penguin. Sorry, yeah. I don't. I don't really want Andy Circus to be honest with you. I I think he's a fantastic mocap guy. But as far as like oh. being a lead villain in a Batman movie, eh. oh god, his okay. range on Gollum and his range as fucking um, Claw. In Black Panther, like, you know, like, just him, like, like, make it rain, and he's laughing and shit. I'm like, this guy is just so eccentric and wild. Like, I would love to see him, love to see his range and see what he would give us with a penguin if we had to have a penguin in the movie. Like, penguin's not my first fucking choice. Like, oh, oh, God, oh, can't we see that penguin Batman movie? No, it's like, no, I'm not, like, dying for a fucking penguin Batman movie. But if I had to... No, I like I, if I get if I get penguin if I get penguin in a fucking Batman movie I want it to be Batman Lego, Lego Batman. Yeah. That's my Josh Gad. That's my like yeah. That that's a good call, Brian. Like if Josh Gad's gonna play a penguin, let it be in the Lego movie. Yeah, give me. I, like I love Josh Gad, dude. I've been a big fan of Josh Gad. Josh Gad did a fucking uh, television series with Kelsey Grammer that went off the air on Fox years ago with the. Uh, I can't, I forget, I forget the actress's name, but she was like the wife of Ray Romano and everybody loves Raymond. And like Josh Gad, that's like, 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 like the, the first thing I remember him in. And I was like, oh, this, this guy's fucking funny. This fucking show. And like, I've loved him in everything I've seen him in. But I just don't think that like he's gonna be like my guy for a Matt Reeves Batman movie. Like, god damn it. Yeah. Like, I'm not even confident about Ben Affleck. Fucking holding up Batman's jockstrap, let alone fucking Josh Gad playing. <laughs> I do agree with you though that if the ultimate decision is Matt Reeves wants to make a Penguin movie, then Matt Reeves is a great filmmaker. Yeah, it's not going to make me like I'm not going to be like fuck this movie yeah. now. It's down, yeah. it's down the shitter now. Like I, I'm in total agreement with you there. It's just Penguin is like my eleventh choice for a villain for a Batman movie. Fuck yeah, dude! One hundo. 
Like, but like, oh god, just reboot the goddamn universe. You've already fucked it up with Jared Leto's Joker, damaged. What the fuck? Fuck you. I would love, I would love some inspired casting as the Penguin. Though it doesn't have to be Josh Gad, but I don't know. I mean, to me, like when they cast Devito, people basically acted like that was fucking the most crazy shit ever. Yeah. So like, I'm fine with some inspired casting and letting someone that you previously didn't know had that dark side. Uh, I think show a dark side. I think Josh Gad's the biggest fan of him being the Penguin. To be quite honest with you, like he's my third choice. Like I'd say, Andy Circus number one. The next guy to throw his name into the into the into the ring is uh, Nick Frost. I'd take Nick Frost over fucking Josh Gad. I love Josh Gad too. I really do. I think he's great. I think he's a funny guy. I really like. Yeah, Josh we have to Gad. have the Penguin. Gad's my number one choice. Oh God, no, Ugh. no. It is. It is my number one choice. Yeah, I know. I I know. I'm just. I'm. I'm. <laughs> I don't, I'm trying to like. Ugh. You know what I mean? That's I hear you. Like I. I don't know. I I, I just I, Gad would be my penguin in a Lego Batman film. Like that's cute. If, if Gad's saying he wants to do it, he knows who Matt Reeves is. He knows what kind of movie they're making. He's not saying he wants to do it so he can go in and be Lego Batman penguin. I have faith that he wants to do a serious turn as a serious comic book villain. Wow. Wow. Jeez. You and Josh Gad are on another fucking level, dude, that I did not know I about, love Josh buddy. Gad. <laughs> no, I like him, too, but I can't know. much more inspired casting than Andy Serkis to me. Uh, not really. I mean, like, Matt, I mean, I've seen the Boss Logic art. Looks great, okay? But I've also seen, like, I've seen, like, what... Andy Circus can do. And I think like Andy Circus has like a better range than Josh Gad for that type of character. I've seen what he can do with Gollum. I saw like he did great as fucking Claw. Caesar's fucking amazing. Like this guy like I, I want to see him actually in more live action stuff. I feel like you know, like he's like the mocap guy. And I, I I've actually for a long time wanted to see him like more like in front of the camera as him. And I feel like, yeah, maybe throw just a little bit of makeup on him, of course, to make him look like the penguin, but I feel like I definitely, yeah. yeah, I definitely think like Andy Circus could, could fucking crush this fucking role as the penguin. Like I have more faith in Circus than I do in Josh Gad. That's yeah, a, that's, I can see that. I don't think me. Andy Circus would by any means do a, a bad job. I just, I don't know. It just seems like boring casting to me. Okay. All right. I, you know, fuck Star Wars news. I'm done this week. You know, I'm not. It's not because like. We've just been going on too fucking long. I blame Stephanie. She just won't shut the fuck up. No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm Stephanie. Here's my thoughts and opinions. (laughs) Yeah, no shit. Time to get some food. Ah, All right. Any final thoughts? I don't want to cut anybody off. If you have any final thoughts on anything. Like anything at all. It doesn't even have to be anything we've talked about. No, please don't. I'm sorry about the typing. I was taking notes. Don't ban me. <laughs> what are you, are you taking notes while I'm doing the show? I was taking notes on Spawn while you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, that's a first. Um, yeah, but yeah, I want to thank I want hey, Rebecca. I want to thank you for coming back. Absolutely, thank you so much. Yeah, for having me back on. It's always fun. Stephanie, number two, are you, uh, would you ever want to come back? Are you done? 
Like, you know, I would it. love to come back. <laughs> all right, all right. We'll have you. We'll have you back on a on a better episode. <laughs> this one was terrible. Oh my god! I want to take an ice pick and like fucking bash it through my goddamn fucking head um, after this one. But uh, <laughs> all right, and just like all good leftovers, say on the doggy bags. Thank you for listening. Thank you for patronage. Uh, we'll see you next week. Later, y'all. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a T-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. We don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Could it toss it? Could it taste it? Do we love it? Hey, let's fix it. Can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over counterculture. Pushovers. Pop culture. Leftovers. And with the uncool kids. What's to say has already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Podcasts that are originally good. I've already been done before, so we should separate the wheat from the shaft. And we're the shaft, the crap, even though we're the shit. Woo! We're the leftovers picking up the scraps, dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap! Could it toss it, could it taste it? Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, pushover, pop culture. Leftovers, and with the uncool kids. What's to say it's already been said Leftovers Pretty sure that the only talent Is the band that's singing this Pop culture leftovers Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't embrace it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, pushovers, pop culture. Leftovers, uncool kids, what's to say has already been said. Leftovers, pretty sure the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers.